Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, SWAF Nation. It's your boy, the other one, Luke Owen, and this is a special bonus episode for you in the free podcast feed. We thought we would celebrate our one-year anniversary of Wrestle Ramble Extra by asking our pledgehammers over on Patreon to vote for their favorite episode, and they answered with WrestleMania X7. This was a really fun one to record, and it's arguably the best Mania of all time, so you can see why it won the poll. If you enjoy this and want access to more like it, head over to patreon.com forward slash WrestleTalk to pledge just $5 or more a month. We've got reviews of Wrestle Kingdom 10, SummerSlam 2000, One Night Stand 2005, Halloween Havoc 1998, and so much more. Head over to patreon.com forward slash WrestleTalk. Enjoy this 4 hour and 40 minute review of one of the best pay-per-views ever, WrestleMania X7. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Wrestle Ramble Extra, the special podcast for special people. That's right, the Pledgehammers. This is just for Pledgehammers. Get out your pledges and hammer along with us. I'm Ollie Davis and I'm joined by Patreon exclusive Luke. That's right, we're putting you behind the paywall now, Luke. Hello, Swaft Nation. Hello, Five dollar and above pledge hammers. It should be specified that although Ollie Sorry. Davis said that it's for all pledge hammers, it's really just for five dollar and above pledge hammers. But we're in the beautiful city of Patreon. <laughs> I don't care about exclusivity. I just keep on talking about how wonderful Patreon is. How forward thinking mm. Patreon is. Oh man, Patreon uh, let women pledge now. Yeah. Well, let's be honest. Anyone who's not pledging five dollars. <laughs> we can say we can say that we're all amongst friends here. They well, can't hear us. But what about the people that the pledge hammers that donate? Like they pledged one dollar, but then because of all of our amazing, awesome content, they up their pledge to five or ten. Then you say that, and no. then they're like, "So when I was a one dollar uh, pledge hammer, I was lame." 
Correct. Yes, that, that, that's exactly what I'm saying. But you have seen the light, and now you are you've committed to become a full-on pledge hammer. Oh, I see. Okay, yes. well, just just I just want to you know make sure we all know where we stand in the in this pledge ha- in the in the beautiful city of Patreon. But uh, I don't. I think you you skirted over it. Skirted over it a bit. How do you feel about being behind the paywall now, Luke? Well, I mean, I'm never always behind the paywall, but this this side of me is behind the paywall, and this side of me. I think it's a bit sexier. Sometimes it's a bit more risque. There are often times where I might do a swear, but I don't. But there's always that tease that I might. Naughty Luke. Is, there is more Naughty Luke behind the paywall than there is yeah. in the in the free world. Uh, I think I'm a bit more Jerry Lawler behind <laughs> the paywall. You are a bit. And I wonder how much of Jerry Lawler you're going <laughs> oh, to be no. in this show. There's one match. <laughs> there's one match. No, there's two matches. <laughs> And, I mean, it's the Attitude Era, folks. Yeah, it really is. You've got to unleash your inner Jerry Lawler, because what does the Attitude Era do? Here's our dick in your face. It just takes a big old dick and just smacks it straight in the face. Presented by Snickers Cruncher Bar. <laughs> always love Attitude Era, pod- Attitude Era pay-per-views, because it always just like, it's the most epic thing ever, sponsored by Snickers. Yes. Uh, so, what do you want to do? We, 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 you like to take us through what was number one at I the time? I do. So, this is April 1st, oh, 2001. Wait, wait. said what we're doing. Oh, no. So, this was obviously <laughs> uh, voted for by Pledge Hammers, all backers, even the lame ones. Yeah. We are doing WrestleMania X7. Should do something about the lame ones. <laughs> Such as... We, well, we know who they are. We could just... What, just send them an email? Just send them like a... Just, hey, just, hey just, guys, send just, four more dollars. Yeah, just send them a, a blast email. missing out on. And just be like, hey, you know you're lame, right? Like, hey. There's a, <laughs> no, there's, could, there's a way for you to not be lame. We could do like a full-on clickbait thing. We're pretty good at that. Where, <laughs> where we just say, you wouldn't believe what Ollie and Luke called you behind the $5 paywall. And then they, they'll have to donate more and then they'll see that we called them all lame absolutely. we don't really think that no by we, the way. we absolutely don't but anyway so this was wrestlemania x7 won the wrestle ramble extra poll as voted by all of you wonderful pledge hammers and i mean it's a it was a landslide victory yes like it wasn't I, last month it was over 50 percent this is way beyond like the closest Per, the closest oh, you've, you've got the poll, I've up, got the poll up here yeah oh, i've got a poll up all right <laughs> oh it's the patreon show <laughs> so, after hours Luke. so the pay-per-view that came the closest that came second place that got the silver medal was extreme rules 2012 with 26 votes which was suggested by the 500 dollar backer chris merriman there is someone who knows what support means <laughs> But the WrestleMania X7 was won, as suggested by Pontin Problems, Rob Pontin. WrestleMania X7, 101 votes. Oh, what an absolute landslide of a victory. Well, it's, I mean... You'll also be pleased to know that Dan came last. Ah, what did he he say? Uh, He suggested WWF In Your House 7, Good Friends, Better Enemies. Oh, I suggested WXW... Oh, I'm a WXW show from oh, 2014. Oh, no, shut up. I'm Dan. They're my favourite promotion. Oh, B.A. He's a lovely guy. We love Dan. Back back to the bridesmaid, Dan. <laughs> know the, your place. You may have won the Fantasy Booking Warfare poll, but that is it, my friend. We've just divorced. <laughs> yeah, you're the bride... Sure, you got married for Fantasy Booking Warfare. That was a very good suggestion. I must admit, we had a lot of fun doing it, and you created two great videos. (laughs) However, 
divorce. You're back to being the bridesmaid, Dan. So this is WrestleMania X7, which took place in April 1st, or on April 1st, 2001, a whopping 17 years ago. Doesn't feel right, does it? No, it does not, because that means it's that's quite close to 20 years. Mm. And that's a terrifying thought. 20 years is a long old time and i i i didn't watch this pay-per-view live however it did air i believe it aired free on sky sports one wow. so it wasn't even a pay-per-view and my friend who had sky taped it and we went over to his house the following day to watch it so i had to spend all of monday avoiding the other kids uh... who were talking about wrestling not wanting to know the results of this uh, of this pay-per-view I didn't understand how wrestling was scheduled back then. It was just some... I only experienced pay-per-views through flashbacks on <laughs> yeah. SmackDown on Saturday morning. I was like, so why do they call it Monday Night Raw if it goes out on Friday evening oh, so on confusing. Sky? Yeah, uh, yeah so... So yeah. we, I, I was very excited to watch this pay-per-view. It felt like a really big deal. And I was like, amazingly excited for the gimmick Battle Royal. My boy Raven was on the show. Rock and Steve Austin. This is a period where me, uh, my friend Graham, um, we were massively into to, to the wrestling at this point. He was the the lad who suggested that they do ladder matches in Hell in the Cell matches, so you can put ladders on top of the <laughs> Hell in the Cell. Quite famously suggested that, um, and we were hugely into playing No Mercy. So mm. this was it's like it's No Mercy, it's SmackDown on the PlayStation. It's like peak wrestling fandom for me. And it, and it's amazing. It's peak wrestling fandom, and it's so close to almost the fall of when I stopped yeah. watching because it's not. It's only like it's about this time next year that I stopped watching. Exactly, exactly the same with me because this is the to to give some context. Just six days before Shane McMahon turned up on WCW Nitro and announced that he'd bought WCW under the nose of his father Vince. It was so fortuitous that they were also having a match at WrestleMania. Cuz it just what it's like, oh man, we've got we're having this match. We've bought WCW. We'll just make that part of the storyline as well, I guess. Yeah, could 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 argue that it could have been saved for something bigger. Didn't have to be used <laughs> yeah. as a backdrop for a McMahon match, which already had enough elements in it with Linda being drugged. God, didn't it? Just, oh my lord! Uh, we have got a lot to discuss when we get to that point. But holy moly, what a what a go home angle! <laughs> no, I right? mean, can you imagine anything more intriguing like, than yes? I've just bought the major competitor from the last decade. This is like the biggest WrestleMania ever. Like it's Rock v Austin at the height of Rock being the babyface and Steve Austin's return to wrestlemania it was like the biggest match they could possibly have and on top of that the biggest event in wrestling history happened six days prior when vince mcmahon purchased wcw and essentially closed it on this i mean they had to because time warner didn't want it on their tv screens anymore but they did the simulcast he fired jeff jarrett live on tv which apparently was all just for tv that's what we're saying nowadays it wasn't really a vendetta against jarrett it was just oh, oh, oh it was just great telly bants that that's all it was top bants top bants like he could have done that to absolutely anyone in the WCW locker room, he just happened to choose Jeff Jarrett, who had reportedly, big air quotes, held him up for money. Well, it's because the, the, the word goes so well. Like, Jarrett's catchphrase was double R, double T, right? Mm. But uh, 
as we all know, gone is spelt with double O's and double N's. <laughs> it is, and, yeah. Yeah, so it just worked. It, it just, just, it just worked. You know, Jarrett was just getting what he was owed and everyone understood that. Well, in talking about this, I think we've stumbled across why this was the beginning of the decline of our own wrestling fandom. Because it, it was the same for me. This was wrestling fandom peak. Uh, maybe a couple of months after this. No, no, no. It, I, I would say it was here, actually. And then... As much as I loved wrestling, by the the about a year and a half later, I wasn't watching anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is the, this you know spoilers. Austin turns heel. He does. This is where many people mark the end of the Attitude Era, and WCW is bought all within the space of a week of each other. I mean, I imagine WCW was actually bought before didn't legally happen well, it's am- then. It's amazing looking back at the Observers and Figure Fours from around this time because it really was like the week before this issue of Figure Four had gone out re- uh, reviewing this, it was essentially Eric Bischoff buys WCW. It's official. Wow. It was. Oh, re- so it was. It really was like then every other day it was something different. Like and it was like Bischoff had bought it and then just a few days later it was like, oh no, Vince has bought it. Vince has actually bought WCW and has bought it for an absolute steal. It was like a fiver, wasn't it? Basically, I think it was something like between four and five million. I think he bought it for. I in total. think it was for two million dollars. You know? Oh wow! Two million dollars, including the tape library, which is the, the massive oversight. And that—that's worth like a chunk of change in of itself. Yes, yeah, like yeah. with the amount that you could have. I mean, the amount they did release on on home video. But yeah, man, like what an absolute steal that was, considering that company in 1998 turned over something like 400 million dollars mm. like that was 400 million dollars profit like it's insane and then well and granted they then lost all of that the following year and then lost even more the, the year after and then by the time they bought it it really was and like and that's what bischoff said that when he he didn't get the tv time that was the reason why he walked away from the deal was that without tv time the company is worth nothing but to someone like vince and the wwf when you just want the tape library yeah that is worth it and the rings. They got all the rings, they got all the sets, and they just gone to a warehouse. All the sets, God. And WCW really went all out with those sets. Oh, it means they've got all those Halloween Havoc, like, graveyards, and yeah. like all the, the tombstones and everything. All Bobby Heenan's Hawaiian shirts from <laughs> the Beach. Yeah, they probably were the property of WCW. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'm pretty sure Dean Malenko was wearing one of those yes. on this show. <laughs> Very smart man. Uh, so, yes, what was number one at the time? So, number one in the movie verse around this time was Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes remake. Wow. Leather. Which had which knocked down Jurassic Park 3. Well, I didn't know that was a number one yeah. movie. And amazing and amazing to think here we are in 2018 a Jurassic Park movie is going to be coming out in like 2 months time. And there's always a Planet of the Apes movie on the way. Yeah, uh, we have, actually, yeah, we have one last year. Trilogy, yeah. They're doing a trilogy screening at the, at the Prince Charles, Ooh. actually, which is interesting. That but doesn't I, sound appealing in the slightest. No. But I would like to watch each movie individually on separate <laughs> nights. <laughs> but yeah, amazingly, Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes took $96 million domestic on its opening weekend. That seems like a joke. <laughs> Doesn't it just? But that that's a large chunk of change. Do you want to know what, what was number one in the Billboard's top 100? So this is the Amer- Of course I'd be able to tell you if it was the U- UK top 40, but... Well, um, I've got that as well. Damn it. <laughs> well, it was for the UK top 40. What were we talking? 2000. Can you give me the genre? Uh, it is always pop. This is pop-tastic. 2001. Hearsay. Is it... Is it so... it? Was it their debut single? Pure and simple. Yeah, it was. 
<laughs> nailed it! Absolutely nailed it! First try! Yes. Here says pure and simple gonna be. Well, hey, I'll be there for you. Pure and simple gonna be there wherever you go. I'll I'm always be there. I swear it's true. You know I'm gonna be there. It's pure and simple. Uh, hey, hey, I'll be there for you. Pure and simple gonna be there. Oh, nice. My uh, my wife went to go see them in concert. Why? <laughs> I've asked her that question. For that one song. Her dad had to take her. Had to? Well, yeah, because she couldn't, she couldn't go on her own. Oh, right. You I know, see. this is 2001. She'd have been... Uh, 12. 12, yeah, because she's the same age as you. Um, and in, but anyway, the number one in the US Billboard charts. I'm a bit gutted this didn't take place the week before, because the week before, it was... Do you want to have a guess? Oh, oh I my mean, God. I mean, grind. Also hearsay. <laughs> no, it was not. Um, but the week before was Butterfly by Crazy Town. Oh, bound. Bound, 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 bound. You're my butterfly, kind of sugar, like... baby. Yeah, it's a bit. Like hit... my way. Yeah, Limp Bizkit's my, mm-hmm. uh, my way, absolutely. Yes, yeah, so a Crazy which I'm almost certain was a summer song when it came out in uh, in the UK. Same here, yeah. Yeah, but actually at number one on the week of WrestleMania X7, April 1st, 2001, was Shaggy's Angel. You remember that one? Yes. You're my darling angel. Remember I remember it because Baby. it was a, a very, very attractive uh, African-American woman. Oh, Jerry Lawler's here. In a <laughs> oh, hello, Jerry. White... I didn't see you come in, mate. <laughs> Puffies <laughs> in a white leather revealing all-in-one suit thing. I think that's right. Oh, he's going to Google it. If I'm wrong, they definitely had big-breasted cartoon drawings of women that would sort of act as the angel and demon on the sides of Shaggy's shoulders. Oh, I see. But this is what you pay for with your Patreon-exclusive content. Googling live on air. (laughs) Slash Googling live on air. Angel. So this, uh, of course, this was featuring Rayvon. <laughs> Rayvon, apologies. He was for one of names. Half, what, he was one and a half of the Dudley Boys, wasn't he? <laughs> okay, nailed it. Let me find. Oh, god damn it! Fifteen second ad. YouTube. <laughs> god, I hate ads on YouTube. God, who would put those All on? of it for free. All of this well-made content <laughs> for free. Okay. <clears throat> but while Ollie is doing his googling oh, live on air, as big as I remember. But look, that, oh, that gonna... was the yeah. I was right though. It was animated oh, it was cartoon ladies. I see. Do they turn real? I think they do. I've, I do remember. Because you've you've stopped it at like two seconds into the video. Well, there's the uh, the female version. Oh, so of they the do devil. turn real. Yeah. So, but she's in a red bikini there. because devil. Uh, and let me see if I can find. Or is that just it? Nope. Okay. I mean, it looks like for the majority. That they both died because they're just partying in a white room. Oh, right! For a second there, I thought you were like you just found a YouTube comment no, that was just no. like, "Oh, BT Dubs, both of these women oh, are now okay. dead." Maybe this was a false memory. It looks like <laughs> the red woman is in all of it. Oh well, huh? Huh? Well, anyway, the theme song for this actual pay per view was, as Ollie is aforementioned, Limp Bizkit's "My Way" from their mm, classic album. I did big air quotes there. The uh, Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavoured Water. An album I remember so vividly being released because I was a big Limp Bizkit fan. I loved Three Dollar Bill Y'all. I thought that was an absolutely awesome album. And I really, really liked Significant Other, which I I appreciate not a lot of people like. 
But I remember being so disappointed by Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavoured Water, despite the fact that it is arguably their most popular album. I thought it was actually quite rubbish. So, Apart from this song, which is awesome. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There is rolling. Oh, and ro- rolling's not bad. And what my generation I'm looking at. Yeah. That, we don't, uh, don't give an F and we won't ever give an F done to you. You give an F I about me. I remember that one. And my generation. Oh, yeah, I do remember it now. And then Boiler as better well. Boom, better boom, better boom. What was... Was my way also used for Mission Impossible 2? No, that, they had their own song for that, which, which was, was the Mission Impossible theme song. Oh, man, what was Which it? also kind of sounds like the start of my it way. It does, yeah. And now Luke is Googling live on air. Impossible. Get you, take take a look around. Take a look around. How did that There's Biscuit effing up your town. Right. No, no, hang on. That's not right at all. I know why you want to hate me, because hate is all the world has ever seen lately. <laughs> I know why you want to hate me. I know I know why you want to hate me, because hate good is all the world has ever seen lately. Uh, so, Full Nelson was track four here. That's a wrestling move. It's a wrestling move. No wonder they got such a big deal with wrestling. The only wrestling move on the whole album. Uh, <laughs> rolling, I didn't know that. Which actually, funny enough, is one more than WWF Forcible Entry. Hmm. But, uh, oh, there's going to be a lot of WWF Volume, volume 5 oh, man. The music Which chats. has The Rock's uh, excellent the song, song yeah. The Pie Song, which has aged horribly because there's the... <laughs> <laughs> quite an awful moment late on in that song when The Rock just goes racist. Hey, Rock, we just want you to riff on an Asian accent for a verse. <laughs> if you can do, try not to be as, as racist as possible. No, this is the Nord- This is the early noughties, man. They said, be as racist as possible. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. It was, it's fu- People will look back on this and find it fine. They, we're pretty certain. We're pretty sure in, in 17 years' time, there will be two white guys in Essex who are doing a podcast for a Patreon-exclusive background that will just tell you that, yeah, it's absolutely fine that you started to go ching-chong, ching-chong, i.e. Hey, it's different times. Man. It was different you times, You can't man. judge things. Do you remember when Wesley Snipes did that in Demolition Man as well? Ah, yeah. And you just look back and then you go, why? Why I'm, did he do that? I remember not finding it offensive at the time. I don't really find it offensive now. I'm not easily offended. Uh, but the right, I just don't find it funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that is the other key. Yeah, to it. yeah. So this is not the only time that Limp Bizkit would um, do a song for WrestleMania. They would be back two years later for WrestleMania 19 with their song Crack Addicts, which uh, when I, and when wow. I think when I think Crack Addicts, I think WrestleMania. Like uh, it's it was just it was a perfect fit. Do you know who Paul Heyman wanted it to be? Um, uh, Metallica. No, that was the 1995 story that they that someone suggested that Metallica play. I think it was SummerSlam, and Vince said, "Never heard of them." Hmm. 1995, come on, guys. But th- no, Paul Heyman had connections to System of a Down, and this Ooh. was like peak System of a Down. It's Toxicity era, so like they are the biggest metal band on the planet. Vince never heard of them. Let's do Limp Bizkit. I know who they are. Yeah, and well, Li- and Limp Bizkit, they were clearly riding a high two years after Rolling. You know when. No one was buying their albums anymore. So, yeah, did they have some kind of deal? Were they like the CFO money of the early noughties? I just think that they really liked them. I think they had a good working relationship. It's like in um, in a few months' time, it won't be Limp Bizkit, it'll be Drowning Pool. Because mm. Drowning Pool would start doing Let the Bodies Hit the Floor. And then I'm pretty sure they used like five other Drowning Pool tracks for pay-per-view shortly thereafter. 
Well, uh, should, I mean, are we getting into this? Well, yes, uh, just one thing from Dave Meltzer, and it's, uh, sure. it just ties into the point that you made earlier when you said that a lot of people consider this to be the end of the Attitude Era. I personally consider Survivor Series 2001 to be the end of the Attitude Era because that really, or maybe you could argue Vengeance, because that was like the end of the wrestling war. That was when WWF moved into their new era. It was a post-WCW, post-ECW landscape. And although they were, and it was when they were just trying to find who they are in this world, and I, I, that's kind of their next era. You could also say that because, really, business-wise, it was here. Oh, it was here. Storyline, it was when you say. Mm-hmm. So it's almost you, you can make an argument that this is the end, but the epilogue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ends yeah. Absolutely. In uh, in Survivor Series. But uh, WrestleMania X Seven, Dave Meltzer called it in almost every way was the culmination of the wrestling boom. Wow. Poetic at the time. At the time. Wow. And yeah, and it's quite prophetic, really, because it really was the end of the wrestling boom. We haven't had that wrestling boom since. Well, he's got his sources, Big Daddy Dave. <laughs> Hasn't he just? The sources in time. He's got profits working for him. No one in the actual business, just soothsayers. So we um, have our opening video package, which you heard at the top of this podcast episode. And um, it's a video package that doesn't hype any of the matches on the card. It just talks about, like, it makes WrestleMania feel that it is a, what's the best way to put this? Just a life-changing event. Mm. It's the one time of the year where the world stops. Politicians set aside their petty differences. Families come together. You know, brothers and sisters who've been squabbling for the other 364 days stop their shouting and sit down in what appears to be a Michael Bay movie. Yeah. It is it's a bit like that bit in Armageddon actually. When like he has that sort of montage of people just sort of coming together because the world is going to end. Looking or in Independence Day or any kind of film like that where you cut around the world to see people crowding around the little monitor to see the president say it's all okay again. Yeah. And yeah. It, and it, it's, it's sort of and you've got Freddie Blassie doing the uh the, the, the talking and you've got all like the classic moments of Wrestlemania like Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant like the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan and Yokozuna winning the WWF mm. Championship at Wrestlemania which I did go huh really? Yoko? That's where we're going? So, so you've got those clips in the VO but then you've also got like we mentioned from, from the Michael Bay movie those and it looks like stock footage <laughs> of people watching screens. Like these days, you just type into a website, Shutterstock maybe, people watching screens. Yeah. And you'll get a, a list of things, you'll download them. From the filters, you would press orange, dusty. Yes. And uh, that's the, none of these people are shown to be watching wrestling or having any connection with wrestling, apart from the clips that are intercut between them. It's quite bizarre that there's like, at one point there's even some some women in a Middle Eastern-style country partying around a tree in the middle of a desert place holding a tiny portable TV. Yeah, because they want to see the gimmick Battle Royal. <laughs> and it ends, it ends with Freddie Blassie calling, it's calling it WrestleMania, a celebration of life. I'm like, steady on, lads, it's WrestleMania. It's not, this isn't the end of the world, nor yeah. the beginning of one. It's WrestleMania. I know it's the biggest one of all time, but let's just stall our horses a bit. And I don't think you you can call it a celebration of life with some of the things that happen on this show. <laughs> Particularly 
the McMahon match. Well, we'll come on to that, shall we? Um, so we uh, then are shown WWF New York. We are in... <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. This is presented by Snickers Cruncher Bar. Yeah, presented by Snickers Cruncher Bar. Get get some nuts. Um, we are from live from the Houston Astrodome, but we are also live from WWF New York. And I actually heard a really interesting comment about um, WWF New York, which didn't come from Bruce Pritchard, who is oh. usually, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to say that he just speaks the words that Vince wants him to speak. I would never say a thing like that. However, he is—he has been down on WWF New York at the time, at times on on his show. But I had a really interesting point from someone else. It was um, on Kevin on uh, from How to Wrestling, where he had heard elsewhere. Uh, I had it on his podcast, but he had read it somewhere else. That the idea of opening up a restaurant in Times Square is not to make money. That's what because uh, everyone's like, oh, it was the biggest money loser that they had outside of the XFL. But like the point they made was like no one every restaurant that's in Times Square doesn't make money. You just do it as a name recognition thing. You just do it to say we have a presence in Times Square. We have a presence in New York. And I've never thought of WWF New York that because I've always considered it to be like, huh, that was that idiotic thing where they just lost loads of money and then they tried to turn it into a nightclub. They tried to they tried to open up a sports bar that only showed WWF sports. It wouldn't even show any other sports. And then the service was rubbish and the hamburgers were crap and really expensive. Yeah, I mean, I it I wouldn't do it if if I <laughs> if I was a business owner. Well, I guess I am. You are. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do something with overhead costs that large. You wouldn't open up Wrestle Talk New York. No, no. Uh, maybe Wrestle Talk Dagenham High Street. <laughs> but the uh, but then again, I don't own the most successful wrestling promotion of all time. No, so, well, hey, yeah, that, that is that's true. where we differ. On commentary, we have good old Jr. Jim Ross and man alive, here he is. Paulie Dangerously, Paul Heyman. My, might be my favourite commentary duo of all time, Jim Ross and Paul Heyman. Mm. I love these two together. Mm. Heyman says it's his first ever WrestleMania. He's very excited to be there. I, so I was excited. I remember, you know what? I don't remember Heyman and Ross fondly because back then I was, I was in the world of innocence and I didn't really get... Heyman, he just came across as like an obnoxious person. But now I, I realise the brilliance he was working. He's he's an old school heel, uh, but uh, I just I don't think they gel together well, audibly. Mm. However, when you see them on screen and they're both talking to the camera directly and they bounce off each other and Heyman has his facial reactions, they're brilliant. Yeah. But when you just hear them in an audio form during a match. They do sound like they're just having separate conversations with themselves. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's really. I mean, I was, I was an ECW fan. I was an ECW. I don't want to call myself a tape trader, but I would borrow tapes from people, which is essentially like trading tapes. Um, and uh, so I was. I knew who Paul Heyman was, and I knew what ECW was. And ECW. I I loved ECW. I thought it was a really really cool thing. So when Heyman came on commentary on WWF and started name dropping ECW all the effing time like he owned the company, which he did, it was like, it was really cool. I'm like, oh man, I know. And I, I just instantly warmed to him because I, 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 I liked Paul and I liked the fact that he kept mentioning a company that I really enjoyed. Even though he's a bad guy. Even though he's a bad guy. Um, do you know where J- uh, Jerry Lawler was? Well, this was during the time he was always in my heart, as <laughs> he still is today. Uh, wasn't this was when his girlfriend the cat or was it his wife uh, his wife was fired yes so she, he walked out yes too. she had been fired um so i mean i've, I've got i've 
I did quite a bit of extensive research into this because I, I find the whole thing fascinating. So, w so Lawler left the WWF when they released his wife, the cat, a.k.a. Stacey Carter. While you do this, I'm going to Google Stacey Carter. Um, they then separated in November 2001 and were divorced in 2003. Um, f uh, this is quite a sad story, really, because Jerry Lawler did not want to break up with Stacey Carter. He did not want to break up with the cat. You know, he left his job in protest of her being fired and when they broke up he he wrote a lot of open letters on his websites begging for her to come back it's really sad like you go through the newsletters at the time and like they kind of like reprint all of these open letters and these wow. these these things that he had he had written to her and it's actually it's quite sad there were rumors at the time that they had signed a deal with wcw before they closed their doors but um and wcw.com even teased that the pair of them were coming into the company before Vince McMahon bought them and, and you know they shut their doors um, but they also teased that they were signing Sabu as well um, and I but I can't find anything else concrete about that I, other than I've I read on a forum that WCW.com teased them coming in I couldn't find anything concrete um, Lawler said in an interview after his release that he believed the cat was fired because she was getting a big push and China didn't like that. Ooh. China and Cat had been paired together. She was essentially like mini-me. She was like a mini version of China. And apparently China did not like the fact that A, she was being moved to the women's division, and B, that the Cat was getting bigger reactions than she was, particularly uh, after the Cat had exposed her breasts live on pay-per-view at Armageddon 1999. So she became quite the... She became mm. quite popular among adolescent males. Um, and here's an interesting one, actually, which I didn't know. Apparently, Stacey Carter had got an offer from Playboy to do a po uh, to do a, a spread in there the same way that China had done and Lawler claims that China didn't want another WWF female wrestler to pose in the magazine because quote it was her thing wow yeah this is really like we are in China egomania at the moment egomania running wild and it was quite short lived egomania running wild as we'll discuss when we come to her match yeah well Bruce uh, Bruce Pritchard always mentions how difficult she was to work with mm. now she thought you know the ego mainly to the extent where she thought she should definitely be fighting in the men's division not only that she um a lot of the reports um from people who worked in the companies is in like dirt sheet reporting although the dirt sheet reported this as well she when negotiating a contract kept arguing was like why am i not i should be paid the same as the rock and steve austin which I mean, he, I mean, he can't scoff at it. She was a big star in the company. She was getting incredibly high reactions, but she was not selling tickets the way that Steve Austin and The Rock yeah. were. People did not buy this pay-per-view to see her match with Ivory. People bought this pay-per-view for the gimmick Battle Royal, the hardcore three-way with Raven, and just so happened to be The Rock and Steve Austin. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I was Googling a bit there because I thought, I thought Stacey Carter went on to have a cameo in 40-Year-Old Virgin. No, that's that that's DDP's that ex-wife. It's Kimberly Page who's in that movie. There you go. Yeah, I could have told you So, we are... Actually, should we, should we actually start talking about the show now, 32 minutes in? Um, or, or we could say just a few words on that set. Come on, WrestleMania. <laughs> What's that? You call that a set? I like the WrestleMania X7 set. Do you set. even set WrestleMania <laughs> X7? God, it, I mean, it's not even as big as the greatest Royal Rumble. Hey, nothing is. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's just like... Just, and actually, just so you know there, Patreon backers, that'll probably be the only time we review the greatest Royal Rumble in any audio format. Yeah. So... <laughs> glad. That's... Really glad I spent my 
Friday evening <laughs> watching that. So that little bit of review you just got there, that's what you pay your patronage money for. Oh, God. <laughs> that is exactly what I needed two and a half days into not eating. Oh, mate. Well, let's not talk about that no. because we have got our first match on the card here, which is Chris Jericho versus William Regal. That's right. There's a pause coming because we've got a video package. Hello and welcome to the first official day of the Regal Regime. And now Regal has made this match. Jericho versus Empire right to censor. This is nothing more than punishment. It's a match set up by Commissioner Regal. Handicap table match. Dudley's in Y2J. Here's the 3D. I think, especially after tonight, that your favorite letter is the letter P. At WrestleMania, Chris Jericho will be facing myself. You cannot besmirch soil. The commissioner's team. Hey, wait a minute. They're, they're doing Jericho and doing the tire one more time for the one-upsmanship on the commissioner. This Sunday, I will not only become the new Intercontinental Champion, but I will make Chris Jericho feel like he's been hacked up with a bloody hatchet. So essentially, Chris Jericho pissed into Regal's tea, and that's why they're having yeah. this match. So do you remember when we did, and it's only a couple of months removed, when we did Armageddon 2000, Jericho was feuding with Kane over coffee. Yeah. You think this is about coffee? This feud? You think this is about tea? No, it's not. It's because Chris Jericho is a little toe rag and I need to teach him a lesson. That's a good impression. I, I nearly went full iconics there. Like, <laughs> oh, your, your impression's so good. It's like they're almost here. If I close my eyes, I can hear them. Uh, so, well, let's be honest. It isn't just about tea. It's about urinating in, into someone's teeth. That's right. He That's outrageous. Spot of pee, Regal, as that one sign cleverly said. That is full-on attitude era. Here's our dick in your face. <laughs> Here's <laughs> my dick in your in warm your, drink. In your tea. Yeah. So uh, William Regal is the WWF commissioner at this point. because so all of all WWF... Yes. Of course it would be, because Raw and SmackDown aren't separate things, no. right? Yeah, so it's yeah. All, he is the WWF commissioner. Because I've was... written down Raw general manager, but that is not right. <laughs> that I'm is so conditioned. That is 2018 yeah. uh, Ollie Davis writing notes there. It was previously Mick Foley, but uh, Vince yes. McMahon removed him from that position because Vince McMahon's an evil heel. And uh, he put uh, William Regal in his position. And William Regal was an amazing commissioner because he had a quality office. Because we mock the general managers nowadays because they don't have offices. They just have staging areas that might have a TV and a poster for Pure Country, Golden Heart or whatever it was. A plant. A plant, But yeah. not a fan plant. <laughs> uh, they weren't fake... plants though, were they, Ollie? Let's be honest well, now. One of them wasn't verified. One of them wasn't verified. <laughs> and, uh, but he, like, he had a big table. He had like a telephone. He had like pictures of the Queen and pictures of England around him. It felt like a genuine office. We get to see his office a little bit later on when we have some uh, racially insensitive stereotypes. Mm. But we'll, we'll come on to that later. So anyway, the heat for Regal is real. He comes out to massive, massive booze. Jericho comes out to massive, massive cheers. Yeah, I love, I love both of their old entrances. I love the intercontinental title belt design. Yeah, it's wicked, the isn't it? The old non-white yeah. version. Yeah, with uh, my sort of like oval um, like championship plates like mm. that. And and Regal looks so weird without the... I've become so accustomed to him as NXT 
commissioner or general manager? Uh, general manager. Authority figure uh, with long hair that seen him with short hair. I was like, oh, yeah, this is how <laughs> William Regal used to look. Yeah. Uh, so was what, what about backstage? Do you know much about how Regal got that position? I don't. I'm genuinely asking because, the, you know, he's meant to be very good buddies with Triple H. Yes. Was there some jockey in there? I, I don't know if there was jockeying for position. If my memory recalls, I, I haven't looked into this, I'll be honest with you, but if my memory serves of what I've kind of read about Regal and what I've I've, I've heard being said about him is that this was almost like this was essentially his reward because he had very, very bad um, addiction problems that he was battling with when he came into the WWF. That's why he was given the um, the real man's man gimmick. That was essentially the way he looked at it. It was like, that was a punishment and it was what I deserved because you came in, you had all these issues, we're going to punish you until you get yourself sorted out. So it's he, a great gimmick, though. It was a great gimmick. Actually, this is our second William Regal match on the um, Russell Rumble Extra. He's a man. Such a man. And so he went away, he got into rehab, he got himself better, he got clean of all of his addictions, he came back, and Vince McMahon welcomed him back into the company. And this was sort of like a reward for him, really. He got a big singles push, and he became the commissioner of the WWF. What a bizarrely human way for WWE and Vince to treat someone. Yeah. You, know. you don't hear about that kind of narrative comeback arc that much. Unless you're Jeff Jarrett. That was a long play. <laughs> yeah, it was. That was a long told story. Yeah, Jeff Jarrett, the smartest man in wrestling. He yeah. he really played the long game to walk back into WWF doors. Uh, so so this match gets uh, it kicks off early. It does right right away with Jericho diving over the top rope, nearly missing Regal yeah, as well. Almost went straight over Regal's head. Yeah, but like the great thing is the commentators put put like calling out as it is. Jr. goes, oh, I don't think he got much of that on. Uh, Regal there like yeah that's what I saw thank you whereas opposed to today's commentators were oh devastating move from so and so I'm not sure he got all of it but I'm pretty sure that when he did this it did hit him here and that's why he fell down yeah yeah uh, but Regal's chest Cor- do you hear Corey Graves so on another greatest Royal Rumble notes mm. when Jeff Hardy whiffed that whisper in the wind on Jinder. Corey Graves at one point tried to say, I'm pretty, I think when Jeff landed, the impact of him landing the floor knocked Jinder's legs over and that's why he fell down. It's the momentum. <laughs> it's, the, it's the air spin. That's why it created yeah. extra momentum when he crashed out. Sorry, you were going to say. Oh, I was going to say Regal's chest is red early on. Oh, what? From some, and uh, I forgot this. JR does not call a chop a chop. A chop is a knife edge chop. Oh, yes. All the, oh, those knife edge chops from... D- Love that. Yeah, because I don't think I started calling them chops until I started going to indie shows in the early teens. Mm. Whereas back, like, I did... A chop was a knife edge chop to me <laughs> back in the day. That was one word. You could not separate <laughs> those two bits. Uh, we get a lion salt by Jericho, but Regal gets the knees up. And then here comes... Um, I mean, I've written this all in caps because I know that it will have annoyed you... Referee takes off the turnbuckle pad right in front of the referee, and Timmy White does nothing about it. He does sweet F.A. (laughs) about this heelish act. I mean, you you kind of painted a very existential picture there because you said the referee removed the turnbuckle in front of the referee, which made the referee angry. No, well, actually, the referee didn't get angry. Well, yeah, well, that bit is true. Regal removed the pad. I do apologize. Regal removed the pad in front of the referee who then did nothing about yes, it. Yeah. Well, you're exactly right. That's exactly what I've written in my notes. <laughs> That's not cool. Why is the referee... Like, the referee sees it clearly, and he's, he's like... He's looking oh. at it. He's like, don't do that. Yeah, he's like, uh, 
don't don't do that. Oh, don't do it. But it's not like he puts it back on. No. I thought, like, where's the rest of this spot? Because now the referee should be concerned putting the turnbuckle cover back on. But I was like, okay, I was annoyed about that. But JR was pedestrian. <laughs> Where is JR going? Come on, man. He's, a, he's removed the he's removed the turnbuckle. Oh, is JR here? Yeah, well, JR's no, not the in. best at ex- impressions. But JR's just like, oh, man, that's not nice. Yeah, and then Regal rams Jericho into the exposed turnbuckle in front of Tim White, and Tim White does nothing about it. He's like, oh, mate. Avoid that exposed turnbuckle. It's it's exposed. Yeah, um, Tim White essentially says to Jericho, I'd watch out if I were you there, yeah. mate. That turnbuckle's exposed now. That will hurt if you go into it. Yeah, so that was... Uh, I did not enjoy that at all. No, absolutely not. Uh, so, um, double underhook suplex off the top rope by Regal. Like that. That was a, a that great was move. Excellent. Regal stretch, but Jericho gets to the ropes. Jericho made to come back with some, not chops, knife edge chops. I've just written mm. chops in my notes, clearly incorrectly. Um, and then he knocks Regal into the exposed turnbuckle, hits the lion salt, and he gets the win. I'm not sure I've ever seen someone get pinned off the lion salt apart from this one match. Yeah, especially because the crowd was so into the walls of Jericho. Uh, there was a spot earlier on like quite uh, so just before the turnbuckle was removed turnbuckle pad was removed where he, he's he's close to putting the walls in and the crowd are going crazy and i just thought oh my god remember when wrestling moves used to be over to this extent just like the idea of the walls getting locked in was yeah. enough to get everyone up off the seat two minutes into a match there are three submission moves in the wwf at this point that garner those incredible oh, reactions yeah, which yeah. is the walls of jericho the crippler crossface and the ankle lock and yeah. all three of them when they get locked in because we hear it a bit later on in one of our other matches we have tonight and and that's why those three working together is so cool mm. because it's just a battle of those things uh but but yeah it's, it's it was a flat finish it was a really flat finish because the crowd wanted to see the walls i wanted to see the walls as much as i love uh setup moves getting the win sometimes don't do that at wrestlemania this to me was a good tv match which was nicely worked around jericho's previous shoulder injury that they had set up in the video package and on commentary but the turnbuckle spot was completely unnecessary really and quite aggravating and it was a flat finish well once again ollie davis echoes the sentiments Ah, of big daddy dave Meltzer. i mean i've written here a decent opener but not exactly a barn burner dave Meltzer would write crowd wasn't ready for the match to end what did you give it i gave it two and a quarter (sighs) two stars from uh, big daddy dave uh figure four not as bad as i'd been okay so brian alvarez in his figure four thing it's funny because he essentially says right guys there's no wcw or ecw anymore so we're a bit light on news so i'm going to tell you about my terrible experience i had ordering this (laughs) pay-per-view and then a good like brian likes a moan and then a good quarter of the newsletter is him explaining like step by step what happened when he was trying to order the pay-per-view long story short he couldn't order it so he had to drive to his friend's house to uh to watch the rest of the pay-per-view so he missed the opener and then watched it back uh, and, and wrote not as bad as i'd been led to believe but short and not particularly exciting star and three quarters and the torch uh said the lion salt remains one of the weakest looking finishers in wrestling two stars from the torch yeah i mean all those guys are giving their rating in the time like that that this was this was almost 20 years ago like you said so that that two stars is technically lower than my two stars mm, yeah. so by today's standards where you've got six star matches and stuff like that if they if this match was put on in dave Meltzer's eyes i imagine that would be a one star match right? especially if this was put on at wrestlemania 
and yeah. considering what WrestleMania is now, where it's like every match has to be this super duper, you know, unless it's like a two minute match because you need to be the buffer between Triple H and Ronda Rousey and whatever comes next. In every, it's, I think like WrestleMania comes with the biggest standards mm. nowadays. Um, backstage, a limo arrives with the license plate WCW1, and Shane McMahon steps out. He, of course, bought WCW a week ago live, uh, in quotes, on Monday Night Raw. Mm. I mean, big limo, maybe some of his friends. <laughs> oh, 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 we can talk about those friends that thrilled. we Thrilled. <laughs> Absolutely thrilled to be here, guys. <laughs> Uh, we'll talk about those in a little bit. Backstage, the APA are drinking and smoking. And then I've just written here, uh, and I've called him JBL, Bradshaw. Bradshaw talks about how much he loves Texas. And, I mean, from what I can gather, in between the various like words that I could just pick out of his very thick accent, he loves Texas a lot. This is the one of Arena where I saw Big Bear Billy Barton hit someone with an iron, and I saw this natural day, and now this is the same arena. My God, it's Texas. I love Texas. We're over here, and I saw him when I was five years old. It's basically that for about ten minutes. Do you think when people listen to this back in 17 years, they'll take that little moment as your version of the Rock's Asian impression? <laughs> back then, people thought, thought it was okay to make fun of people from, from, Texas. America. <laughs> yeah, from Texas. I was mainly looking at Jacqueline's chest for the majority of this. Just not not through any sexual intrigue, but just fascinated by physics. Yeah. What's going on there? It's the Attitude Era, man. Attitude Era of enormous, gappy breasts. Yeah. They are like, they're just two globes attached with, to a chest. Yeah, with like half a foot between them. Not yeah. half a, good God, not like... <laughs> the plastic surgery didn't extend to putting a leg in between boobs but no. like just such a weird moat of skin yes uh, very odd so anyway, no clip like anti-cleavage very strange I've, I've written here uh, Bradshaw talks about how much he loves Tex- how much he loves Texas he talks about things that only he could care about Jackie is also there but you know when people talk so passionately about stuff it was a good promo it was a very good promo I he thought. gets fired up yeah and he ends with, we've got a match, let's go. And that's what sends them out into the next match. And playing that to the crowd of Texans in the Astrodome in Houston, I thought was a great way to make people care about this otherwise rather pointless match. Well, all right, it's WrestleMania. What is this match all about? Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just because with the last you know, 10 or so years, WrestleMania really has been ingrained into us that, like, every single match on a WrestleMania card is a match that matters. You and I, when we were doing our preview for WrestleMania 34, we're just like, it's a stacked card. Like, every single match on here has had build, it has had storyline, it has had this, it has had that, it's had the other. Everything on WrestleMania feels like it deserves to be on WrestleMania. So much so that a lot of the lads and lasses that do deserve spots on WrestleMania can't even get on the card. And here we are, WrestleMania X7, thought to be the greatest WrestleMania of all time. And our next match is Right to Censor taking on, in a six-man tag, the APA and Taz. Mm. The APA and Taz. What a random combination. It's very odd, isn't it? Uh, and you're totally right. I just skipped through everything. And this is the, this is the sore thumb by quite a way. Uh, 11 matches in total, six titles in the line. 
I think no one would have minded if we dropped this because you've got the huge hometown pop with Taker later on. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like this match went ages. You could have given Jericho and Regal more time where they could have actually found their next gear and, mm. and put on a really decent opener. And and, and this that was for the IC title. Yeah, I don't exactly. think we mentioned that. Oh no, I don't think we did. But either way, like this is just it's it's a raw match that that people paid for to see on TV totally. on on pay per view rather. Stephen Richards comes out to try and cut a promo. The right to censor does not like. And then Taz's music uh, plays and said he gets interrupted. Taz, at this point, is a commentator. Is he? Yes, he's already doing commentary on SmackDown. Um, he had gone over to the UK to do one of the UK pay-per-views with JR. He has already established himself mm. as a commentator by this point and not an active wrestler. Well, he wasn't really an active wrestler in this match, to be <laughs> honest. He, he got worked over for, for three quarters yeah. for a Bradshaw hot tag. Um, but this was our first mention, Luke, of WWF The Music Volume 5. <laughs> oh, yeah. So when Taz's entrance music, which is so freaking good, came yeah. out, next to his name bar... Next to his name bar was a little WWF The Music Volume 5 graphic available in stores now. Oh, man, maybe we should just do a review of that. Um, as I a, had as, it. I had it as I well. I listened the and, hell out And of you it. know why I had it? For that Asian rap bit in the middle that's Al Raven's music my boy Raven was on it sure uh, so anyway yeah RTC uh, attacked them from the start but um, Taz and APA beat them up um, Stevie tries to get involved but Jackie DDT's him uh, JR calls um, Stevie Richards all white socks um, which I always really liked as a, as a great insult I loved the right to censor and yes. I, I look back on it now with very fond memories I think it's a really great gimmick for that time um, and I think that Stephen Richards just had those little notes in it that made it work like wearing white socks and just looking like a complete dork he looked like so he had the the full-on shirt but the rest of the gang had the sleeves cut off so they were kind of vest shirts with ties and you know what they look intimidating Mm. they don't look like stupid and that's that's why because it was played so straight yeah and when they wrestle the good father, Val, Ven- Val Venus is a very good worker. Isn't he just? Uh, Bull Buchanan. <laughs> Not so much. But, but Val Venus, I thought, was, was really, really solid. He's got real force behind everything he does. But they wrestle, all three of them, maybe not Bull Buchanan, they wrestle so viciously, like, like they're zealots convinced mm. of their own cause. Oh, yeah, it really is. So I, I do... They weren't just a comedy thing, and they could have been like an even more solid mid card like act like they could have been in the mix with the hardies and the oh they were for you know for a a period of time and uh, bobby cannon i think is pretty much the only member of this team that believes the message as well like uh, that's that's the apparently the the story behind this is why he was in the group oh what in real life in real life he was (laughs) like that the the wwf is is crass and it's you know he's got a young daughter and he wouldn't want her watching this product Godfather, um, Charles Wright, he hated the gimmick. He thought it was stupid because he liked the God. The Godfather was him in real life. It's just that's how. He, I mean, he wasn't a pimp, but that's what he was in real life. He was just all about, you know, rolling up a fatty for this pimp daddy and you know selling women. That's what he liked to do in his spare time. I don't know if you've seen on uh, Reddit, but they've had a thirty days of thirty awful wrestling t-shirts oh, from the attitude lovely. Era thing going. APA always pounding ass. That was that was the one I was going to bring up. Yeah. <laughs> they had one for the good the Godfather. I can't remember what it was though, but yeah, always pounding ass yeah. was the APA's one. I've tried to come. Uh, I've tried to describe Jacqueline's boobs again. Here, <laughs> actually, in my notes, I've run. It's like she, you know fake boob bibs. 
that someone would wear on a stag do yep. for, for Americans. That's your bachelor's party, just as like a joke. So a man would wear these large, fake plastic-looking boobs. Low, low, low. It's like she's wearing that over fake boobs that she's already got. <laughs> because her, che- that her sternum doesn't look real either. If yeah. you look at it closely enough, nothing else makes sense. Like when you think about the word chair and you try and spell the word chair, but then you're like, is that really how chair's spelt? Everything else kind of falls down in, into its component parts. Jacqueline's boobs are quantum mechanics. Oh, well, they I mean, make sense from far away, but when you get up close, <laughs> like, how's this? How's this hanging together? Just to go uh, one conversation back about terrible T-shirts. As a lad in this match, you had one of my favourite terrible T-shirts from the Attitude Era, which was Val, Mr. Val Venus, who had a T-shirt which I can't remember the exact wording. I'm pretty sure was just like locked, cocked, and ready to explode. But it was written in cum. Like it was like wow. the, the wording was meant to look like it had been written, like it had been splooged. Whose t-shirt was that? Valvenus, because right. he was a porn star. Yeah. You see, that is that is horrific. Yeah, um, I mean, I've, I've written here. Why didn't Bob Buchanan get more? He just seems like the sort of guy that Vince would have really liked. He's you know he's tall. He's a hoss, as mm. Jr. You know would put it. Uh, but Taz suplexes him and then gets a big boot for his troubles. Uh, Heyman does talk about Taz being a former ECW champion, which is one of the only few times, apart from the time he actually was ECW champion on TV, and got beat clean in the ring by Triple H, who was the WWF champion. <laughs> oh, Vince is always putting over the competition. Uh, Bradshaw tags in and runs wild, and what a hot tag it Great is. Great hot tag. Oh, wasn't it just? He just goes in and just starts clotheslining people. Val tries to crossbody Bradshaw, but he just catches him and gives him a fallaway slam. That that was that was really good. I like. But so just before that, he. Uh, he power he, he he sort of flips Goodfather over his head, but Goodfather does not sort of he kind of botches it. But Val is just really impressive, bumping and feeding properly in this hot tag. And then when Bradshaw catches him for that like fall away slam thing, Val, just these tiny bits, he is still hitting Bradshaw while he's yeah being held in that crossbody position He's trying to get out of it trying, trying to get out of it but Bradshaw flips him over anyway yeah because because uh, Bradshaw's not in the mood to sell today no. he's, he wants to come in here and toss some people around because this is Texas He's a, they toss some people around uh, Godfather or Goodfather I should say um, I always remember this like he always, he still did the hoe train but now it's like a heel move because people mm. boo it and it's like oh it's the shades of the old godfather in there but now I watch it with a more cynical eye I was like he can be bothered to learn a new move no he no, can, no he could be bothered to get a new move over I... because if he really <laughs> cared if he really cared he would have added something to it like he'd have done it and then flipped off the crowd or something they're like I'm not doing this anymore and then charge at them you are right you are right I can't really defend it now. <laughs> that would have been much better. But I, when he did it, because it's like a, it's a smaller chugga, version. Chugga, 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 chugga. It's just like a little shuffle. And to me, it was kind of like how Sami Zayn changed his physicality for his entrance. Mm. But, but you're right. He should have done more. He should have done more. Um, double power bomb uh, by Bob Buchanan and the Godfather to Bradshaw. Uh, he misses another hoe train. Then Bradshaw hits the clothesline from hell. APA and Taz win. Farouk didn't even tag in at all. We haven't even mentioned his name. Mm. Since they did their promo, to this point, we have not mentioned Farouk's name of the APA. He didn't tag in. It was a Raw match. Damn. Yeah. Damn uh, indeed. Taz, yeah, and Taz did nothing apart from get worked over yeah. for half the match. It was, did, it was all Bradshaw. He did a suplex. He did a suplex. Yeah. Uh, and then Heyman puts over Snickers. Oh, my God. This is the most excited. <laughs> that he- that- and Heyman's, like, pretty decent on commentary all night. Uh, but he gives this Snickers plug his all. 
crunch this. <laughs> it's just like deafening. Crunch this. Everybody comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And just, oh, yeah, we're doing a, a link now. Well, yeah. Um, well, no, we haven't got a video package. Um, oh, no, I meant a link. That's that's what Heyman's doing. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, so we've got. No, um, I know what we've got next. <laughs> so figure four gave that match. They said it was short and not very good. Gave it a star. What did you give it? I gave it uh, one point five. Uh, the torch said nothing special, but good that it was kept short. Also a star. Uh, and the Wrestling Observer called uh, said it was nothing to the match and gave it a half a star. Wow, I'm really generous you compared re- to everyone yeah. else. It really does uh, poo poo on the point you made earlier about um, star, ma- star yeah, ratings yeah, being yeah. different in different times. Well, I, I just, unless it's actively horrible, I'm not going to give it a star. Like if, if I gave it a star, it would have to actively damage people in the match. Mm. So yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I ba- don't know what the rules are. Backstage, Linda McMahon is being pushed around in a wheelchair by Trish Stratus. We'll dive into this story and all of its intricacies a bit later on in the show. Oh, I think we need to at least talk well, about Trish's heels. <laughs> they look like they've been made from the melted down remains of Shockmaster's hat. <laughs> These boots will shock you because they are the shock masters helmets and shoes. Yeah. Oh man, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. You're completely right. They are. The, they look like all, Ziggy Stardusts. First of all, they're absolutely enormous platform heels. Like oh, Trish Stratus is as tall as the Undertaker now. It's crazy, and they are just blindingly silver <laughs> and sparkly. And sp- and she's got a, a hat. So she's got the cowboy hat on on top of that. Then the the sort of ankle length leather coat and underneath that just like a belt on yep. i suppose she looks fantastic she is wearing the tightest of tight tops and um oh, i mean i was a trish mark when i mean here it's still a trish mark it's 2001 i'm 15 years old of course i'm a trish mark like mm. i absolutely love trish at this point um and speaking of sparkly things stephanie walks in to tell trish that she's late and stephanie is wearing a top that has been written on in diamante Daddy's little girl. Mm. The one of the more creepier angles uh, of one of the more creepier elements of this feud, I would argue. I mean, that's that's saying something. Yeah, for quite a creepy feud. <laughs> she certainly is. Uh, she uh, Stephanie says that Vince will kick Shane's butt because it's a PG company. I mean, it's not at the moment, but it soon will be. And Stephanie's just trying to get the uh, the practice in. She's going to kick Shane's butt, and she uh, asks um, Trish to crush ice with her hands later on when celebrating the victory because they're heels, and that's how you crush ice when you're telling people that you are. Um, so oppressing. Yeah, well, it was that was a weird line, uh, and get some strawberries as well. It was some weird demands yeah. that kind of. But she she delivered them with enough annoying exactly, uh, charisma yeah. that it was okay. And do you know why she was annoying in this segment? Because she is Daddy's little girl. She, she's very uh, Stephanie's very good here, but a completely different presence to what she is now. Oh, isn't it just yeah. like you know now she's got all this authority, but back then it's like I'm a bratty. This is how she should be getting her receipt, being knocked over. <laughs> but now she's just like this this god god presence yeah, among the rest of the roster that can only be beaten by Triple H and Ronda Rousey. Also, how old is she here? Because she excellent question. Because I I mean. Her her boobs get a lot larger, so I imagine she hasn't no, gone through maturity. Yet. No, they. She well, she's forty one now. So do the maths at minus seventeen. She's 
she's foot so she's like 23 24 okay there you go thank well, you that's very much. weird then because like no, she, how- got, she got her boob job later on this year oh, okay, so okay. It's, it's during the invasion she got her breast enlargements and um to a i'd, I'd say an almost ridiculous degree she got uh, breast enlargements they turned it into the part fashion. they they turned it into part of the angle with chris jericho when she was feuding with him and um he pointed out on tv um and that's when he got had one of his more favorite famous lines when he's feuding with rhino and uh, they were having a match at SummerSlam, I think it was. And he says, at SummerSlam, I'm going to get that dust, disgusting, snarling beast. And I'm going to get you too, Rhino. <laughs> That's, uh, you, you kind of no-sold my joke about Stephanie having to hit maturity for her boobs to grow larger. I, that's because I wanted to hit you with a fact. <laughs> no, no, I, I, feel, I feel like I came across as too Jerry Lawler just then. <laughs> well, after all, she is daddy's little girl. <laughs> Okay, let's do this. <laughs> oh, mate. Raven versus Kane versus Big Show for the hardcore title. I mean, I feel like we're peaking too early. We don't, do we want to talk about the match of the night right now? We'll have to in chronological <laughs> order. My first note here is in caps. I've just written, Raven is the best. Mine is, Raven's music is also <laughs> on WWF The Music Volume 5. It oh. tells you there in the bottom left. Cool, 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 cool. Oh, what music it was as well. Oh, man. Raven's just the best. He looks awesome. He comes down to the ring with his shopping cart full of crap. There's a flipper. There's a Frankenstein's monster doll. There's a plant. He was doing it before Dean Ambrose did it in his feud with Chris Jericho. Raven, what a trendsetter. I remember not liking Raven because he ECW was kind of just like this weird, sticky place (laughs) that... That smelly people like. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know what it was. It was just this weird thing over there. Yeah. Ooh, it looks dangerous and spark. Like, like me with my long spiky, hair. Spiky. Yeah. Uh, and Raven was a kind of like the the image of that. He certainly so was when he, when he walked down. I was like, mm. um, there was an amazing, amazing line from Jr. That at the time would have just passed everyone by, but it's just incredible in hindsight. JR, when Kane is making his entrance, JR calls Kane the future of this business. Mate, you've got no idea. He had a title match 17 years later. He was still in the effing main event in 17 years' time. JR had no, no idea, mate. He, the, the exact, I've written down the same thing. This young man, Kane, might be the future of the company. Well, he wasn't young even then. This is 2001. <laughs> He's been Kane for what, like... Two years, but no, more three than that. Years he debuted in '97. Okay, four years. Yeah, and he it was Isaac Yankin before then. Yeah. He was, you know, he was the Christmas creature. Um, so anyway, this match just like it's a hardcore match. It's it's a proper attitude era hardcore match. Raven tries to attack Kane uh, with a sign, but Kane is a sign type Pokemon, so it has no effect. <laughs> uh, Big Show slowly lumbers down to the ring, and then Kane uh, tosses Raven onto Big Show, but Show catches him, and then Raven jumps off the top rope with a clothesline. It's it's you know it's it's going at all guns blazing at this point because the story of the match is that Kane and Big Show are two giant monsters, and Raven is not a giant monster, but he is. He's the scrappy do of this match, I guess. Just it, trying to run away. It's it's a, it's a really nice story, uh, and I've I've just noted the the hardcore title graphic. Oh, I love which it. Which is the word championship, but then the word hardcore falls down and crushes the word championship. <laughs> so uh, good. I've also written down this. I was two and a half days into a fast. Yeah, <laughs> I just written that. God, I want a pizza. <laughs> 
because this was like this is this is a pizza match isn't it just i love this um do you know fun fact for you this is the third month in a row of patron exclusive podcast where big show has taken part in a triple threat match interesting he can't work an entire match by himself <laughs> i get uh and also he this wasn't i know shaved head big show now yeah that's in my head a lot i know long head the giant big show but weirdly i forgot about normal short hair big show yeah so i'm just like huh that's <laughs> that's this version of the big show so they quickly brawl into the crowd yep. and then go backstage yeah the cameras are trying to push through the crowd it feels so chaotic like just wild and chaotic because fans are like just jumping in the way that like nowadays they would have cleared a path so the wrestlers and the camera crew had a really easy like like you know access to the backstage area this is literally like they're just walking into the crowd and just like you know are, are kind of pushing people out of the way to get to the back uh kane throws raven into a wall which dents a little bit because i think it was made of biscuits uh and then kane gets slammed on some crates raven falls over while trying to run away and then show throws raven into a cage with the referee and he locks himself in that's a good idea it's a great plan that, yeah yeah Heyman really puts it over as well I was like what a great idea but then kane just opens the door yeah it really la- quickly it did not last long i mean like that but that to me is two three minutes of kane trying to get in yeah surely like, i think show was meant to lock the door but he like the door didn't lock so yeah. kane just like hit the door and then it opened i'd imagine that because i picture it more like kane wrestling the door and then pulling it off its hinges mm. so he can get in because you know he's the big red machine the big monster that was a shame because that idea had a lot more to it but kane here just looks so good oh. because he's his physique is so impressive. It's ginormous. And I just, I really miss the pre-demasking days. Yeah. Like those innocent days. When because he, even when yeah. I look at him here, I know what his face looks like. But back then, it was just otherworldly. He genuinely looks like a monster. He yeah. looks like an yeah, action yeah. figure monster that I would have had the real Ghostbusters chase around when <laughs> I was a child. Um, Raven tries to choke Kane with a hose, uh, and then Kane backdrops him into a chain link fence. Um, and then Kane is now choking Raven. Raven. Kane then throws Raven through a window. That looked that looked horrible. Oh, it looked wicked, didn't it? It looked yeah, awesome. Really cool. And then a uh, Big Show throws Kane through a door. Uh, and and then like uh, Kane gets Big Show in a choke slam choke slam position, and oh, just like the walls no no are... no no no. Before that, oh sorry, might be my my one of my favorite moments of this match. So <laughs> Big Show <laughs> throws Kane through the door, and then he, like he just slams him through it, and then he picks Kane up in a choke slam position, and he goes right here on the floor, <laughs> and then Kane choke slams him, and he goes. It's because the crowd reaction aren't there to kind of like drown out the stupid sounds that the wrestlers mm. make. It really makes every. I've watched this match, I'd say at least 20 odd times, because I've watched this pay per view numerous times. It makes me laugh every time. From right here on the floor to. Ah! Like every single. It makes me laugh every time. Yeah, that that's. When I first started going to a lot of indie shows, that was the first thing I noticed all the. Hey! <laughs> I'm just ah, this isn't. This sounds stupid. (laughs) Uh, But they, there's, 
after this cho- near choke some spot, they both fall through another wall. It's like King Kong Godzilla. Like it feels like a Japanese monster movie. Yeah. Just these two giants just falling through the building. I love this as a hardcore match, and these two giant behemoths just crashing through windows and falling through walls. And like the, it feels like the building is going to fall down because these two behemoths are just tossing each other hither and yonder. It's so great. But if you look up, you can see that this is a whole set that's been constructed because the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. walls do not go to the ceiling. <laughs> and the what I don't get, and the, some of these rooms, air quotes, are very sparsely. <laughs> I mean, if it, pretty much they were just, they were, they were writing up the templates for a raw GM office yeah. 17 years later. But I don't get why all these rooms exist. You, okay, so if you try and figure out the floor plan here, you've got a room that is only accessible by a window <laughs> yeah. and then a door, and then behind that you've got another room. I don't know where that leads on to. Then adjacent to that you've got this weird store cupboard bit. Um, have you ever played Resident Evil? It's you know it's it's just sure. like that man. It's like trying to make your way around Spencer Mansion. Anyway, this room that the Big Show and Kane fall into, mm-hmm. there is it's just a room with a table. Yep. And pills on. <laughs> There's a few little pill bottles. It's a doctor's room, man. It's like you know. Is because, that what that is? Because a lot of wrestlers get headaches. Not where some of the boys go. For, to get their headache medication for the, for the aspirins. Absolutely sure. yes. And then Raven, uh, it's hilarious because these two just like fall through a, like a wall. Raven just walks through a different door. Yeah. And and just starts to attack them. Um, like she, to Cash's castle, this bit. <laughs> it's a little bit. And then Raven gets into like a little golf buggy thing, and it just becomes like Raven Kart sixty four. Um, and he just starts like just driving away from these two guys. But Show gets onto the back of the cart, and it crashes. And do you want to hear a funny story here? So Raven tells a story. I don't know how true this is, but this is the story that Raven tells. That when he he wasn't meant to careen off, and but because of the sh- the weight of show, he just wasn't prepared for it, and like he just couldn't control the car, and it crashed. He ran over the power cable for the building, and nearly pulled it out of its socket. And Whoa. apparently, like, according to him, he says that after the match, he was told that if he'd have been like a couple of inches to the left or, you know, if he'd have gone any faster, he might have actually cut off, A, the power to the whole building and the pay-per-view feed, which would have just shut off the pay-per-view feed for everyone watching at home. Stuff like that makes me think, why is that a cable? (laughs) It's like, oh yeah, don't press this button. This is the button that implodes the universe. (laughs) Well, don't make a button for that then. (laughs) Have some backup wires. Uh, But this, this was really my favorite part of the match oh yeah that, so of course you have the the raven and big show bit but then the visual of kane <laughs> then getting in a golf cart buggy it's like donkey kong in mario yeah. kart and then the referee hanging on the back of it <laughs> yeah. oh god it, but I, I suppose because they only went round the corner kane didn't really need to get into that buggy no so i imagine they would have they would have driven on a lot further and there would have been an actual chase here i think there was meant to be like a collision as well because yeah i think they weren't raven a wasn't meant to crash and then b i don't think Kane knew that they had crashed because he just yeah. like speeds around the corner realizes that they're standing up tries to break raven tries to like stop himself but accidentally falls under the cart essentially and Kane essentially runs over his leg and raven screams out in genuine pain i d- to me it didn't look like it it touched him Apparently, like, well, Raven tells the story, and he did scream as, oh, like, right. that, oh, that, wow. it, that it did, like, I think rather than it's just, like, you know, when it's just, like, you get, like, caught mm. uh, with it. Uh, but Kane then throws Raven uh, into the match card. <laughs> Actually, I've got a Raven um, 
Raven gets thrown into Snapples, I've written mm. here. They've just got like lots of juice drinks set up. The boys will be really upset about that because they need their they need to be rehydrated after their matches. And JR has the all time call. There goes the Snapple. <laughs> That's where I've got Snapple from. There's nothing safe. <laughs> Kane throws Big Show into lettuce and the lettuce hits the camera and it's then just on the camera. There's mm. just a little bit of lettuce just dripping over it. Um, and then Kane throws Raven into the match cards and no one knows what match is coming next. Uh, and then they finally come back out onto the ramp. So this whole match has just been in this backstage area. The crowd like reawaken because the wrestlers come out up onto the stage. And it's at this point you can see like on the on the Titantron, they've got like the match card graphic. Yes. And they have purposefully designed it so that Raven is tiny compared to the giant Big Show and giant Kane. I'm glad you brought up these graphics because uh, the, the camera's quite close to them now because the wrestlers are up on the stage. And I just, good grief, these LED screen graphics of Big Show and Kane and, and Raven are so low resolution. <laughs> They're like a, they are like a little 16-bit game. It's like the, the porn images I used to have. <laughs> Back in the I, 2001. Yeah. Uh, so Kane throws... Uh, I've got to say the lettuce line again then. Uh, but Shane clotheslines Kane uh, and he goes to slam Raven off the stage. But Kane kicks them and they fall into a... I've written here, a glass thing. I'm not sure what yeah. it was. It was just a glass thing. Like in another world, that would be an aquarium tank. <laughs> don't it, know why it was there. I'm pretty... I think the story goes that Vince had said to someone, Oh, I've got a spare aquarium. I'll bring it in for you. I'll give it to you at the pay-per-view. And then they got there and he's like, oh, I've got nowhere to put this. I'll just put this here for the moment. Terry, at the end of the show, you can come pick up that aquarium. And then bloody hell... Big Show, Kane and Raven just fall into the smegging thing, and he can, and then Terry couldn't have uh, anywhere for his fish to go. It's because that Vince has loads of sharks, pet <laughs> sharks. Yeah, well, it's it's no more ridiculous than having a bouncy castle near the rigging that the Undertaker and Triple H use later on. <laughs> so. Uh, so yeah, uh, so Kane kicks them; they fall into the glass thing. Kane then hits a leg drop off the stage onto them. Kane wins the hardcore title when the referee counts the three on the glass. Best WrestleMania match ever, five stars. I've given this a solid three for all, <laughs> all the fun and spots. Really fun match. Uh, and that Kane leg drop was, he went for that. He totally that was, did. It was a really fun match, that was. I loved it. I remember watching at the time being disappointed because my boy Raven didn't win. And I really, really wanted Raven to win. But uh, oh, I love everything about this match. Absolutely loved it. The Wrestling Observer. Um, oh, okay, so that's, you know, that was... 15-year-old Luke giving his review of it. Oh, what a great match. I love Raven. That was crazy. Like, he got thrown through the window. There was, like, Mario Kart spots. This is amazing. Here comes cynical Dave Meltzer. Ah, Dave. To make sure everyone knew it was a gimmicked spot, Kane jumped off the stage into the apparent foam rubber-laden pit, bouncing like a little kid at a playground, and he pinned the big show. This wouldn't be the last time something this silly was on the show. A star and three quarters. Oh, that is brutal figure four would write show was about to throw raven off the stage when kane snuck up behind him and kicked them both to their doom their doom consisted of them landing on a big thing a pretty soft and squishy thing as well how's that for a visual kane then did a leg drop off the ramp and onto the thing and pinned big show to win the title two and a quarter stars oh that's i mean that's more yeah the torch called it watchable and gave it two and three quarter stars watchable i love that <laughs> put that on the poster which is more than he could say for the next match but yeah um uh, I, I i loved it yeah really good to uh the really good to the awkward 
because next up in WWF New York... <laughs> well, before we get there... Oh, there's some Before we more. get there, backstage Kurt Angle is watching a tape oh, of... Oh, my apologies, yeah. Yeah, uh, backstage uh, Kurt Angle is watching a tape of Benoit making him tap out. We get quite awkward Kurt Angle here, really, because Edge and Christian walk in and ask him if, they, if he wants to come party with them later when they win TLC2. And Angle then gets very zen, and he ties into his meditation and essentially asks, if a tree falls in the wood and no one is there to hear it, does the tree make a sound? It's like... If a, if a man taps out, but there's no referee there, did that man really tap out? I mean, yes, he did, Carl. I mean, you're, you're literally, no, no, no. You're literally no. watching the tape of I, it, Carl. I, I, I like this so much because there's a justification <laughs> to it. Because it was an official match, would Kurt have like held on a bit longer? If there was something on the line, a win and a loss, back when things meant such stuff, mm-hmm. maybe he would have held on and he wouldn't have tapped and he would have been able to reverse it. But here he's just been attacked, blindsided by an assailant. So he's yeah. just trying to get out of it as quickly as possible. It's wonderful heel work. Really but, good. And, and he did this with Taz. When Taz made his debut at Royal Rumble 2000, he used um, the, the Taz mission, and which was Kurt's first loss. And Kurt passed out. And he was like, well, A, I didn't tap out. B, it's an illegal move. And he mm. had it stricken from his record so he could remain undefeated. That's great. It is it's, great. It's so good. That's why I think it's why undefeated streaks might work better for heels than it than it does babyfaces. Oh, uh, that is because an you, interesting point. Because you can do shenanigans like that then to get around mm. that sort of thing. Um, but anyway, yeah. So you get that, and then we get the the awkward moment in WWF New York. Um, his second appearance in two months on the uh, the Wrestle Ramble Extra. Um, Murderfly is at WWF New York allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Jimmy Superfly, Superfly Snooker is up there. WrestleMania loves Jimmy Superfly Snooker. They certainly do. The New York crowd do love him because he jumped off that cage in Madison Square Garden in 1922 or whatever it was. And uh, and everyone was there. The Sex Pistols were there. <laughs> uh, the guy who went on to form uh, New World Order. Mm-hmm. The the uh, the band, not the you wrestling mean, faction. Oh, so you mean New Order? New Order. That's it. <laughs> damn it. And Mick Foley. He was yeah. Uh, in the crowd. Coachman is interviewing someone from Australia. <laughs> hey, they don't do this anymore, do they? Where they find a person who's come the longest to attend the show. This person flew from all the way around the world from Australia. Brisbane. Brisbane, it's Australia. Linda Craspin <laughs> is her name from Brisbane, Australia. I would love to know where she is now. Mm. Where is Linda Crispin? Linda Craspin. Linda Craspin, sorry. And more importantly, what would her message be to the world? Luke? WWF rules! Aussie, Aussie, Aussie! Oi, oi, oi! Yeah, this is... That's this what is, they do. This is why they don't do it anymore, because it is quite embarrassing. I mean, at least it was an actual response of someone <laughs> liking WWF. And that's, so- you know what? Actually, that's very true. That is someone who flew all the way around the world for WrestleMania X7 because... it wrestling was huge and it was popular and they wanted to be there kevin dunn didn't find them in a crowd or like shoot them and then they stopped reacting they were just excited to be there and this is what i like that there is a lot of self-promoting stuff on this show for dirt for the brand i mean they, i think they're pretty subtle about it yes yeah. <laughs> but i much 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 prefer this style to what we get now which is almost like a corporate video <laughs> produced package which we get later which yeah, but even then it was a bit more, feels a bit more fun, <laughs> a bit more, like, a bit more rawer, to, to use the old branding slogan. Uh, and, and here as well, just like, 
just feels a bit more organic. Yeah. Coachman looks silly, though. He does look very silly. Good call, Coachman. Backstage, The Rock arrives. About time, lad. Like, you mm. know, the show is... We're, we're, like, three matches into the show here. What have you been doing? They're big stars. He looks like a megastar. And oh. they, they do this throughout the show. Uh, a shot of Rock arriving, a shot of Austin arriving, a shot of Rock preparing, a shot of Austin preparing. And it just really nicely sets up the match for later Gives on. it a big-time feel. Yeah. Um, there are, the crowd do cheer, but there are some noticeable boos when the, uh, the rock is on screen. So it's time to talk about Perry Saturn's <laughs> giant furry white top hat. I, my first note here is Perry has quite the hat. This is Eddie Guerrero with Perry Saturn versus Test for the European Championship. Oh, that is quite the hat he is wearing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, he needs something, doesn't he? Because, like, great wrestler. I love the way Perry Saturn wrestles. But he, he's always been one for ridiculous costumes. We spoke, was it Halloween Havoc? Mm -hmm. When we reviewed his WCW match. And back then I was like, good grief. The way this man moves is so sharp and slick compared to everyone else on the roster. But why is he dressed like a, like he's just walked out of the YMCA village people tribute night? And here he is walking out of the YMCA tribute band from 2001. He's just yeah. wearing like this. I mean, do you know what? Actually, I'd say it, it's, I'm not, it's unfair to say it's a YC, YMCA tribute hat. It's a Buff Bagwell hat. Mm. It's the sort of dickhead hat that Buff Bagwell used to wear. And I'm not calling Buff Bagwell a dickhead because his character was meant to be a dickhead. But when he wore that hat in WCW, like in 2000, 2001, you looked at him and goes like, oh, what a dickhead. And he wears this hat now and I looked at him and go like, what a dickhead. It was on trend for the time, <laughs> but it was on trend for, for knobs. Yeah, yes. for dickheads. But I guess they're, they're heels. This is the Radicals era of all their careers radicals, God, I love the radicals what a bizarre team they were because like they split up they got back together they were sometimes together sometimes there were certain members of the radicals because I don't know if Benoit's in the radicals at this mm. point but the other three certainly are because here's Eddie Guerrero with, with Perry at his side uh, Perry Saturn has said in interviews that he remembers nothing from his WWF run he was I mean, that's tragic because he w he himself had very bad addiction problems and to the point where he just remember like if you asked him about anything in shoot interviews where he's like oh what about this thing he's like i don't remember it i just do not remember note to self do not pay perry saturn for <laughs> wwf attitude era shoot interview because <laughs> i've written here he has said in interviews that he remembers nothing from his wwf run i hope he's forgotten that hat Oh, it's a cool hat. I'm sure that's around there somewhere. He might touch it, have a Vietnam-style flashback, and remember I, some bits. But the most shocking thing to me is what a pop for Test. Who who knew that so many people cared about Test? The big cast of 2001. <laughs> it's like Dave Meltzer made an amazing point about big cast on Wrestling Observer Radio when they were talking about him getting into a feud with Daniel Bryan. And he was just like, was like when was the last time a guy who was uh, was pushed just because they were big got over. Yeah, so there, but there's a caveat to this. Not Braun Strowman, because he's talented as well as big. Yeah, but, like they were just like, just on the basis that you are tall. Like, who was the last person to get over just because they were tall? I would argue Strowman, though, because uh, yeah. he was pushed because before, he was tall, yeah, and, then, and he, then it all came into place. Exactly, yeah. he then worked with amazing people to, to make him. So I, I think it is Braun, but before that... It's, there's a long list of big, tall guys that got pushes because they were tall mm. and didn't really like. You could argue Big Show, you know, he certainly got his push in WCW oh, because yeah, he yeah. was tall. Um, but yeah, so like Tess comes out, he's very tall. 
Um, and But like an absolute oaf, like the big oaf that he is, he gets his foot caught in the ropes very early on in this match. I think it was a planned spot where they were meant to get his foot caught so then, te- so then uh, um, Perry could go around and punch him. But he got his foot caught so bad that both the referee and Eddie Guerrero had to help him out. It's a shoot, brother. <laughs> it's, uh, I like that spot, but yeah, then it became apparent that he wasn't getting out of it. <laughs> Eddie as a, as a heel is so oh, vicious. love Eddie Guerrero, and man. As soon as he's in that, that sort of hanging spot from his foot, Eddie is immediately on him, pushing down on him. And get like the way his body snaps back after strikes. Yes, and I absolutely love. <laughs> I, I'm we praise Eddie Guerrero in our No Way Out 2004 episode, but he's so good as a heel man. Latino heat. What a great character that was. Loved his 2000 run he had with China with Mamacita. Loved. I just, I thought he was a wonderful, wonderful character. It's a real shame though that that Eddie is just in this spot here. And I think that sometimes sums up his WWF careers. Like, he has amazing times, and then he's just in a five-minute European Championship match with Test. But, I mean, he he wins a title here. But it's it's the European Championship. But... It's like winning the Cruiserweight Championship. But from from my recollection of this period, Eddie was never pushed as anything big at this point. That's what I'm saying. It's like... but. A guy like Eddie Guerrero should have been pushed more than the position that he was in. Like he really, because Benoit, they instantly like out the gate. He's the guy that we're pushing as like the star of this mm. group. And you kind of feel that Eddie really should have also been in that that mix with the Jerichos and with with William Regal with um, and with Kurt Angle, etc. And it wouldn't be for a number of years that he got to that point there. But Saturn gets involved multiple times. One of which was in the ring. Like, yeah. the referee is tending to Eddie Guerrero because Guerrero is distracting him, and then. Uh, and then Heyman, and then Saturn gets in and hits the moss-covered three-headed family gradanza, and it just makes this loud clattering sound in the ring. And the referee turns around. It's like, huh? Test is on the floor. Oh, like what did you think happened, ref? Spooky. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then there's a there's a low blow from Eddie. Yeah, a few low blows on this show. Absolutely. Where, yeah. Right in front of the referee, where the referee just goes, "Ooh, naughty you! Don't do that again." No, like it was not breaking. In time of a five count. <laughs> uh, but Tess hits the big boot. And then Dean Malenko in his total dad shirt, left over from the Heenan collection, runs down from the back. And that's a big old ramp to run down from. So he had to have been running from that ring. Like, right, like from the back, he had to have been running from about the time Tess almost hit the big boot. So he could make it in time to pull out the referee. Or does he pull out Tess? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he pulls out Tess. And once again, the referee does nothing. Like, that is a blatant spot of interference. Dean Malenko has run down from the back. He's not involved in the match. And he pulls out a uh, test. And the referee just looks at him and goes like, Dean, what are you doing, mate? Dean, buddy, mate. Come on, I've got a match to officiate. Oh, I can't tr- rough and tumble with you now. I'm trying to do my job here, man. As the referee does nothing, Perry passes um, Eddie Guerrero the belt. Eddie hits test with it. And Eddie wins. Mm. Like, poor old test was screwed here, mate. Uh, however, Perry Saturn had the coolest throw of the belt to Eddie Guerrero. <laughs> he kind of just like walked along, chucked it behind his back, and Eddie caught it. Yeah. It was, uh, the it's, radicals are cool, man. It was the second best throw and catch we have had on this pay-per-view run so far. My oh, favourite being Big nice Boss Man and, and The Rock. Sure. That was great. <laughs> uh, yes, it was, it was weird. Dean Malenko in the jeans and a yellow and blue Hawaiian shirt I've got here. It's just a wonderful look, isn't it? Because I've always thought that Dean Malenko looked like a, he looked like a mini Bruce Willis. Mm. And 
just in wearing that Hawaiian shirt. It's just like, Dean, mate, like, this is what you chose. It's WrestleMania. This is what you chose to run out in. I thought he looked I looked, he looked the bee's knees rocking the spring summer 01 collection. Did he have it tucked in? He did. <laughs> he looks like an awesome Mafia member. And, you know, I, 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 I thought this match was... was basically fine i mean i agree with the torch it was like just watchable as uh, as they they described it with a two-star match figure four called is it that a- what they describe most matches as <laughs> various degrees of watchable. watchable uh figure four uh, called it a total raw match and finish two stars and the wrestling observer said nothing and just gave it two and a quarter stars i didn't mind it <laughs> i gave it two and three quarters yep i uh I was getting a bit of a Baron Corbin vibe from Test at the start. Don't know if you got that as well. Yep, but if we can big list, guy. we can list off an, a number of these big lads uh, with long hair. With long hair, <laughs> they got pushes off the back the, of being tall. The crowd were pretty dead, and I, to be honest, I was out of it at the start of this match. But the, there was a bit—I don't know when it happened. Maybe it was after the Swanton bomb Eddie hit, and his head was so close for the rotation mm. bit on the mat. Uh, there was a great sequence in there where Eddie slid under one of test's big boots yeah and that, that looked really cool there was a tilt a weld falling back slam and then another tilt the weld on from test on eddie yeah i didn't mind it at all actually ended up being rather enjoyable despite the overbooking I, I put. test is just someone perhaps this is just like it's nostalgia clouding my mind and just like my my 15 year old thoughts just so like you know perhaps you know confusing 32 year old mm. luke owen watching this match because i never got tests and I, I never got it like when i was watching like he was the guy that every time because he always got pushed into that upper mid card thing it was like he was always in the icy tower picture he was in that tag team with albert and they were champions he always got this push and i never really got it because i was like why isn't Raven in this spot? Why isn't Taz in this position? Why isn't X in this position? Why isn't Y in this position? Why is it always bloody test? He's always here and he's always getting a push. And I never got it. Yeah, I agree. I always remember my my last in memory of test is he's the guy who helped Shane McMahon <laughs> yeah. in the, in Some the Big Show yeah, match yeah, yeah. and the Steve Blackman match. Yeah. So I'm, so I'm like... Oh, he's just Shane McMahon's lackey. He's just Shane McMahon's mate, yeah. yeah. So it, it, it was fun. <laughs> Backstage, Michael Cole, and as I've written here, and his effing S hairs interviews Mick Foley. Looking like a goof. <laughs> I now know where Josh Matthews based his entire look on from No Way Out 2004. Mm. Uh, Foley says uh, he's interviewing Mick Foley. Um, Foley says that he will be impartial tonight in the street fight between Shane and Vince because Mick Foley is the special guest referee. He's... Oh, he says he's going to call it right down the line. And then he walks off camera and he comes back and he says, right, right here, here in Houston, Houston Texas. Texas. Hey! Lovely cheap pop. Uh, backstage, Steve Austin arrives. About time, mate. Like, you know, The Rock showed up much earlier than you did, lad. He's the biggest star. Well, the pop that he gets, holy baloney. Like, that's, it's the sort of pop where if I'm Vince around, I'm like, I think we need to call an audible and, yeah. and not turn him heel now. Uh, yeah. Yes, it's it's insane, <laughs> isn't it? Just the way he connects. Uh, coming up next, we have got a battle of technicians. It is Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit. And it is weird to hear Angle's music without you suck being chanted from the crowds and zero limp wristing. Yeah, but you can listen to Metal Luke on WWF <laughs> The Music Volume 5. Um. <laughs> I feel like my mind is filling in the blanks. Yeah. In my head, I'm hearing 
you suck, mm. you suck. But it's not happening on screen. At one point, I was like, can I hear it? Yeah, I'm, can, yeah. I, I feel like I can hear you suck in the background, but I can't. I can't. It's just my mind is playing tricks on me. Yeah. When John Cena came out in the beautiful city of Jeddah and the, and the crowd cheered and didn't chant John Cena sucks along with his entrance music, my mind filled in the blank. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure I can hear some people singing it. Uh, Angle cuts a promo on his oh. way to the ring uh, on is... Texas. I'm surprised Bradshaw didn't run out from the back to give him a close. Like, you can't say anything about Texas, man. This, this is so this is like this is kurt this is my kurt angle it's your local sports team kurt yeah. angle i love this kurt angle he's he's just so just yeah he's and i it, it won't surprise any of you to hear that i'm not a fan of texas i like all i like all the states but you know you just just here's some advice lose the freaking cowboy oh, hats man. you're not seven years old anymore he calls the crowd yeehaws right. <laughs> so good what a wonderful insult yeah and he says the somewhere in cowboy hats because you're not seven years old anymore and i've just written here in just a few months angle will do a backstage skit where austin and finch where he wears a cowboy hat it's the perfect heel hypocrisy because he act and he it's a seven-year-old cowboy hat as well it's a tiny little cowboy hat and then i love this as well because this sets off Heyman to have a pop at jr about wearing a hat mm. while doing commentary <laughs> Mind you, Trish can keep her cowboy hat. I think we're all in agreement there. Yeah, I feel bad for for Angle here. One month ago, he was the WWF champion. You know, sure. So he lost to the Rock. He lost it to the Rock at No Way Out, uh, two thousand and one. And I just, I feel bad for for poor old Kurt. He was like, he was WWF champion from the latter heart of two thousand. He was pushed as like the guy, the guy who had the greatest rookie year in WWF history. And then just one month before the big show of WrestleMania, they were like, yeah, but you're not that big a star. So we're taking the belt off you and putting it on Rock and Steve Austin. And you can just have a match with Benoit. It's like, it does suck for Kurt Angle, but you can't really deny the business acumen behind Absolutely that. Absolutely not. As I said, I just, I just feel bad for <clears throat> Kurt here. I, it, because I, when I was super, it, my most interesting as a teenager, it coincided with the rise of Kurt Angle. And I just adored the man. Still is all-time favorite wrestler i love him to bits and, and like i said he had the all-american smarmy but he never says anything like actually over the top offensive it's all quite childish the way he plays with yeah. people in this world of people who are talking about asses and tits and, and dicks stuff in your like, face and dicks in your face but like he stands out just because he's not doing it he's yeah, yeah it, he's it, so, so good. It's such a good act. He performed it perfectly, and he's an ass-kicker to, to back it all up. Absolutely, and that is on display at the start of this match because it's there's Matt wrestling early on. If you are in the mood for some Matt's technicians, you are just having a match, you will love the idea of this. Heyman is really putting over the idea that this match is all about leverage, and he brings up that Benoit is an undefeated WCW champion. I've written here, the caveat of that is that he just literally vacated the belt because he wanted to go to the WWF, so it's not like he was an undefeated champion. It's not Goldberg. He just handed the belt back because he didn't want it. That is classic promoter mindset. <laughs> so great, isn't I'm going to spin this. And then he mentions New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's like he trained in the dojos of New Japan. I'm like, what year is this? This is why I love Paul Heyman on commentary because JR and, and King, they were just like 
WWF is the only thing that happens in the wrestling world. We are in our own little bubble here. And then Paul Heyman comes in. He's talking about ECW, talks about Taz being a former champion, talks about Benoit being a former WCW champion, mentioning New Japan. He, he sounds like a wrestling fan and like a, a guy who's into the world of professional wrestling. And I love this. And this, this, the start of this match, it feels like a shoot. It feels like they were backstage and they just said to each other, should we just wrestle for a bit and just see who's better? Yeah, I, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised, given both men and how super competitive they are. You know, Angle's record speaks for himself. And Benoit, you've got all those stories of him just honing his craft obsessively. A thousand Hindu squats a day. Yeah, like the, shopping the, the, the door front. The inside, inside of a door, of a door oh, to get I mean, chops perfect. Oh, it makes me a little bit ill. But yeah, they, and the Hindu chops, uh, Hindu chops. The, uh, the Hindu squats just sound like they would be no fun at all. Knife edge chops. Knife edge chops. Heyman describes the match before it gets going uh, as Benoit versus Angle is about as excited as a man can get with his clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> this is a match designed for Paul Heyman, yeah. really. He is absolutely loving this. Um, Angle gets a single leg takedown, but Benoit attempts to lock in the crossface very early on. Angle gets to the ropes. Benoit nearly gets the crossface again, really putting over how strong that move is. And Angle, and Angle gets outside, and Benoit nearly gets it on again. And then Angle changes up the match by smacking him in the face. Yes. It's a wonderful turn of storytelling. It's just like we're doing this mat wrestling early, but Benoit just out-wrestles Angle. So he's like, F it. I'm just going to punch you in the face now. Yeah, and, and Heyman puts it, o- like, puts it over brilliantly because he, he gets over that that is a cheap shot. Angle's been out-wrestled. So what does the, te- the technician do? It's a brilliant move. You go for the cheap shot. Yeah, you change the match up. Yeah. If you can't win one way... Just change. You better change your strategy, and then he changes strategy and and beats him up instead. So it's it's gamesmanship as opposed to sportsmanship. But there's nothing against the rules about it. Absolutely, uh, it was. It's just like a really good story told through the physicality. Yeah, and and but like you said, both men are just incredible at this style. Yeah, and it, it turns into a brawl. Angle then hits several belly to bellies. It's Suplex City, Benoit, um, and a big old superplex by Benoit to Angle, and then hits. These high angle German suplexes. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's just, I don't know how he did it. It's, he goes so high. It's not like, like when Brock Lesnar throws a German suplex, he just throws you over your head. Like, he literally just goes, like, off you go, and you, you just fly across the ring. Whee! These, like, the way that Kurt Angle lands, it's basically by Benoit, the back of Benoit's feet. It's mm. like that high angle. I, I, it's incredible to see. It's a thing of beauty. Yeah, uh, and that the, there's this really good reversal of the because th- Benoit would always hit three Germans in a row. That was the pattern, and he hits two German suplexes, not three German fans. No, no, he just, just runs in. <laughs> where's those commentators? Uh, let me go. Where's that Dan kid? When he'd be like one year old at this point, <laughs> punch him for. for I don't think, don't think Dan's in his twenties. Ha- having the guile. <laughs> to pick to win a fantasy booking warfare suggestion topic uh, but he hits two and then he goes for the third German suplex but Angle tries to reverse this into the ankle lock but then Benoit puts him in his own ankle lock on yeah. Angle for this and Kurt just then starts throwing yeah. these kicks to, to, to kick him off and then Benoit locks in the crossface and I love this Angle gets his hand up yes. to his face to block 
the cross face being fully applied. Because Benoit's got his hands his hands clapped, but he can't really wrench back because Angle's stopping it, and he's he's able to push the hands off because he's got his hand up. It's a wicked little bit of like of of reversal wrestling. I loved it. Yeah, definitely. And then there's the rope break, uh, but then Angle accidentally knocks over the referee. Well, Angle also locks in a cross face of his own. Because it's the attitude oh, yeah, era. Sorry. It's, it's the attitude era, and you have to do everyone else's finishes. Like that's it's part of the gimmick. SmackDown turned it into a game mechanic that if you store up two finishes, you can steal your opponent's finisher. That's just what you did in the attitude era. And then there's the rope break. Angle accidentally next knocks over the referee, but then Benoit knocks in the locks in the crossface now, and Angle gets a visual tap, but there's no referee, Luke. No referee. The referee so, is down. Is it an actual tap? Yeah. If, if if there's no referee to see it. If a tree falls in the wood and taps out, is it? Does it really count? Uh, angle slam or Olympic slam, as uh, JR calls it. I'm not sure what it's meant to be at this point. I, I always thought it was Olympic slam. It was Olympic slam here. I feel like angle slam happened. In TNA? No, wasn't it? Around oh, maybe the late... ECW time. Oh, yeah. When it became the yeah. wrestling machine. Yeah, maybe it was, yeah. Uh, but Benoit kicks out of that for a near fall. Angle goes for his moonsault that never works. And Benoit gets the knees up. Benoit then hits Air Canada right into Kurt Angle's head which in hindsight is very uncomfortable to watch that that is that was super over that move oh, I used judge, to yeah. love the flying headbutt and and watching Benoit wrestle like wow amazing and it's almost like when you watch him he this isn't the same guy like in my head I can't they're, they're different completely I, different people I, I do the same thing but man. then like they're also they're also totally the same people it's weird how both possibilities exist simultaneously it is i I, i've watched benoit matches since you know since the tragedy happens and every time benoit comes out when i look at him i'm not like oh you're the lad that murdered your wife and child and then and killed yourself i never see that benoit i just see benoit the wrestler that i really really liked when i was a teenager and i just thought was awesome and i thought he was really cool to watch and i loved playing him as as him in the games and, and this and the other it's, and it's really weird. I've always found it very difficult to make that connection. And, and that's, that is on me more than it is on, on anything else. But I've never been able to make that, like to just see them as the same people. But you just said there how it was awkward to watch the flying head. Well, yeah, because then as soon as I see him do that, then I start to think yeah. about it. It's like if I see him take an unprotected chair shot, then I'm like, oh, God, yeah, then he murdered people. It's like I will, I will start to go, man, like I'll consciously think, God, Benoit's good. Oh, God damn it, no. no don't say and then that. I'll re- and then I'll remember, as soon as my mind is like, oh, I like Benoit, then it goes, oh, but what about all this other stuff? And I, yeah. Oh, crap. Yeah, kind he did of, that as well. Yeah, he did do that. Um, and, and it's uh, Angle, uh, it's another low blow. And then Angle, well, a, Angle oh, sorry. a low blow right in front of the referee yeah, but, who's well, revived by this but point. It, I would say, at least, so the referee is like in front of Kurt Angle and Kurt Angle lifts his leg up behind well yeah into benoit who was behind yeah. him so it's out of referee's vision maybe sort of their job is to <laughs> make sure no tomfoolery happens yeah uh benoit rolls up angle but angle reverse it into a roll-up of his own and he grabs the tight angle wins great match i really enjoyed it what a lame finish lame finish yeah absolutely lame finish but uh, i i really enjoyed it oh i hated the i hated the finish no no to, i didn't, to, I didn't say i like the finish i no, like no, the match i know but... i know but to the extent where oh, i ruined the match like, for it, you. it didn't ruin the match but it it knocks it down a hell of a few pegs like mm-hmm. this could have been like the story they were telling up until this bit this is where you you have 3 minutes of a good finish here but instead you have 5 seconds of a terrible one 
that takes it down a lot. I've given it three and three quarters. It's the sort of finish that would have been fine at No Way Out. Yes. If you were then going to build to a WrestleMania match where you would do an actual finish. Like a, you know, a, a, totally. you'd, you'd build to like a two out of three fall, two out of three submission falls match, which I'm, I think they did later on in the, in either, in both of their careers. But uh, the Wrestling Observer would write, uh, and he really enjoyed it, he gave this four and a quarter um, stars, and he would write, this was the old Jack Briscoe, Dory Funk Jr. psychology in that both would work a scientific match, but Funk would, would heal while we keep. This is Dave Meltzer, published author. I'm going to read this word for word. This was the old school Jack Briscoe, Dory Funk Jr. psychology in that both would work a scientific match, but Funk would heal while keep world champion wrestler credibility by showing he could really wrestle, but take subtle shortcuts, which because of the context got over better than all of the overt heel tactics in the undercard usually. Very similar to early Don Fry in Japan, in Japan, in that the context of the match that looks real, something simple like not breaking clean on the ropes can generate a ton of heat. Sometimes it reads like a YouTube comment. It uh, so there was no punctuation. No. <laughs> Very he, little. He writes a lot of words. He man. does write a lot he's, of words. Uh, but he, he's, and they're all so... It's quantity and quality. Uh, figure four would give it four stars, and the torch would write intense action that the crowd was into from start to finish, three and three quarter stars. Oh, that's what I got it. Uh, yeah, I just uh, did, it was deserving of a lot higher, but I guess this was the first match in a program. Yes, um, I believe so, so. Yeah. So judging out of context like that. Yeah. Um, Although very soon after this, Benoit would get injured because he got he finally got his main event push like him and jericho got moved into the main event scene because they were in the mix with austin and triple h and then benoit got injured and he was out for the entirety of the invasion uh, which is a real shame really backstage cole looking like a complete dick is trying to interview william regal about his jericho match uh, but racially insensitive kamala is in regal's office acting all wacky yeah so what so i i wasn't watching wrestling in the 90s. before, yeah, early 90s. What is a Kamala? Kamala is a savage because he is from Africa yeah, and that. he is a tribesman who doesn't understand, um, you know, Western culture because mm. he's a savage who was raised in mud huts and whatnot and he draws moons and stuff on his belly. At least, at least Regal was funny here he's yes. like get off my table you heathen which i you know that was all good and uh, there was no urination in tea no that was yes nice. um and jim ross uh, talks about how excited he is for the gimmick battle royal and paul Heyman looks very upset at him for being excited about the gimmick battle royal and because it sounds like gimmick battle royal's coming up soon i'm surprised you're not in it paul and Heyman is in sense like oh what's it gonna be in there with a phone come on jr i'm not a gimmick it, it's really good and this is where they really come alive when you can see them interacting with each other i just think they don't it just doesn't work in an audio format as much then we then get a video package for which i have taken far too many notes for (laughs) the wwf invading fort hoods this music like the music in this segment is not befitting of like the footage that is is on the screen it's just like it doesn't really fit what the the images that are on screen because you've got the undertaker there in his in his like you know his big evil attire going fort hood lenny here at one time he's very excited to be there women get paraded around and get to throw t-shirts because they're not real people they're just there to parade and throw t-shirts whoa 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 snowflake luke here (laughs) calm down because lita was paraded around in a tank 
Trish was paraded around in a tank. Jacqueline. Oh, no, sorry, they were Humvees. Yeah, they were Humvees, because Lisa's never ridden in a Humvee before, so that was cool. Jacqueline was paraded around in a Humvee. And I thought, okay, I get what this is. But then who's there riding up the rear? It's Undertaker. <laughs> Undertaker's in a Humvee. He ain't throwing no T-shirts, though. Uh-huh. I, just, uh, I just thought, ah, uh, equal opportunities, WWE. Women's revolution back in the day. <laughs> Undertaker made Angle look very silly uh, because like, he was wearing a sort of hat. And then Undertaker's like, you can't wear that hat, damn boy. Takes it off him. Uh, and then Angle was very upset because everyone was booing him. And it was really funny because he's like, I'm an Olympic hero. I'm an Olympic gold medalist. I'm an American hero. I just don't understand why people boo me. It's so... I just don't get it. I just it's don't get so it. Funny. It's so funny. It's just complete conviction. And that. then in the next shot, they're all given these like commemorative plaques for their invading of Fort Hood. And Angle gets the microphone and says, like, this is nice, but can I have mine in the form of a medal? Yes. <laughs> so the, the whole thing is shot with, like... I can't remember what you call this effect... But like dropped frames. Yeah, it's very like 90s MTV. Very, yeah, 90s MTV. It's exactly what I've read. But Bradshaw is the, also there. We haven't mentioned him. He is having the time of his oh. army loving life. He is so jealous <laughs> that they get to shoot people for a living. Mm. Like he's just so jealous because the war on terror hasn't begun yet. That's not happening for another few months yet. But Bradshaw is just, like, he is aching to get a gun and shoot someone. I think that's disingenuous. I think he... No, I'm not being disingenuous. I think that he genuinely wished that he could be in the army and fight for his country. No, because no. He's, he's a proud American. No, there's nothing wrong with that. He's a proud American, but, you know, the army just... just I see what you're saying. The yeah. army isn't all about no, shooting no, no, people. No, I, just, I imagine you were joking just then. But I was. For, for everyone who's listening, yeah. in case... Didn't, it didn't sound like a joke. <laughs> uh, the, but, yeah, he... The, Bradshaw seems to genuinely love the armed he forces does, yeah. and because he's the guy who got the tribute to the troops thing going yeah which and, is great uh, and it just it's weird it's weird to see him really happy here and also know about what a horrible person he can be to people just thought, like what a what a complex human being he is <laughs> To, um, to have those two sides to a character. They then give the Colonel a brand new chair, a WWF Lazy Boy chair. Mm. But Bradshaw is quick to tell him, the divas don't come with the chair. It's like he's so <laughs> desperate to get in on the army bants. <laughs> Even though, I mean, like, because he is nowhere near the level of the taker and angle. Yeah. Nor the other appeal nor, of the nor, ladies. Nor, I was going to say, not Trish Lita or Jacqueline either. Like, Bradshaw is well below them. Maybe not Jacqueline, but he's certainly not on the same level as Trish and Lita. So it's just like, Bradshaw's like, can I, can I come? Can, are you going to the army? Can, God, are you going to get to ride in a Humvee? Can I ride in a Humvee? No, but you can. No. Do you want to throw T-shirts? No, not really. <laughs> so this was... um. Yeah, I mean this was this was very much a video package. Yeah. Um, backstage, Angle is very very sweaty, and um, Kevin Kelly's uh, brilliant. Ollie Davis's favorite commentator in the world. He could have been Mean Gene. He could have been the new Mean Gene. He could have. I didn't imagine if they'd have just given Kelly Kelly the same preferential treatment they gave Michael Cole, we could have had Kevin Kelly commentate on Raw each and every week. I just I just find his voice and the way he feels like he's got a. His morals feel real, as opposed to other commentators on the show. I completely where it's, agree. Uh, 
they don't and and he's like he's very quick to like sort of banter back and forth with wrestlers he's asking angle if if he respects benoit now after the after the match they had but angle gets very annoyed at, at kevin kelly's ridiculous question and clearly tells him no but then benoit attacks him from behind and he locks in the crossface and angle taps again yes love this but uh, this did feel more like a tv angle than wrestlemania i know right <laughs> China after I broke her neck and sent her to the hospital. Well, she's just never been the same. You know, China, there's nothing more that I would love to do than to humiliate you again in front of the entire world at our biggest pay-per-view event. I broke you once before and I'll break you again. My friend China. Yeah, well, this is so Ivory didn't want to wrestle in a bra and panties match. Yeah, because she's right to censor. Because they're right to censor. Yes, but then China strips her down to her bra and panties. She anyway. humiliates Ivory mm. by stripping her down to her bra and panties, and that then transitions into Ivory cutting the. Uh, well, I mean, it's famous in my world. You brought it up quite a few times. My yeah. friend China. I, I loved Ivory's promos. And then it's only through watching it this time, though, she has the same standee of China that we, we have, do, that yes. we have in the studio. We've got a mini version of it out there and the full-size version of it down the other end of the studio. It's the exact same standee. It's weird because, of course, there are multiple copies of that cardboard cutout. But whenever I see it, I just see it as the one that we have. <laughs> exactly. It's, like, it's probably the same one. Yeah. I mean, we I, we know our guy's got connections, yeah, so yeah. it very well could have been. So this feud initially started with the right to censor breaking China's neck. Pretty serious. So they did this angle, I think it was at the Rumble when China was challenging for the women's title. China has been, quote, demoted to the women's division because she can't wrestle men anymore. Demoted. Demoted because um, she's not dating Triple H at this point. Well, you know, that's um, that's room and innuendo. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just speculating here, but China was quote-unquote demoted demoted and and, and, it, and it just ties in with the fact that she was no longer dating triple h coincidence it, it maybe it's just coincidence yeah. that's all i'm saying but um she so they broke her neck and she recovered from that broken neck very quickly and then wrestles this match like that never happened so did she miss a lot of time no. was it to no. So, so she got injured at the Rumble and she was on ba- Raw was, the next night? Basically, and then she was like back wrestling a couple of weeks later. So when did she have the surgery stuff? Well, that's the, the thing. The, like the, the storyline... What do you mean? Well, she had a jaw surgery thing, didn't she? Where it was moved backwards. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, the plastic surgery as yeah, opposed to yeah. like... I thought you were talking about kayfabe surgery for no, a second. I thought no. you were like, what is, what's the time frame of this but, kayfabe but surgery? But I guess I get a broken neck would require some form of surgery. <laughs> it would do, yeah. I'm not sure this is all tied into that. 
I was it not okay? I, I, no, I, I think she'd, I think she'd I've had got my... she'd had that plastic surgery done long before right. this because she basically like when she debuted in ninety eight or ninety nine or wherever it was, I think it was ninety eight. That was when she had the the larger jaw, the desperate shall... chin. Yes, shall we say? And then she by the time like ninety nine two thousand rolled around, that was already that that was well gone. I got my time frames mixed up. Apologies. Yes, but yeah, so all the China breaking her neck stuff is basically skipped over in this video package they don't really highlight it from what i can gather um china just wanted to just wasn't interested in the injury angle and she just wasn't didn't want to do it and so this match is not really built around such an injury angle i mean can we really say this is a match it's the worst thing on the show by quite some way and this is a a show you said that that six-man tag which was an absolute nothing match but at least that had wrestling in. I mean, I guess this has wrestling in as well. It's just, uh, yeah, China. China seems just awful to deal with backstage at this time. At this in time, her life. can I throw some positives out there to begin with? Throw them away. I've got a few. Like China is over like Rover. Like yes. she gets one of the biggest reactions on this entire show. She, like the crowd are super into her, and she looks amazing she looks absolutely incredible in this match i was uh that the the inner jerry lawler was going to come out a bit here she looks like a real life wonder woman yes like this she looks like wonder woman has walked out of a page and into real life she's wearing like a purple bikini thing yeah she just looks absolutely like just incredible like she's in in, she's in really good shape apparently she'd lost quite a bit of weight and to try and like slim herself down because she was going into the women's division so to speak but she just looks absolutely like amazonian is is the the perfect way to describe this and this is the when i when i someone says to me china this is the china that i see i don't see the china that was there in 99 i don't see the china that that sadly left this mortal coil this is the china i see when she just looked at her healthiest shall we say and just look and she just absolutely amazing she looks like a an action figure she looks awesome and uh those pants they are small they they show a lot of butt cheeks <laughs> i mean if she hadn't have done that spread in playboy and let us all see the butt cheeks in full we practically would have just seen them in this match it's like a belt it's like <laughs> it's like a, it's like pants at the front and a belt at the back yeah and yeah. And then uh, Ivory, she's actually come out alone for this match. Obviously, the rest of uh, Right to Censor were earlier in the night. She wanted to... Uh, I think they'd say the storyline was that uh, Ivory had some stipulation in it, but China's stipulation was she wanted all of Right to Censor banned from ringside. Or some sort of nonsense from that, anyway. But I really enjoyed Ivory's facials in this match. I thought she was really, really funny. Particularly when like she got into the ring and she basically just looked like she was about to crap her pants. And then she's like hugging the championship belt and kissing it. She doesn't want to give it to the ref because she doesn't really want to put the women's championship on the line. And and then the, the bell rings. Yeah. Well, oh, just well, before, first off, yeah. who I am, Luke, is available on <laughs> WWF The Music Volume 5. Oh, don't treat me like a woman. Don't treat me like a man. Don't that- treat me like you know me. Just treat me for who I am. I love the bazooka entrance as well. Oh, but yes, awesome, yeah, yeah. Ivory attacks China with the belt uh, from behind before the bell rings. Yep. But then China just like 
just beats her up. Yeah, I mean the crowd is the crowd is super hot for this match, but like Ivory tries to kick, China catches it, uh, and then uh, just a horrible hip toss by China. Oh yeah, it was really <laughs> bad. The wrestling is very very sloppy. Oh, it's awful. She's so half-assed about it. Well, like, yeah, yeah, totally. Like Ivory does this massive flip for her as best she can, and China's just trying to. She's so busy looking cool, trying to look better than the rest of the women's division, I guess. Yeah, that she doesn't even. Yeah, she just like does the most flippant arm toss you've ever seen. It's really, really toss, bad. Rather. And like on the arm hard toss ca- would be something else. On the, uh, the, on the hard, that's what Ollie Davis was doing when she came out. Anyway, uh, the, on the hard camera, you can visibly see people just exiting the arena to go take a pee mm. like go take a piss or go to the bar or whatever but there is just like it's almost like a mass exodus of people walking out uh, powerbomb by China the, she has the match won but she does she pulls an undertaker's like no I'm going to school and then she like lifts the shoulders up and JR's like oh she's gonna teach her a lesson and I feel like if this is a heel did this yeah. JR be like no oh, match is over god, god damn match is over just pin him just pin him but here he's like no you get her China you get her. you show her what she is yeah, JR does change his uh, yeah. morals based on who... But I guess China did have her neck broken. I guess if you play it into the larger story. But it, it did come across like China's a bit of a douchebag here. Well, yeah, then she does like the Ultimate Warrior press slam. And then like, she doesn't even bother covering Ivory. She literally just like scoots her back up and like, lay, like leans against her mm. and counts the pin. It is the most dickish thing to have done. It made Ivy look like such a chump. And how do... Like, she's got to understand that for this division to be a success, she needs a challenger. Yeah. So how how can you possibly build up a challenger after that? Yeah, well, you certainly can't have Ivory. Yeah. Like, Ivory just looks absolutely pathetic in this match. I mean, it, it goes, doesn't go more than, like, you know, 30, 40 seconds or mm. whatever it is, or like maybe like a minute and a half. But it is just, like, it's... It's it's really really bad, and the worst thing is as well. I believe she only defended the title once, maybe twice. And she defended it against Lita, and then she essentially just left the company. She vacated the championship because she felt that she was better than it, and she left the company in November. Wow! So this transition for for her into the women's division did not go well, and. All the dirt sheets do were not kind Ooh, on they this not match. Like it. Wrestling Observer. Match was terrible because it was a total ego show. China blew off the injury angle. China gave her a powerbomb, then lifted her up at two. She then gave her a press slam and pinned her by laying backwards like it was a piece of cake, showing no respect to her at all. Minus one star. Oof. But figure four, Brian Alvarez. I bet he was fine with it. Was he able to watch the show, poor guy? He was able to watch it yeah, at this point. Good. Right. Bear with me, Higgs. This is this is oh, this no. is quite long. I very rarely say this, but what a bitch! You know, the whole angle here was that China was getting revenge on Ivory and the RTC for almost breaking her neck and injuring her to the point where she could never wrestle men again. Instead of selling the angle and the injury, China just totally shrugged it off like it was absolutely beneath her and then just went in there and made Ivory look like an idiot. China, I thank God almighty every night that your book didn't hit number one and I hope Lita or Molly or anyone else in the WWF squashes you in 30 seconds next week and the company sends you on your way sable was a locker room cancer too but at least she was hot minus two stars oh, oh. <laughs> holy a moly locker room cancer but at least she was hot <laughs> brian alvarez brian alvarez in 2001 ladies and <laughs> gentlemen uh the torch 
A match hardly worth China and Ivory's airfare to Houston. Ivory's hand motions and selling were often annoyingly cartoonish. Half a star. No, no, nothing. <laughs> no, uh, nothing. <laughs> watchable. Nope. Not even watchable. <laughs> not watchable. <laughs> I mean, it was short. I gave it. I I haven't given anything a minus or a zero star. Mm. I gave it a one star. But I guess maybe like it is super disrespectful. So maybe it's a zero. A dud. Yeah, dud. Yeah, it's it's bad. It is bad. Yeah. But hey, China look great. I give it a quarter star. Um, a quarter star for those panties. Yeah, and, and uh, China obviously would leave. She would go to New Japan for a little bit, and then she would beat Tanahashi for the IWGP Heavyweight Title. Yep, and then she did other stuff. She did other extracurricular activities, and then she went to TNA for a cup of coffee. And then she went back to her... I think she basically just made a career of appearing on Howard Stern and mm. just being sad. I just remember being really sad for her at the end. Yeah, it was never fun to choke. No, it really wasn't. I mean, if, if you hear, like, Sean Walkman has done a lot of podcast interviews since her passing, and he just sounds very sad about the whole thing. Obviously, he had a very, very close relationship with China and how she was just coerced into doing things that she didn't really want to do the, the sex tape that she and Waltman did like Waltman was like it's the biggest mistake he's ever made and how they were just paid a lot of money to do it but yeah it was a really sad time for, for both of them but uh, yeah, yeah really sad pretty bleak it is a very bleak ending on a less bleak note though how about a funny anecdote while Ollie was watching this oh lovely so uh, I was I got to this point and I was like oh greatest royal rumble is starting so i paused it as china was walking up the ramp yeah and i go to watch greatest royal rumble and i'm like i'm not watching it but then my lady partner gets home and she's like oh uh what are you up to and i was like goddamn bloody brock lesnar roman Reigns, damn it <laughs> and I, I shut my laptop and i start talking to her and she's not looking at me she's looking <laughs> past me <laughs> and she's like what are you watching on the telly and i, I look around and and China is there just like but it was it was a shot where it didn't look like there was a wrestling backdrop it was just China in her in purple her bikini purple bikini smiling slightly off to the camera uh, and I was like oh that's um <laughs> yeah that's porn I didn't want to tell her I was watching WrestleMania X7 it was, it's straight up lesbian porn that I'm watching right now <laughs> it's for Patreon <laughs> We're doing blue reviews now, me and Luke. <laughs> uh, yeah, so slightly less embarrassing was saying I was just watching porn. <laughs> then uh, Ivory versus China. <laughs> Backstage, Vince has to has made sure that Trish has... Uh, so Vince McMahon and, and Stephanie and Trish and Linda in her wheelchair are backstage. And Vince is to, uh, there to make sure that Trish has given Linda her double dosage of sedatives because he wants her to just be very sedated while watching him beat up um, uh, Shane McMahon. Cole walks in with his awful hair and he wants to ask Vince about Shane buying WCW but Vince effectively tells him to shut up. Yeah. Uh, and then Cole like says like something about something being shocking and Vince says you want shocking? I guarantee you'll get shocking. Yeah. He's not wrong. No. <laughs> <laughs> he was not wrong about that. No. Nope. In an incredibly like, I want to say overbooked match, but overbooked makes it sound like there was too much booking. <laughs> but it was it was perfect. It was. But before we get to that, oh, that's right. A pause is coming up because we have got a video package for Shane McMahon versus Vince McMahon in a street fight with Mick Foley as the special guest referee. Take you back. We're going to walk down memory lane, shall we? 
Exactly what he wants to do to whomever he wants to do without worried about ramifications. So my question to you, Dad, is do you want to play? That's right, Dad. I'm challenging you to a match at WrestleMania. I've never backed out from a challenge in my life. You've got me at WrestleMania. I will never, ever forgive your mother for giving birth to you. There's only one way and one man that can make history happen. WCW. There's only one small caveat. Time Warner, they've signed the contract, and I will sign the contract. But I'll sign it at WrestleMania. What is the fate of WCW? The very fate of WCW is in my hands. You have to grab your competition by the throat. And you've got to squeeze the life out of your competition. Just like I did to WCW. Just like I'm going to do to my son Shane. Surprise, Dad. Your ego has gotten the best of you. You wanted to finalize this deal, WCW, at WrestleMania. Well, Dad, that's just the opportunity that I was looking for. The deal is finalized. And the name on the contract does say I will never forgive Linda for giving birth to you. What a line. What a line. Just what a crazy three minutes that video package is. And that is just condensing the previous five months of crazy stories that had been going on in the World Wrestling Federation. McManamania has run wild across the WWF. Sure, we've got Rock and Austin in the main event. Sure, we've got Triple H and Undertaker. Sure, we've got the Brothers of Destruction. We've got Jericho. We've got Angle. We've got Benoit. But in the midst of this, we have Vince McMahon having what I can only describe as a breakdown. It's quite something. And... Like you've got a, you've got a. This is the this is the man who owns the company. Yeah, no, right. he's not like okay. This would be one thing if it was just Dario Cueto on Lucha Underground. He's an actor, a very good actor, playing a role as a commissioner of a wrestling promotion. This is legit the owner of the public company. I am going to try and distill this storyline down into its very basic form. Good luck. Vince McMahon decided that. He wanted him and Linda to have a divorce. They, they wanted to have a divorce. So he tells Linda, in the ring, we're having a divorce. Linda then goes into a state of shock 
and Vince and um, so Linda becomes very upset by all this. Vince McMahon then announces that he is going to get a new girlfriend and she is going to be uh, beautiful and she's going to be she's going to be everything that Linda isn't. She's going to be beautiful. She's going to be blonde. But more importantly, and this is quite factually stated by Vince McMahon, she's going to be the same age as his daughter. Like that was one of his criteria. Like I don't know if Tinder has criteria, but or like Match.com, he one of the boxes that he ticked was same age as my daughter, and that same aged daughter woman was Trish Stratus, and so he started a relationship with Trish Stratus. There had been lots of teasings of them having a relationship previously. Sorry, I don't. Well, I was just gonna say at least Trish doesn't look like Stephanie. No, this is not. At least there's that. <laughs> this is not like. I mean, I don't want to say Hulk Hogan, but do you remember when Hulk Hogan started dating that woman who looked a lot like Brooke Hogan? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he, um, yeah, so it, he starts this relationship with, with Trish, but they don't overly say it a lot. And there's like all this sort of secrecy of like whether he's dating her or whether he's not. And then it's revealed that he is dating her and they start like making out in front of Linda, who at this point, Vince has committed to a home and is like sedating her. He's trying to keep her 100% sedated throughout, so like what, whatever, for whatever reason. Throughout all this, Stephanie is feuding with Trish because she doesn't like the attention that Trish is get that Vince is giving Trish because she is Daddy's little girl and she wants to have Vince's attention instead. What's it's an Epidus, uh, um, Oedipus. Oedipus complex, but that's, but that's, usually, that's the other yeah, way around, isn't it? That's father that. to mother. No, that's um, a son to oh, mother. Oh, so it's son to mother. Son to mother. So I don't know what the opposite of it is, but that's it's what it feels a bit like. Um, and then Stephanie then sides with Vince, whatever. Then the prodigal son returns. Shane McMahon returns to the company, and he's going to have a match with Vince McMahon at WrestleMania. It's a Jerry Springer storyline come to life-ish. And it's going to culminate at WrestleMania in a street fight with Mick Foley as the special guest referee. Because when Mick Foley was like taken down as commissioner, he signed a contract with Linda McMahon before she was sedated. They gave him the option to do something to be a special guest referee. And he chose this match to be the special guest referee for. Oh, and Shane has bought WCW. But that's not really a part. That just happens within this. You know, that's just happened. That, I think, is basically everything that has led us to this point. That's a great job, man. Um, what about the Trish striptease thing is in all this? Because oh, the, yes. there's a bit that sets up Tri- cause Trish. Because yes. Trish is playing the downbeaten, oppressed person in this little faction. Yes. But really, she's probably plotting her own revenge on Vince. Yes. So at one point during this feud... <sighs> Uh, tr- oh god I forgot about this I've done a video on it as well you can get a wrestling talk and see a video on this it's during my early days when I'm not a good presenter um, Vince brings Trish down to the ring and he wants her to prove that she is subservient to him I guess that she is she is committed to this relationship I think is a much nicer way of putting it that's probably not what they were going for though and he makes her strip down to her you know to her underwear and then parade around the ring and bark like a dog. All the while, Tristratus is crying. Like, just crying. And it's 
Stripteases are better when they're crying. Well, That's a Bloodhound Gang song. It is, yeah. The lap, a lap dance is so much better when the stripper is crying. Um, a song that I think is hilarious. My wife hates with a passion. <laughs> it's just, just going to lighten up a bit. <laughs> I think the song is very funny. It's very funny. <laughs> it's not real. It's not saying it's... Oh, yeah, it's actually better when they're crying. <laughs> it's, not... it's a joke about the horrible idea of it. It's a parody of country and western songs. Yes. But anywho... Um, that's by the by. So it's a very uncomfortable. I've re- had to rewatch the segment for the video, and I did not enjoy watching it whatsoever. Not, but you look like when when I saw you. I mean, I was only seeing it over your shoulder, but you looked like you were kind of shaking a lot from behind, like yeah, when you're watching was, that strip tease. Hun- hunch over, hunch over, yeah, crying. that hunch and, and you were breathing like you were really into it. Like it was. So it must have been kind of funny. It's angry breathing, man. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. And um, <laughs> and that also features the infamous Arm line. <laughs> The infamous line from Paul Heyman when he says, I came to Washington, D.C. and I'm going to see Bush. And then there was a, a and then that's when I think the, the turn of that, though, comes. I think it's the following week when Vince and Stephanie Paul sludge over Trish. I think like Vince and Trish were going to do it on Stephanie and then Vince and Stephanie do it on Trish. But then Trish is still with them. It's a whole mess of a situation. And I'm, we're going to have a discussion after the match i suppose about sort of how this all kind of ties together because i'd like to get your pers- <laughs> try i'd like I, to get your perspective on I, this. I, I could tell you right now it ties together in the mind of a madman <laughs> this is just fascinating isn't I mean, it just it's like to, to to first of all to first to, to be pitched if he hasn't come up with this idea himself which he clearly has. Which he clearly has. So he's got to be the one to pitch this to everyone. So, yeah, we're doing this. Uh, but to, to get it pitched to you and then to go like, yeah, that's a good idea. I, I want to have all this stuff go on. I want to, like, even if it's in storyline, to do that to your significant other betrays a mindset of a, of a person which is very, very just concerning. Well, do you know the stories of uh, Vince's childhood? Yes, yeah. And the, I mean, he has said it in so many words that he was abused by his mother and mm. he was certainly abused by his stepfather. Mm. Do you think that might sort of play into some of his his mindset when writing these storylines? Because, like, let's not forget, it's self-admitted by WWE that, that Vince wanted to write a storyline where he fathered Stephanie's child. It's... Uh... And when that was turned down, his second option was Shane. Mm-hmm. It's it's certainly someone whose idea of a normal family unit is very, very warped, where red flags for other people might seem as normal for him because of his own upbringing. Perhaps. So may, maybe he sees this as all just like fun nonsense, whereas everyone else is going like, oh, no, 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 that's a bit like our line is a bit in a different place to yours Vince. Yeah, I think it it feels like it's a it's a Jerry Springer storyline. I think if he could have got Jerry in for this he would have done. Like to do like a, a sit down segment like with Jerry Springer on Raw, he 100% would have done. And I'd imagine that Jerry was like that's a bit much Vince. Yeah, I'll, be, I'll yeah. be honest, even for me this storyline is a little bit much. Um so Shane comes down to the ring. Oh, so we're, so we're in the match now. Context I, I, out the way. I, I feel that yeah, I feel like we've almost discussed everything we possibly can about the build-up I mean, for this. This, this could be oh, a whole this, podcast this, oh, on we, the we could, I could just go on and on and on about this yeah. because it's absolutely, it's mind-blowingly fascinating. 
you know, the, just the idea that Vince McMahon, because this is, I feel at this point as well, this is very much like the death throes of McMahonomania. When, the, when Vince McMahon was just like, people love the McMahons and they love McMahon family drama and they, want, they don't want to see wrestling. They want to see McMahon family drama on screen every week because we have had McMahon family drama on week every on on tv every single week since 1998 at this point it was mcmahon and austin and then vince was feuding with shane and then stephanie was feuding with vince and then stephanie was running the show and then vince came back and you had the mcmahon in every corner at wrestlemania 2000 and then vince and stephanie were running the show with shane and then we built to this point here and it's all just been mcmahonomania for the last four years and the crowd are super into this match. I will certainly give it that. But it really feels like this is the point where I'm like, that's enough now. It is, isn't it? It is the perfect way to end the whole McMahon saga. If only it did end there. Uh, yes, I was going to say, because we've got another whole year of it yet. Well, to, to be honest, we've got a whole other 20 years. <laughs> yeah, perhaps, yeah. Uh, but yes, yeah, let's do the match. So Shane comes out to no chance. At first, I thought it sounded like a different version of No Chance, but no, they both come out to the exact same entrance music. They do, yeah. So it's good Mick Foley's in there to break that up. Yes. Uh, but then comes, because all the stuff we've talked about, it was only a, a joke throwaway line there in your summary. By the way, Shane also bought WCW six days ago. One of the moment, the biggest pieces of wrestling news ever. And it is but a footnote <laughs> to this crazy soap opera feud to call it a footnote is putting it over but well speaking of putting (laughs) over as if this whole train wreck of this beautiful train wreck because it sounds like we're being down on all this and it is so weird but oh my god it's brilliant i love this match i love this match i love love everything building up to it oh god i love this match so much so shane mcmahon gets into the ring babyface by the way and says by the, before we start, I've got to give a shout out to my WCW boys. To the young stars of WCW is the way they put it, because all the quote unquote old stars, they were not going to sign across. They weren't getting Sting. Mm. You weren't getting Hogan. You weren't getting Lex Luger. You weren't getting Randy Savage. You weren't getting Goldberg. You weren't getting X. You weren't getting Y. You weren't getting Z. So we're throwing up to the quote young stars of WCW and the crowd boo. Yes, so of course they would. There's quite a few oversights here. (laughs) So Shane mentions WCW, like, uh, he's the babyface. By the way, WCW and WWF have been involved in a bit of war for the best part of a decade. And so, of course, the WWF crowd at WrestleMania, (laughs) the most hardcore of WWF crowds, hear WCW's name, of course they're going to boo. The camera then cuts to the direction in which Shane is pointing. And I'm like... Where are they? <laughs> are they are they in the crowd? Are they by ringside? And it's like the the distance is so far away. It's just this shot of an expanse of people standing up. You're like, where are they? They're in the, they're in the skybox, but there are so many empty seats within this skybox. Oh, and I just looked up and I was like, I I don't recognise many people there. I could see Stacy Keebler, Hugh Morris, Jimmy Wang Yang. Chavo Guerrero and I think Mark Jindrak and yes, so that was it and I've written here what an acquisition I've got a list here oh really yeah yeah this is fascinating I did a bit of my own research because I was like who are those because I Keebler Storm did you say Lance Storm I didn't say I didn't yeah, see Lance Storm, I saw Lance Storm. 
uh, and the other guys you saw. I didn't see... Um, you said someone else, I can't remember. Uh, but anyway, they, so that first shot where you're like, what are they looking at? And then they cut to a closer shot after quite a long while, and it's of this sparsely populated skybox. Why aren't they sitting together as well? I don't know. Just... None of them want to be there. Yeah, it's, it's so sad. It's like nine people in a, in a skybox for about 30, and they're all not sitting anywhere near each other. And then it just says on the name bar graphic that fires up WCW wrestlers. <laughs> it was so pathetic. They all look super bored. Which also means that's World Championship Wrestling wrestlers. Yes, good point. <laughs> Uh, they all look super bored. They don't sell Shane's call out. They don't wave back to him. They don't pose to the crowd. They all just sit there looking like they'd rather be anywhere else. Do you know why they are all so pissed off, Luke? I No, please right. tell me. Okay, so the people there are Stacey Keebler, Lance Storm, Sean Stasiak, Chavo Guerrero, Billy Kidman, Hugh Morris, Mark Jindrak, and Mike Sanders. Those are the names Man, I, I could did find. Not see, I did not see... Um, oh, you said a name there that I, re- I, I, I did not see... Man, I didn't see half of them. Yeah. Uh, so this is from a forum. Okay. Ooh. So apparently Lance Storm blogged about this. Apparently most of the wrestlers were very ticked off with one Mr. Stasiak after he did a bunch of interviews revealing the WCW guys were supposed to run in on the Vince Shane match, which led to that part getting pulled. No. So they're all pissed off with him. Now, do you know what it is? And Sean Stasiak was the bloody name that I recognise as well. Former WWF guy in Meat. Of all the people that they could have re-signed with this WCW acquisition, why the hell did they get Sean Stasiak? Do you know why Sean Stasiak was fired from the WWF? No. Because he taped people's conversations in the locker room. Whoa. Like, he used to carry around, like, you know, like, like Home Alone 2. You know, like, yeah. he carries around like a warp, and he got caught taping people's conversations. And that's why he was fired, because they were like, this guy's weird. I don't want him around this company, because he tapes conversations. And yet he was brought back. Jeff Jarrett, on the other hand, gets fired on TV. So, yeah, I don't know. That was just from a forum. I haven't, I couldn't find the Lance Storm blog. Mm. But, you know, that was back in 2000. It sounds about right, though, because they look miserable. It's so sad. It's it's bizarre. Mm. And like this right here, this shot is your first look at the invasion. Like this, that's, this is it. This is what you've got. You're not getting the NWO. You're not getting the horsewomen. What, Ric Flair? Not happening, mate. You want Sting? Not happening. Do you know who you are getting? Sean Stasiak. You're getting Mark Jindrak. Stacey Keebler, though. You get <laughs> Stacey Keebler, Stacey Keebler, and Tori Wilson, the only female wrestlers they hired uh, in the WCW acquisition. Two uh, female wrestlers, I hasten to add, who didn't want to be wrestlers. They mm. categorically said, "I don't want to be a wrestler." It's uh, just imagine though, if it was Flair, if it was Hall Nash, yeah, uh, Jarrett. I'm trying to think of other people. Randy Savage, like time. yeah, absolutely. Buff Bagwell. I mean, Bagwell was signed. They did sign mm. Bagwell. He lasted one match, Booker but they did T. sign him. Mike Awesome. Like, yeah. you know, he could have been there. Wow. Oh, well, man. you know, that's... But they only had six days. <laughs> maybe maybe people were booked. Maybe they were busy elsewhere. WCW shows. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, Mick Foley comes out next uh, for his special guest referee position. And I, I love Mick Foley's 
crappy referee top. Wonderful. It's a white shirt that he's effectively drawn the black lines on himself. Yeah, it's great stuff. Yeah. And he's wearing his own t-shirt underneath as well, like a complete mark. And the tra- trainers, just bad dad trainers. Yeah, yeah. it's absolutely awesome. So yeah, Foley is the referee. The match starts and Vince throws potatoes. Yeah. Like these, we mock Shane's punches and quite rightly so. Vince is just throwing like ham fist. Excuse me, he's throwing ham fist here. And then Shane tackles and throws his own potatoes. Stephanie rolls in, slaps Shane. Shane already has a black eye forming. Yeah, he's got a big bump on the side of his head, hasn't he? Yeah, from one of his dad's potatoes, because his dad has just punched him in the face mm. for real. Just to clarify that again, his dad has punched him in the face for real. It's, I mean, I I have a very different relationship with my father. Mm. Yes. So it's not how the Davis family do things. I was going to say, I think if, yeah, if my dad was a wrestling promoter, I don't think he would have booked this match. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's one thing to to be in wrestling. It's another thing. Like, I don't think being in wrestling automatically makes you want to get your whole family involved in wrestling. Hmm. Uh, in fact, most most wrestlers seem to want their children to not do any, not to have anything to do with Absolutely. wrestling. Absolutely, try to actively discourage them from doing. Yeah. Tessa Blanchard is in wrestling despite of her father. Mm. Like her father was like, "Don't get into." Just, you hear that a lot. Yeah, yeah, just just stay as far away from this business as you can. Did, did she, that like Rocky is what Rock they did. Um, the Myvias didn't want Rock to become a wrestler. Yeah, they I wanted, think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, the Shane... oh, Nia, Nia Jax is the other one. Oh, right, Nia Jax, really? they, yeah, the, the family were just like, don't get into it. Mm. Yeah, so Shane McMahon gets a sign. This is the first hardcore spot of the match. And repeatedly whacks Vince on the back, then gets some cables and chokes him. There's a sign at ringside here that says McMahonFigures.com. I looked it up. It doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't exist either. Yeah, I looked it up. <laughs> then Shane gets the kendo sticks out. Yep, and he throws some more potatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Shane uses the monitor on Vince right in their heads yeah like that, that looks stiff <laughs> and then Shane uh, so Vince is on top of the Spanish announcers table and Shane rolls into the ring and he gets up onto the top rope and he just launches himself at his father but Stephanie lifts Vince off the table at the last second and he crashes through Stephanie Zane right there with the save of the century she pulls Vince up and Shane just clatters through this table it's a great elbow I'd like Shane we can be critical about him for many things, but I, I, this was why I fell in love with the guy as a mm-hmm. kid. The way he throws those, the way he does the flying elbow, although like when it actually hits the person, probably isn't that impactful. But just the way he soars and flies and his arms flail, yeah, I just he looks great. It, okay, so I mean, just watch him do this table spot here. And do Mick Foley's attempt at doing that table spot this time the previous year at WrestleMania 2000 when he soared like a stone and barely made it and Mm. then just cracked his ribs. And his first thought was, I'm not going to Disney World after all. Yeah. So we're we're about what, like five minutes into (laughs) the match match here? And uh, with Shane, Shane is taken out from this flying elbow attempt that he's missed. Mm -hmm. So just as the McMahon's planned backstage... Here comes Trish with Linda in the wheelchair to watch her husband beat up her son. JR is so incensed at this point. He's so upset about all this. JR is one of the best things about this match because he sells every single bit of emotion. And it's why JR is one of the best of all time. He is so great in this match. I've now written in capitals, 
stupid angle time. <laughs> and let the, we're going to talk about it when TLC two. There's a there's a there's a bit in TLC two when you thought it was in a certain gear, which was a high gear to begin with, and then it just breaks the gearbox and shoots into the knock the Nox gas from Fast and Furious. That's what happens here with stupid angle time because. I will try and attempt to run this through. Trish comes down with Linda and Trish is checking on Vince, like massaging his face. Are you okay, Vince? Oh, slap! Trish has turned on Vince. Stephanie swings Trish around. Stephanie slaps Trish because Trish had slapped Vince. So Stephanie and Trish now start wrestle wrestling. They kind of get into the, the ring and mix like... What what's going on here? He's on the outside, and there's this wonderful shot where Mick's just watching them uh, wrestle in the ring, doing their little cat fight stuff. I don't think he knew the camera was behind him, and he just scratches his butt. <laughs> so it kind of a you know when you adjust your trousers yeah. and scratch your butt at the same time, he does that, and then he gets in the ring, and he eventually pulls Steph off of uh, Trish, and Stephanie then slaps Mick Foley. Uh, and then Stephanie runs away up the ramp and she's halfway up, but she trips despite not having any heels on. Trish, however, in massive heels, is perfectly fine to sprint after her. All the while, the crowd is going ape. Like, they have lost their collective mind. It's insane. It's insanity. It is pandemonium in this crowd. When Trish slaps Vince, the place erupts and they don't stop. Because then Stephanie slaps it and it just like, it breaks down. But the crowd are into every single thing that they have done. Yeah, and it's, and, and, and Trish always, um, from your video I know this, uh, that initial striptease angle that was quite distasteful that Trish did for Vince. She said, but at the end of the day the storyline justifies it because I get my own back on Vince. Like that was just the, the double down moment. Not the me- double down. A means to an end. Yeah, means to an end. Uh, and you, you got to think like, seeing that reaction from Trish turn on Vince, they're not just popping because it was a turn. They're popping because the oppressed Trish has finally stood up for herself and is going to stop the dastardly McMahon uh, from winning. So while all this is going on on the ramp and Trish and Stephanie and Mick are kind of this this scuffle ball, it cut, the camera then cuts back to Vince and Linda. And I was like, I almost forgot this was happening. <laughs> and Vince is just there with that brilliant mean face and he just mouths the word bitch to linda (laughs) and you can tell that he knew the camera missed it because he does it again (laughs) and uh just like really great soap opera stuff here and linda you know like linda is not a performer really but my god she can play comatose perfectly it cannot be that easy to sit there while all this insanity is going on and dip, and just be completely glazed over. But that's just how terrible of an actor Linda McMahon is, because she doesn't react to things like when she's meant to be reacting to them. So this was like the easiest job yes. in the world for her to just not act. She was born to play this comatose <laughs> role. To quote Vince McMahon, "Bless her, she's not a performer." Yes. Yeah, so uh, what? what well, okay. So well, all right. So Vince focuses on Linda, and then Mick Foley steps in. He's like, "No, I'm not having any of this." And then uh, Vince knocks him down, uh, knocks him in the back with a chair, and then wallops him with mm. the chair right in the face, as hard as he possibly could. He it's like it sounds like a gunshot goes off in the arena when he when he hits him, and then Vince grabs Linda 
out of her seat and kind of carries her to the ring and then rolls her into the ring. Linda is obviously no standing in this. She's, she's comatose after all. And he sets up a fold-up chair for her to sit in because he wants her to sit there or yeah, he wants her to sit there while he beats up his son and she is going to watch. And so he, he rolls her in. He then rolls Shane in and tosses several garbage cans into the ring and he bonks Shane with one of the garbage cans and then he berates Linda and he turns around to face Shane and he's got the, carb, the garbage can lifted high above his head and Linda stands up. And I've just written in caps lock, the place goes effing berserk. It's it's an amazing spot. Oh it is God. a beautifully done bit of visual storytelling. They lose their minds. It's incredible. And then she kicks him in the nuts. Yes. She kicks him square in the nuts. Foley is in and he unloads on Vince. And then Shane hits the fan Terminator for the win. Well, what we now know is the Coast to Coast. But back then in the ECW days, we just knew it as the, the fan Terminator. It was the old Rob Van Dam spot. Um, <laughs> I've written here, ECW is dead. So I guess he's allowed to do that now. Um, crowd goes nuts. Shane and Linda hug. It's a really sweet moment. A close-up shot of the WCW guys barely reacting. That's where I noticed that Meats was there. Yeah, I've written the se- the seven WCW people <laughs> in the skybox go mild. <laughs> I was going to say because this crowd is going absolutely berserk. They are not. Yeah, they've just seen their boss beat the boss of the rival company, and they don't seem to care that much. Mm. So here is some of the things that have been talked about since this match. Sure, because you're right. Trista has said in interviews. That although the her barking like a dog was a really low point of you know her career, but it was part of the storyline. She eventually got her revenge exactly. on Vince and this, that, and the other. And you know all the stuff that Vince did to Linda. Linda got her revenge too. However, there has been an argument since then that they didn't really get their revenge because Trish didn't cost Vince the match. And Linda didn't cost Vince the match. Like, Shane won the match. Shane won the war. So, did Trish get her revenge? Because it's not really like this is followed up on much. Trish just goes and becomes a female wrestler. And Linda's not really seen on TV, you know, after this. And not to spoil this show and this podcast, but Vince stands tall at the end of the night. So Vince doesn't really get his comeuppance for all of this madness. In fact, at the end of the night, he's in more power than he was previously. I... yeah, I can see that as a thing. But Linda... Linda, Linda's arc was always going to be very limited. Uh, it's, it's not about costing Vince. Like, I mean, she did cost him the match, really. Linda was never going to win the match because she's no. not in the match. She never would be in a match. True. Uh... Trish, I guess you can make the argument for, it was a minor part in a larger, very crowded story. Um, but no, I think, uh, and, and I guess, yeah, McMahon does stand tall at the end, like you said. But it's, here, here it feels like the close of that McMahon chapter, and then he starts a new one with Austin at the at the end of the night. Yeah. I, honestly, I I thought this was just enjoy sheer enjoyable insanity, I love the spots. The Linda standing up is one of the all-time great wrestling moments. And one of the all-time great wrestling pops. Yeah. Uh, The crowd do lose their mind. Because everyone knows it's coming, really. But it's still absolutely brilliant when it happens. And just 
like, how freaking incredible was Mr. McMahon as a character? Like, I, I know we we do say it's gone a bit crazy how much McMahon values his own self, but he is, he's the top heel. Yeah, he like, really he's is. not just the top heel. He's a proper money and ratings draw. Yeah. Like, people want to see him get beaten up. That is very true. And, and Shane, you know, Shane, Mick Foley, Trish Stratus, Linda, four people get to beat up Vince here in a way. Yeah. And they, the crowd is behind everyone and never does that feel like they're all ganging up on Vince. Like, it, it just feels... I mean, later on, it does feel like that when the hearts all kick Vince to bits. But here it's just like, no, Vince, you are such a deplorable human being. I'm on the, the numbers side, even when it's unfair. And it's just that thing again that Vince knows when to show his ass mm. and he knows when it is time to get his comeuppance i it's it's amazing that i haven't really thought I, I i've watched this pay-per-view so many times and i've defended this storyline in the sense of like what well, trish does get her revenge and then deserves her revenge yada 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 i can't defend the whole angle because the whole angle is just in pure insanity and it is just the the raving the, the raving words of a madman but like I love this match. I think this match is so enjoyably watchable. It's just pure wrestling car crash nonsense, and I enjoyed every single bit about it. But I've never really thought about the fact that that, that Vince stands tall at the end of the night, and you're like, yeah, maybe he didn't really get his comeuppance in all of that. But at the same time, Vince knows when it's time to lose, mm. and Vince rarely wins when it like Vince as, at does, the end. Exactly, yeah. Vince does the power play. He does this. He does that. But when it comes to actually wrestling, Vince knows that it's time to it's time for me to lose this now because I need to, I'm the bad guy. The good guy has got to overcome me. And as we've said it before, but it's the one thing that Stephanie has not inherited from her father. She always has to win. And if she if she gets to a point where she can't win anymore, something else has to cause her to lose. Yeah. And it, and I think that's one of the biggest like downsides to Stephanie in this position of power that she's got because there are only a handful of people that she is willing to put over one of them is triple h and the other one is ronda rousey mm. but um yeah I i'm so curious to hear what you gave this in the douchebag rating scale 4.5 stars Whoa! this is tokyo dome levels no it's, it's like i i can appreciate a very well wrestled match as much as i can this car crash of booking this is just this is fantastic. Because this is not a wrestling match. Because no. these, these lads are just throwing potatoes at each yeah. other. But the spot and everything and the story it tells, it I don't, it, must, it must go like 10, 15 minutes maybe. But it goes by so quickly. Like It's it's a really well told story. The Wrestling Observer does disagree though. They, <laughs> they gave it three stars. Uh, figure four, and I love this. Because this is one of those amazing things that was written at the time. And then it's just hilarious with a little bit of hindsight. Figure four, Brian Alberts would write, Shane then put a garbage can in front of Vince's face and basically ended his life with a Van Terminator. RVD, if you thought your chances of coming in were slim before, they're even slimmer now. In just a few months, RVD mm. would be the hardcore champion in the World Wrestling Federation, and then a few years later would be WWE champion. Um, a pretty gun, a pretty darn good match for what it was. Brian Alvarez also gave it three stars. The Torch said the match was exactly what it should have been: a couple of Shane high-risk moves plus a good mix of outside distractions to keep things entertaining without relying on Vince and Shane to carry a pure match by themselves. Entertaining. Three, Watchable. Three and a quarter stars. Wow, I am way out of sync with everyone else there. <laughs> I enjoy soap opera insanity more, it must. 
Absolutely, yes. Um, so we then get a video package of fan access, and we get to see uh, the Hardy Well, the Hardy Boys are at fan access. We get a longer video package for fan access later, but this is just the Hardy Boys in particular. And Kevin Kelly asks them about the upcoming TLC twos. This was obviously filmed the day before. Um, Matt loses his concentration whenever yes. he starts to sign stuff. Like he's cutting a promo, then he signs something. His mind focuses on signing, and he just sort of stops talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he stumbles a lot, whereas Jeff can just sign stuff in the background. Yeah. I think that's probably like, you know, Matt's, I focus on one thing at a time and I do that. But Jeff's more laid back, man. He's just more laid back, yeah. man. It's like you can't, I can't write a script and listen to a podcast. I can't, mm. I, I can't do one or the other. But Jeff, Jeff could probably do that and watch TV. And play guitar. Absolutely. While yeah. driving. Um, Jeff t- says that this might be his last match. Like, not even close, pal. Like, yeah. you had one on Friday. Uh, so then we get Triple H and uh, Taker preparing in different places backstage. Triple H was preparing by just breathing very heavily uh, in an office room. Well, that's how Triple H warms up, you see. <sighs> and Undertaker was doing his like, bum, 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 bum. Um, uh, what? <laughs> well, knocked over some stuff by doing that. Yeah, and so where was Taker here? Because I've just written it as a blue light area <laughs> under some stairs. Well, yeah, he goes around the building and then he asks a technician to set up a little blue light in the corner mm. because that will make it super moody. Ambiance. Exactly, ambiance. Like, I need some ambiance while I'm training, boy. Like, if you try me, I'll make you famous. Yeah. Like, just put the blue light up. But coming up next... Mm, give me the blue light. <laughs> I'm ready to shadow box, box. <laughs> Here we go, come on, coming this is up, it. Coming up next, we have got the aforementioned TLC2. Ooh. It is the Hardy Boys versus Edge and Christian versus the Dudley Boys. It's tables, ladders, and chairs. Oh my, Paul Heyman calls this a scary situation, and he is not kidding. I'm there's a pause there, but there's no video package, so that was just me throwing oh, to so you. Th- oh, right, okay. Uh... Uh, no scrubs, <laughs> no scrubs. So this is just incredible. Well, I was going to say, I wanted, I wanted to throw it to you because your favourite pay-per-view of all time is SummerSlam 2000, sure where the is. very first TLC match happened. Mm-hmm. The WrestleMania previous to this, WrestleMania 2000, these three teams had fought in a triple threat ladder match, and then... But there were also tables and chairs involved. It was just a ladder match. Then at SummerSlam, it was TLC two, or TLC one, which is your favorite pay per view. And now here we are at TLC two. But mm. what are your like, TLC one? Is an absolute spectacular show. Yes. Like and it, like SummerSlam is a great show, but like that match is is incredible. Well, this is gonna shock you, but although I have said this many times before, and like you do know, and I'm pretty sure everyone else. Knows as well, but they will still be shocked when they hear it. I had never seen TLC two before. Why did you not? No, I did not know that. It's just about like you. what you know, like one of those you did because I've told <laughs> you on multiple occasions. I've also brought it up on the podcast, before. Uh, <laughs> and, and I, I probably... get this. I get the same reaction every time. <laughs> it's just one of those things. Yeah, like you know, some people have never seen The Godfather. <clears throat> That'd be me. Yeah, and I'm, like, only, I'm happy to admit it. But, like, you know, just sometimes people haven't seen everything ever done no, that's in true. their particular Absolutely, field. Yeah. And this was one of them for me. And, I, of course, I love TLC, the first one, although I haven't seen that in quite some time. Uh, and it's just 
just brilliant. It's incredible. It, yeah. An absolute monster pop as the Hardys come out. Lita is not with them as she was gored by Rhino on TV because he has recently made his debut. The, the last ever ECW champion and television champion, Rhino, uh, made his debut on WWF. As, um, as Edge and Christian's lackey. Yes, so they all have their own third member. Mm. So Edge and Christian have Rhino, the Hardys have Lita, and the Dudley boys have got the also recently debuting Little Spike Dudley. Did I mention that ECW was going out of business at this point, or had basically gone under? Um, My mate, Mike, loved the Hardy Boys. He was a huge Hardy Boys mark. Like, I just, I always, whenever I picture my mate Mike, it was always him, like, doing the like, the Jeff Hardy pose, like, where you sort of, like, push your, your shoulders back and you bring your, your, your guns up to your mouth. He just thought they were the coolest dudes ever. And I agreed because I was also a massive mark for the Hardy Boys. Did you also dress like you were going to a gay fetish club? Uh, no, but I did once spend a Reading Festival wearing one of those like fishnet uh, things like underneath a T-shirt. Good like I was that uh, horrible. Uh, well, yeah, but I thought the Hardys were the coolest thing ever. I just thought they were amazing. You see, I was never into the Hardys as a kid. I just didn't get this Madness. whole Hardys thing. Oh, they were so awesome. Man. And just like... Just seeing those mesh tops. <laughs> the early noughties was such a weird time for fashion. So, so like, did the, the, the 90s and the, all the leather and stuff is, is kind of merging from Matrix into bling era i don't know what it is it's just but i don't like it whatever it was <laughs> uh, uh, jr points out that edging christian versus the hardy boys in a ladder match happened at no mercy 1999 and he sort of explains like it was october 1999 and that started this journey of edging christian and the hardys in a ladder match it was the first ever tag team ladder match for the wwf championship i think of that oh no actually that was the finals of the terry invitational tournament tit uh, for the um, for her managerial <laughs> services which didn't last very long and then um that's kind of like morphed now into WrestleMania 2000, into SummerSlam 2000 when the, the Dudley boys come into it, to this point here. And then I suddenly thought, I was like, huh, well, that suggests then in the tag team division, they've only ever elevated the Dudley boys. And then as I, I, I sort of sat back and I thought about it, I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually, because the next set of tag champs after this is Steve Austin and Triple H. It's Benoit and Jericho. It's Jericho and Rock. It's Booker T and Test. It's Kane and The Undertaker and just random WCW teams. The tag team division really was just these three teams. For the longest period of time, APA were involved and, um, and um, TNA, uh, not the company TNA, Test and Albert, and Too Cool, I suppose. But it was really only ever about these three teams. Yeah, which is, you know, that's, that's not the worst thing because three teams gives you quite a few programs to do you can mix it up with other teams and then you can all collide together in these triple threats uh what a strong three teams to have oh, at the top. yeah like you look at those three teams why would you not focus on them no 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 i'm not saying it's a bad thing i'm yeah, just saying that but it's like, just fascinating it was yeah. just like as soon as this feud was done and this was it this was like the culmination of these three teams having like this is their final outing as this the next set of tag champs are just random people thrown together mm. because they just look just like there's no one else we've got now that are on the same level as these three teams. It's, so it has to be Austin and Triple H. It has to be Benoit and Jericho. It has to be Rock and Jericho. It's a real shame that there isn't another team on the level of the Usos and the New Day. I know you can say Bludgeon Brothers, but I don't really buy into that at the moment. No. Uh, the but Blood, uh, sorry, New Day and Usos like they're just missing that third component yeah which would make it all 
it should have been American Beta or American Alpha or either one of them or the Revival or the Revival it should have been yeah absolutely Um, Heyman mentions uh, Big Daddy Dudley or Big uh, on TV yes he mentioned and he mentioned him twice I think this is the first time Big Daddy Dudley has been mentioned on TV Paul Heyman bringing across his ECW storylines because he's like oh yeah you've got the Dudley Boys here well I'm going to tell you about my version of the Dudley Boys and that is Big Daddy Dudley was a travelling salesman around Dudleyville and he used to go to all the different sections of Dudleyville and impregnate different women and now he's got this big army of Dudley Boys there were so many members of the Dudley Boys there was Sign Guy Dudley Tie Guy Dudley Dances with Dudley there was Big Dick Dudley and Spike Dudley of course but here we've just got those main three and they are brothers in the same way that Edge and Christian are brothers. That's Heyman trying to upsell. <laughs> He's like, you see these three guys? I've got, I've got like 40 more guys where they came from. <laughs> exactly the same last name. It'll be brilliant. I can do two for one, two for one. Hey, 40% off if you buy the whole bunch. Hey man, you're planning an invasion. Yeah. Like, you're going to need bodies. This is an ECW fire sale. All must go. All <laughs> must go. You're going to need bodies and those bodies need to hit the floor. Mm. There's a whole song about it. Uh, so I I just want to say some things about Edge and Christian's entrance music. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you think you know me? I, oh, I forgot about the extra guitar riff. It's rocking out at home. <laughs> uh, but the Fink introduced them as Christian and Edge. He always did this. No matter yeah. the fact that the, the name bar always says Edge and Christian, everyone always said Edge and Christian. He always introduced them as Christian and Edge. Alphabetical order. This is why he lost his job. Nice one, Fink. You had it coming. But uh, so, should we get into the actual match? Well, yeah, let's try uh, and, and talk about this. There's a poetry in motion early by the Hardy Boys, and then Edge and Christian use the ladder to take everyone down. I basically just like just got a list of like what happens yeah i'll here. try and chip in where where it happens yeah um matt is in a tree of woe position and edge and christian stand on his nuts and then they hit a, a top dro- drop toe hold onto jeff into a chair about 40 seconds in maybe a minute in at this point matt gets knocked off the ladder by edge poetry emotion knocks edge off a ladder basement drop kick by the hardy boys into the dudleys with a ladder the Hardy Boys then climb ladders and hit a frog splash or a splash and a leg drop combination onto Christian, and the Dudleys hit the what's up all the way across the ring. Like mm. du- like Bubba Ray Dudley has got I can't remember whose legs it was now, basically on the other side of the ring, and Devon just dives as far as he can, just about makes it. But he was absolutely miles away. Dudley boys get the tables, Edge set Bubba sets Edge up on a table, and then he power bombs Jeff onto Edge, who was on the table, and they go through said table. Have I missed anything so no, far? No, 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 that's, that's all good. Um, uh, where am I? Budleys, Budleys. The Dudleys then stack up four tables on the outside. So there's two, and then they put two on top of each other to create like this 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 table uh, pyramid shape. Cube. Yeah, this pyramid. Table cube. Absolutely. Um, I'm not sure what the purpose was, what they were thinking at the time when they did it, but they, they certainly did it. Um... Uh, and then Christian and Matt uh, go to the outside. Oh no, I've got a missed well, spot here. There, there were three yes, ladders. There's three in ladders, the ring. yeah. And uh, each person is climbing up one side of the ring. And yes, the the one that had Christian and Matt on gets tipped over. And Matt just kind of takes a bump onto the top rope. Christian throws himself over the top rope, takes this brutal bump to the outside. Oof, yeah. Uh, Devon and Jeff fall 
onto the top rope on the other side and Bubba and Edge take some huge back bumps. Yes. So they're two thirds the way up of the the ladder and they fall down from there. That's that sucks. Then we get interference of mania because although the commentary team have told us that each of their respective third people are injured or incapacitated elsewhere who should run out but little spike dudley and he comes out from the back and he hits the dudley dog onto edge off the ladder or acid drop as it was in ecw and then so christian is on like the apron and uh, spike grabs him and he runs up the ropes to do the dudley dog and they just fall off the apron through a table great ecw chants oh which lovely. were a lot more appropriate back then <laughs> um and now Rhino is here. So Rhino is also run, front, run down from the back. Rhino takes out Jeff. He hits deep on with the ladder, then gores Bubba Ray Dudley, and then gores Matt through the table. I love the gore. Yes. It's weird seeing Rhino with Edge and Christian, though. Cause, well, I, I feel like I saw Rhino with the Dudleys so much a few years ago that they were all that you know, that they're always a, a trio to see, to see them going against each other in WWE absolutely here. yeah and it's really weird as well because like they were put together because all three of them like trained in the same area and like they're, they're all like genuine best friends in real life so you're like oh cool yeah so I guess that makes sense but then you're like but I don't know that mm. like unless I'm reading the dirt cheese, I don't know that oh what Rhino Edge and Christian yeah oh, okay. like gen- genuine like best friends in real life that's why when Rhino and Christian were in TNA at the same time. They used to have like these real blood feuds because they were like, it's all of this real life friendship that's come to a head in, in, into these feuds here. Um, and obviously then they were sort of a team with Angle as well because they were team um, like team Wreck and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, so uh, what we've got? So Rhino, uh, love the gore. Uh, and then here comes Lita. Her ass is on show and everything. Uh, yeah, she... And the boobs. The boobs are like they're they're not attached to her. It seems like they move independently of her when she <laughs> runs. Um, and the orbs. She pulls Edge off the ladder, but Rhino grabs her and lifts her up. Low blow by Spike Dudley and Alita can run so, so on Rhino. Spike saves Lita here. Yes. It's important to note that out because <laughs> Lita is a bit of a bitch later on. So Lita can run on Rhino. Edge then climbs the ladder, but Spike uh, hits Rhino with a chair, and then Rhino bonks into the ladder and edge falls off it crotching himself on the row uh the dudleyville device on rhino and then lita cracks spike in the head with a chair i know right <laughs> didn't even think about that yeah and i've seen this match quite a few spike times just saved her and then she ju- and he gets her hit in, the, in oh. the face with a chair for his trouble so uh, after lita hits spike there you know with a with the chair she takes her top off yeah pop the crowd man she takes her top off because that's what the hardy boys did She's man pumped up jeff jeff did it later on in the night you just like you take your top off when you're ready to do your next big move and her next big move is getting hit with the 3d by the dudley boys which was brilliant and you know i said that there's that moment where it's like oh okay there was a gear for this match and now it it goes into the next gear where it's just non-stop craziness. Yeah. That, that happened like a few bits ago where it's uh, where Lita low blows Spike. Yes, I was going to say, like from that point there, when Lita runs out and like there's the low blow on Spike and and going up to the the 3D and Edge hits Devon with a chair and then Christian hits uh, Bubba in the face with a chair. That whole sequence goes about 90 seconds. Like, yeah. it, it is just rapid fire spot after spot. Because usually when we recap these things, we only talk about the major spots that happen. And there's lots of like 
strike exchanges or Irish whip stuff or rest hold stuff we don't mention. This is literally a play by play <laughs> where this happened, then this happened. It's just big spot after big spot before you can even catch your breath. A huge ladder this is lad- being set up outside by Jeff Hardy. An enormous ladder. This ladder is so tall that it is the same height as the other ladders that are in the ring. Yeah. And there's, this ladder gets er- erected and Jeff climbs up this ooper duper ladder. Well, before then it starts to wobble. There's a cameraman right behind the ladder and the ladder starts to fall onto the camera. Yeah. And the camera's like, like ah, and he try, tries to get out of the way. But then it gets back uh, to yeah. a and it, it, position. It's actually got Leah's top attached to it. Has it really? Yeah, I think when Leah threw her top, it got it got trapped onto the ladder. Um, and then he climbs up and there are two tables. We don't even see how this all gets set up. But before you know, because of all this craziness happened in the ring, somehow two tables have been set up on the outside and Spike, Dudley and Rhino are on those tables. Jeff climbs up to the top of this ooper-duper ladder. Right to the top. Right to the top. And he hits a swanton bomb off of this enormous ladder onto Rhino and Spike through tables. Holy, holy moly. And Edge then pulls the super-duper ladder into the ring. Um, and it's so tall it's touching the tag belts. It's like knocking yeah. the tag belts yeah, 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 when, yeah. They're, when they're, they're setting this up. And Christian Devon climbed the super duper ladder and they grab the belt, but Matt removes the ladder and Christian Devon dangle from them. Here is where something goes slightly awry yeah, in this shame, match. It's yeah. a real shame because the match was so on fire as well. But it's a spot that they do. And you just look at it and go, that was never going to work. That was absolutely never going to work because there wasn't enough weight on the ladders. If they had people mm, stood on the ladders sure. as a counterbalance, it might have worked. But this was never going to work in its first instance. That's a good point. So it's it's three ladders set next to each other, running from the turnbuckle, the ring post, through to where the belts are being suspended. And the idea is that Jeff will get up on the turnbuckle and then get up onto the first ladder and run across the ladders and get the belt from the thing. So I think that was proposed to him when he was signing stuff. <laughs> yeah, man, that sounds great. That sounds great. I'll just, I'll just run, yeah? Bear run, in mind. Run and fly. Bear in mind, not 20 seconds before that, he had hit a swanton bomb off the Oopa duper ladder yeah, through a table. But it's not... He didn't take the punishment for that. No, I'm, I'm the not... The guys... I'm, yeah, it's yeah, still ridiculous. Say, I'm not, I'm not, I was going to say, like, oh, sell the injury, man. It's just like, he just took this huge bump mm. and then 20 seconds later, he's doing this next crazy spot where he tries to walk across these ladders. It's also one of those things as well, you're like... How did those ladders get set up in the corner like this? Who yeah. set these three ladders up to be this specifically placed? There's a lot of stuff like that, but it's, <laughs> it moves so fast that you can't you, you can't, can't uh, you can't think about that sort of thing. But it was never going to work. But anyway, Jeff sort of falls over. The ladders collapse a little bit, but then he grabs a ladder up and he grabs the belts. And just like before, only this time it's Bubba takes the ladder away. And then we get the moment that this match is most probably remembered for, which is Jeff Hardy swinging on the this like hook that is hanging above the ring with the belts on it and he swings back and edge off the ooper duper ladder jumps and just spears him and they crash to the mat jim ross shouts almost at the exact same time of me for the love of god like that was a hell of a bump it's it's not and it's not even like it's a a slight shoulder tackle from it. No. It is a full on spear from the moment he, his shoulder touches Jeff to the when they hit the canvas. And it, it makes it feel so much worse because the momentum is Jeff is like he his feet get caught in the ladder while Bubba is taking the ladder away. Yeah. So when Jeff unhooks his feet, 
the momentum swings him into it. So it's like his momentum just gets woof, stopped, and then he just falls flat to the back. Oh, man, it must have sucked to take that. It's it's an incredible spot and just one that comes after everything that's been happening. And they, they just keep topping each other. And it, it holds up to date and it really puts over how important the titles are and how much these three teams hate each other. Yes, to be able absolutely. To, to do this sort of yeah. stuff. And then before you can even catch your breath on that one, remember, that is the second crazy in a row spot we've had. Uh, Matt Hardy and Bubba are climbing up another ladder. On the super duper ladder. On the super duper ladder. But uh, Rhino pushes it over. And those are the two people who go through the four tables set up on the outside earlier for God knows what. Good God. Now it's insanity. And then Devon is climbing up one side of the ladder. But Christian on Rhino's shoulders are climbing up the other side. And Christian grabs the titles what an incredible, incredible match. I've written that was a car wreck in the best kind of way. I do think I might want to go back and rewatch them, but I think it's the weakest of the three matches that they had, like a three-match series from WrestleMania 2000, SummerSlam 2000, and this. I think it's the weakest of the three, but it was still awesome. Mm. It's absolutely incredible stuff. I think it's the it's the involvement of other people. Yeah. Which takes it down a notch. Oh, really? Because I, I, I think that kind of like elevates a little yeah, bit. I, I think it adds an, a new element. And to a it. new element, sure, but it's like it, it almost makes it less personal and more about. Oh spectacles. yeah, I, I get you. So yeah. f- from a an emotion point of view, it lessens. Yeah. It. But sure, like from an action, it it allows them to do even more than they were because you've got nine people to play with <laughs> rather than six. It's insanity. It's just absolutely incredible. Uh, the Wrestling Observer gave it four and three quarter stars. Uh, figure four uh, writes Brian Alvarez as great as this was they really need to put an end to it because these guys aren't going to make it another five years at this rate and someone might have their career cut even shorter one bad stunt bump you had no idea mate Jeff Hardy's still wrestling he was he literally wrestled last Friday I saw him do it four and a half stars from Brian Alvarez the torch would write a special match great ooh and ah factor they managed to raise the bar for this style of match once again the edge spear on Jeff off the ladder was absolutely incredible looking just perfectly executed the fact that Jeff sold it the rest of the match made it all the more effective good involvement of Rhino and Spike two four and a quarter stars your de- your rating, Ollie Davis. I have given it four and three quarter stars. You and Dave. But I have written here if I if I saw that at the time because I'm I'm rating these eighteen years after that was a five star match. I think if I, I if I were to give that yeah in real time, WrestleMania two thousand that the triple threat ladder match was like that was kind of in my infant my infancy as a wrestling fan and it was like the craziest thing i'd ever seen just like absolutely mind-blowing how crazy that was and then the SummerSlam match i thought was just like even more spectacular i can't tell you how excited i was for this match because i was like i just want to see them do it all over again mm. and the fact that you had like rhino and he and spike dudley two more ecw things in there that i absolutely love I obviously loved lita i was a 15 year old boy who was into metal music and thongs i absolutely loved lita um and redheads and it's just like everything for this match worked for me it was it's the match at the end of the once everything was done it was that the gimmick battle royal and the three-way that i remembered the most the, the hardcore match obviously 
Those were the matches I remembered the most, and of course the ending of the show. I feel like that sums you up as a person. <laughs> Raven, yep. TLC2, Gimmick Battle Royal. <laughs> and those are the things I took away from this match. Because I've got to tell you, I mean, we're, we're going to be coming up to it soon. I couldn't tell you thing one about the Undertaker Triple H match. And I've seen it before. And I couldn't, t- I couldn't tell you a single thing that happened in it. Apart- I remember the finish, but I couldn't remember anything else about the match. Oh, not the bouncy castle. <laughs> we'll come on to that, I suppose. But before we get to that, we have a recap of Access. And this is, uh, you know, WWE doing their usual videos where they're like, look how great WWE is at doing things. Or WWF, we're so great. And look how, look at what we're giving back to the fans. It's so awesome. I really wish they wouldn't put Kane in things like this because then he has to cut a promo behind the mask about how much I loved signing stuff for the fans. It's like, it makes you sound less intimidating, Big Red Machine. I thought you were like Godzilla and King Kong earlier. Now you're sitting here signing autographs. It just seems less cool. Yeah, having that access. Don't tell everyone in the world (laughs) he was at access. Uh, Someone uh, reveals that they paid $205 for a personalised Mr. Socko. I'd pay $205 for a... They were making... Like, Mick Foley was like, you know, for some reason they think I'm worth $205 for not only the personalised Socko, but, you know, like, spend some time with, like, five minutes, meet Mick Foley. I would spend that. Exactly, yeah. And he donates that $205 to Make-A-Wish because he's a great kind of guy. Stand-up guy. He also reveals that he bought his tickets for WrestleMania off a scalper, which just feels like a little bit of a dig at WWF that he wasn't being used at the time. And he probably did. Because he's apparently he's a, he's a very frugal man. He's a very frugal uh, man. The was so there's a, a clip of some wrestling. Yes, it looks like Jerry Lynn. I've written the exact same yeah, thing. Have you? I, I think that's Jerry Lynn. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, a uh, uh, couple of lads from my uh, home away from home as well, Liverpool. We came all the way from Liverpool, England, to come to fan access in WrestleMania. I've just put and there's a northern person speaking. <laughs> Get him off my screen again. Where are they now? The Northern people. I just want to know where these people went to. Above Milton Keynes, probably. <laughs> went back home, mate. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, this was very much just like a promotional thing. You should definitely come to all of these uh, events. They're cool. But the, it just seems a lot cooler than the corporate video stuff we get today. I know I mentioned it earlier, but this seems a lot rawer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe it's the metal fences. Yeah. It seems to be metal fences <laughs> everywhere. It's so corporate now. Yeah. yeah, it just feels like a, it feels like Comic Con is set up really, but like yeah, back here it just feels like this really grungy thing that only two hundred people went to out of yeah. the the um, grungy is a good word. Yeah, yeah, out of the uh, well, actually, to this point, we could talk about the attendance uh, because mm. Finkel announces that they have officially broken some attendance records because they always do of quote along everyone here. 67,925 people. That was some big air quotes there for podcast listeners. The Wrestling Observer would report the week following. It was 61,079. <laughs> That's the cue. My way. My way. <laughs> Just play the music, Limp Biscuit, before anyone can criticise or say it's not true. Just so we get uh, Bruce Pritchard. He doesn't know a thing. Well, Luke, those fabricated 67,925 fans were in for a treat next not so much my cup of tea but most definitely yours it was the gimmick battle royal oh the gimmick battle royal uh so instantly it's like a wave of nostalgia runs over for anyone 
who watched uh, WWF in that awful period when no one really liked wrestling because Mean Gene Oakland comes down to the ring, followed by Bobby Heenan to provide commentary for this match. Uh, so WCW's closed its doors, hasn't it? Like it's basically the, that's why they're here. Yeah. WCW has had a business. These lads needed a payday. In fact, really, this whole match just appears to be WCW's out of business and all the lads that they had signed now need a payday. When was this decided, this I, match? I don't know when this was decided, but it's just, it's the sort of thing that you can't quite fathom why they decided to do this. Well, it's quite smart in the match placing. TLC 2 was just exhausting in its spectacle. And then right after that, you've got uh, Triple H versus Taker, which is very bloody and intense in its own way. And then you've got the main event of Rock and Austin. This, really, the gimmick battle royal, is the perfect palate cleanser. Perhaps you are absolutely right. But it is like, it's a bizarre match. But it's a match that I kind of wish they'd do again. Like, because I think we, I, I, we've already got two battle royals on the, the WrestleMania card. So another one isn't really needed. But there were so many awful gimmicks in the mid-2000s and in the late 90s that you could easily fill up a, a, battle, a gimmick battle royal for the WrestleMania cards. But it would be more like badly named NXT graduates or, or XOVW stars. I don't remember there being many crap gimmicks. But there were certainly crap names. Oh, I guess you've got, like, the pirate gimmick. And... Exactly. You've got Paul Birchall doing his pirate gimmick. You've got um, the, the Greasers, what, Deuce and Domino. Oh, yes. The Dicks you could bring back. You could bring back the Boogeyman. You could bring I back... I foolishly tried... <laughs> I foolishly asked Luke to try and name me some crap gimmicks, forgetting that this is your complete wheelhouse. Oh, this... They could fill this up so easily with just awful... Uh, Snitsky, Heidenreich, all of these okay, awful okay. gimmicks that could have come back for, for, for something. But anyway, so, um, <laughs> when Heenan coming down, like, to the, to, the, um, to the ring, JR just shouts, or JR says, You want to talk about gimmicks? He's got a better gimmick than you! Yeah, just watching Bobby Heenan move is quite something he's got like the face of a charlie chaplin in that he's or or, a, or more like a buster keaton i suppose just that deadpan look on his face mm. but such a clown he's a clown in one of the truest senses of the word i feel really bad for for bobby because he always told he used to tell dave Meltzer the story that when he was in wcw he i mean he didn't particularly like particularly towards the end of it, he had a really awful time working there but he never badmouthed the wwf on purpose he never badmouthed wwf because his theory was when this all goes belly up or my contract comes to an end i can get a job at wwf because i haven't said anything bad about them and vince never gave him anything off the back of this and even when they did the invasion later on this year for their wcw commentators they had Scott Hudson and Arn Anderson commentating on WCW matches. Like, Bobby Heenan was available, man. Like, and he's, he could still go. Well, there's a theory, isn't there, that if he did insult WWF, Vince would have been a lot more likely to bring him back because Vince likes to have that victory mm. over people who have turned against him. But because Bobby never turned against him, really... There was no need to no need to, to put him down like absolutely that. Absolutely not. But um, right. So we're gonna I'm gonna list through all the people that are in here, and you know, you like like me, I wasn't really watching wrestling in the the 90s. My my wrestling, like I was watching at the time, my wrestling knowledge of the 90s, I saw 
later in life. I saw yes. it when I was a teenager because I saw it all on VHS. My friend had a massive collection of it, so I used to watch old pay-per-views on VHSs. But this is like, you know, 1999, 2000, 2001. So I was looking at this very much like a, I've literally just seen a lot of these lads wrestle and I now know who they are. Yeah, well, in in real time when you in real time when I was watching, yeah, uh, yeah. So I didn't I didn't know who they were, but my my friend's older brother had well, he was the youngest of five, mm. <clears throat> so he had a lot of stuff like this. And I remember seeing the the toys and a few annuals here and there, and I just devour everything. And everything else I knew about WWF was the weird WWF taught history of WWF. <laughs> yeah. Andre the Giant was twenty foot tall. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I was going to go run through this. I'd like to see what your reaction to some of these people might have been. Okay, okay. So out first is the <laughs> Bushwhackers. Luke and Butcher, as my friend used to call them, because he couldn't remember Butch and Bitch. Uh, the Bushwhackers come down doing their wacky little dance, and they lick Mean Jean's head. Yes, I mean, very few of these gimmicks are for me, I must say. <laughs> uh, and this is one of them. They look like escaped mental patients. This They're just from Dan does- Under. This just does nothing for me. The only uh, fond memory I have of the Bushwhackers, personally, is I went to a wrestling-themed event, sort of to watch SummerSlam, I think it was, one year, and there was fancy dress competition. The bar happened to be in Shepherd's Bush, so some people came as the Shepherd's Bushwhackers. Nice. Very, very nice. So the Bushwhackers here, WWE Hall of Famers, the Bushwhackers, it should be noted. Next up, Duke. The Lumpster, Drowsy, to no reaction whatsoever. Like, even Mean Gene and Bobby Heenan had absolutely nothing to say about him. Heenan would just go like, oh, uh, it's the garbage man. Yeah. Any thoughts on Duke the Dumpster Drowsy? No. <laughs> no, no, no thoughts. No, th- I was just, you know, like Buddhist monks spend their entire life trying to get no thoughts, a completely clear mind. Maybe they just need to look at some of the instances in these entrances <laughs> and it will completely clear them of all sense of ego. Oh, it's, it's it's amazing how little reaction some of these lads get. But this next one does does get a reaction. The Iron Sheik, Sheiky Baby, making his return to the WWF. Heenan says, I'm getting out of here. Yes. And uh, he was taking his sweet time to get down to the ring, where Heenan said, by the time the Iron Sheet gets to the ring, it'll be WrestleMania 38. I've been counting down the years until WrestleMania 38 hits, because everyone will be making that joke that yes. the Iron Sheet has finally made it to the gimmick battle royal. It's uh, it was not the, the thing about Heenan is that, I mean, that isn't a really funny line, but it's just the sheer quantity of all of these mildly funny lines and then occasionally one is amazing yeah oh like the the dirt shoes just kept calling this very campy like it was really campy commentary but i I, that's kind of why i liked it in fact maybe when wwe do decide to redo the gimmick battle royal they should do it at wrestlemania 38 and have the iron sheik walk to the ring to finally pay off on Heenan's joke. On that one line <laughs> exactly. that everybody remembers from this pay-per-view. Oh, you'll remember it when uh, when it comes to it, my Sheaky friend. He will make him humble. Absolutely. Break your back and make you humble. Next up is Earthquake, who was actually in the WWF not too long before this. He was wrestling as part of the Oddities as the masked simpleton Golga. Um, and so the Odysseys were like a group of misfits. They had Kurgan in the group, and they had Luna Vachon with them. And uh, and yeah, and Golga, who was actually John Tenter, uh, better known as Earthquake or the Shark in WCW. Yes, I mean I d- yes, 
earthquake. <laughs> Fun story about Golga. The actual original plan for Golga was he was meant to be slightly more deranged. They had this whole idea that they were going to have this like almost like a Kane-like character that you could then put interviews with Kane and with the Undertaker, uh, and then they decided to just make him a comedy goofball wearing Cartman t-shirts. Always a safe bet to fall back on. Yeah, he almost overtakes the Sheik as well because the Sheik is still taking his time walking to the ring. Heenan was putting over. Sheik as his pick to win, by the way. Well, that's the reason why. It's because Heenan was working as all. So there's, and there's a reason why the Sheik won as well, which mm. we'll come into in a bit. Up next, the goon! No reaction. Yes. Again, not, not one for me. <laughs> not really one for me. And again... Looked a few players short of a team, this chap. Oh, I thought. Yeah, he, well, I, I've actually read it. It looks like Chris Jericho's dad, because wasn't he a hockey player? Mm. Was he? Never mentions that. <laughs> Never mentions that in his books. Next up, huge ovation for our next entrance, Doink the Clown. Not the original Doink, which was Matt Osborne. This was, in fact, the second Doink, uh, Ray Len- uh, Lisa Melly. Uh, some actually people think it's Brooklyn Brawler. There's quite a few reports that said it was the Brawler who played... Um, um, Zoink the Clown in this match, but actually Brooklyn Brawler played Kim Chi, who was out next. Uh, any, <laughs> any thoughts on Doink? No, just, I mean, you know, he's it's it's like he's going to get the biggest pop of all this stuff just because of the music. Yeah. It's the same thing down in uh, AAA, and they use the same music for the Killer Clowns people. It's just the music, after not recognising a lot of the stuff, you're going to pop just for hearing it. Wee! Or as his heel music was. <laughs> so I like I like the original psychotic Doink the Clown, but mm. uh, yeah, the, 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 no, not not so much the rest of it. Did you see actually Matt Osborne, um, who played Doink the Clown, obviously sadly passed away since, but he was doing the Doink the Clown gimmick on the indie circuit um, years years later, but actually took it in a Joker direction and mm. became almost like a Clown Prince of uh, Crime yeah. or a Clown Prince of Wrestling, I suppose. Up next, the uh, pretty culturally insensitive Kamala with Kimchi and Harvey Whippleman. Harvey Whippleman, who at one point in the WWF was dating fabulous moolah while mark henry was dating may young uh, yeah i mean <laughs> it's, it's, there's so so much stuff here to dive into it's it's just keeping me at arm's length good <laughs> kamala was the one earlier on he was dancing on william regal's desk up next it's repo man the man who looks a little bit like me um there's a great bit of back and forth between mean gene mean gene says about five years ago he repossessed my mother-in-law oh no he the line is about five years ago he got my mother-in-law and heenan after a little beat just went about four years ago everyone got your mother-in-law <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's still a mum joke. <laughs> Up next, perhaps the ultimate gimmick, Jamesy Cornette. Here we go. Jimmy Complete Cornette. Complete with tennis rackets. Uh, a man that you know very well. Well, I, I, I met him once. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, just, he's just an anecdote machine, as everyone who's listened to his podcast knows. Absolutely. God, the amount of, the amount of things he comes out with. I only spent about two hours with him, but he... Uh, yeah, just every other phrase out of his mouth is seems like just to be a Jim Cornettism <laughs> and it's God, it, I, the one that always sticks with me I can't I can't do it justice really but he was he was kind of describing how dumb someone else another wrestler was and he was like it'll be raining forks and it'll be eating soup and it'll be <laughs> then it'll be rain it'll be he say it'll be raining spoons he's trying to eat soup 
but he'll still have a fork. That was the basic analogy. That's so good. But but he just he made it flow, and it was like, well, that sounds like a phrase that's been in existence since the start of time. Yeah. But it's. Oh man, it I really mean, isn't. James James Equinet is he's saying a lot of things as he's walking down to the ring. I can't really make what any of them is, but I'm sure he's saying that uh, Kenny Omega is a terrible wrestler because he once <laughs> wrestled a uh, a doll. Uh, Nikolai Volkov is next, uh, which makes this match officially has all four men of the worst match ever, according to Brian Alvarez. Oh, from the. Uh... All star Her- sh- Heroes yeah, of yeah, Wrestling. Yeah, yeah. Two years previous in 1999, the <laughs> infamous minus five star match between Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Cheek against the Bushwhackers. Mm. Uh, yeah, uh, the the originator. Oh, actually, it was the match that Brian Alvarez called minus all the stars in the universe and the universe is infinite. Uh, so yeah, Nikolai Volkov uh, stumbles down to the ring. Up next, Michael P.S. Hayes probably saying something racist. I've written here, I don't remember writing this. It's quite mean. <laughs> Michael Hayes gets a big pop, prancing down to the ring, oblivious to his own mortality. <laughs> when, uh, when the Hardys first came up, in the, and when they were actually getting their push in, in the WWF, Michael P.S. Hayes was their manager. Mm. And in fact, the, the hand motion that Jeff Hardy does with his limp wrist, that is from Michael P.S. Hayes. It was his gift to them. It was a, a holdover from the Freebirds gimmick, and he, he he handed it over to them to carry it on. And now Jeff's given it to Kurt Angle. Yeah. <laughs> Good grief. This is just so many entrances. We're nearly there. Next oh. up next, the one-man gang. Not coming out as Akeem, the African dream. Oh, I love the face on the one-man gang here, and the music is absolutely awesome. Up next, the gobbledygookers. And funny, in fact, the name bar is spelt yes. wrong. Uh, gobbledygooker. Gobbledygooker. And as it comes out, Heenan says, didn't you used to date her? Very good. Well, the, the full exchange. Uh, well, yeah. Didn't you used to date her? And uh, uh, Jean goes, this brings back some very fond memories for me. And he then goes like, you did date her. <laughs> and then Jean is so close to corpse him off the back. <laughs> like you can hear him snigger off the back of that. Oh, and they show like the hatching from the Survivor Series just to remind people that yes, this did actually once happen. Up next is Tugboat in absolutely amazing shape. The former Typhoon himself <laughs> coming out doing the whole looking like Pluto from Popeye. This is great. And he looks in awesome shape as well. I I actually thought Hillbilly Jim, who was out next, looked in the best shape of everyone. That was generally my next point, because yeah. Hillbilly Jim comes out next, talking of amazing shape. He has had all the spinach. He looks about <laughs> 12 foot tall. Yeah. He's so tall. Doing that Hillbilly Jim pose makes well, him look even bigger. It's like just like completely morphs himself into something else. And I'm pretty sure he came out to music from Earthworm Jim. It was absolutely phenomenal. And then comes... <laughs> brother love we're coming for you Pritchard he came for us on the Wrestlemania X7 review got a bigger reaction at Raw 25 it must be said but he hadn't quite started his podcast at this point it's an annoying gimmick isn't it <laughs> it's uh, it's it's for me it's a bit go away go yeah. away heat I love you it's a gimmick as well that you when you look back and you're like huh he used to manage the undertaker at one point like those two things one of these things is not like the other absolutely how did this partnership come to be and then finally it's gi joe himself sergeant slaughter um did you actually hear michael cole's gaff at the greatest royal rumble 
Oh, yes, he said that Slaughter had passed away. He did, the yeah. late <laughs> the Sergeant late, Slaughter. The late great Sergeant Slaughter. Very much still alive. As I've written in my notes here, he's still alive, Michael Cole. And he even gets a video package. And um, Heenan says, he used to shoot guns. Now he shoots blanks. Bless him. Brilliant. The match starts and basically ends. Repo Man has the uh, the the, uh, the remarkable honour of being the first man thrown out of... Uh, the first and... He'll only be the first ever man to be thrown out of the gimmick battle royal. Mm. Um, so he's out first. Earthquake eliminates Typhoon, kind of playing off the fact that they used to be tag team partners. I've written Jim Cornette and Bruce Pritchard hide in the corner, sort of doing stuff with each other, but not really. Kamala eliminates Kim Chi. How is Pritchard still in this match? Heenan just keeps calling Duke the Dumpster, Drosy the Garbage Man. The goon goes over, but gets caught in the ropes. Pritchard is still in this match. Crowd boos when Doink is eliminated. Pritchard is still in this match. Shiki Baby throws over Hillbilly Jim because he couldn't take a bump. I effing loved everything about this. Slaughter gets in and puts Sheik in the Cobra Clutch. Pritchard made it to the final four. Yeah, so it's three minutes, seven seconds long. Uh, still maybe a bit too long, but mercifully short considering all the people in there. It was all about the entrances, yes, really. This yeah. whole thing was just all about the entrances. The, the many entrances. I'm curious to know what you... I'm so... Like, you're so down on this. It's just not my cup of tea, man. No? No, especially because if this was stuff that I had grown up watching... That this is nostalgia so far removed from from my actual heart mm. that it was just a bit annoying. Yeah, I I, I, uh, I get it. But yeah. but but I'm curious to think like this is, you know, we we like Raw twenty five and we're living through kind of an age of nostalgia now, like bringing back Goldberg and stuff like that, and we pine for the Attitude Era. Mm. This is the Attitude Era. Yeah, and they are pining, kind of. <laughs> For the 80s and the for, early 90s. For the new generation, man. Who'd have thought that we'd be pining? I said, not really the new generation. It was like in that period between the Hogan era and the new generation. It's it's just like you think we're, you're the first. This is the first time you have to deal with these problems. But no, actually, I imagine even in the 80s, there was probably a gimmick battle royal that harkened back to the 60s. Oh, but it works so much better here because you had all these wacky, <laughs> colourful characters. Figure four, Brian Alves would write, The match started and ending. Nothing more needs to be said. He then says more. Sheik won literally because he would have died taking a bump over the top rope to the outside. That sounds preposterous, but the plan was for Slaughter to win. And he didn't win because there was a legitimate fear for the safety of the Sheik. So Slaughter ran back in afterwards and choked Sheik out with the Cobra Clutch as horrible as expected. Uh, Dave Meltzer would write, here's a fun little tidbit for you. Originally, Gilberg was going to be in the Battle Royal, ah. but he was pulled from the show because they were afraid they might start a Goldberg chant, which is a smart move on their part. Yes, that's a good point. And the Torch wrote, Torch was, gave it the Watchable. best... Gave it the best review, uh, called it a fun spectacle, and rightfully so, the introductions took up more time than the match itself. A fun walk down nostalgia lane, although the era it recalled provides plenty of evidence of how Vince McMahon was susceptible at one time to WCW Nitro. Yes. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a necessary part of the show because you need to structure the matches so you do... F cleanse up the palate this was a good comedy bit in between this was a sorbet yes, of a match. yes i loved it from start to end i've seen it multiple times oh, it's so enjoyable whenever my friends and i get together for a wrestlemania we'll probably usually put this on just to kind of get ourselves warmed up for wrestlemania what a fun little spectacle mm. it was did you give it a rating yes i gave it 
zero stars, which is effectively not applicable. Yes. NA I have. Yeah, uh, dud rating from the Wrestling Observer. Figure four didn't give it a, re- a result. And the Torch gave it an NR, which I guess means no review. So, so Or no rating. Sheik couldn't take a bump. Yes. Which is why he won the match, because he couldn't go over the top rope. So how does the angle work where Slaughter then gets back in the ring and chokes Iran for plain fare? <laughs> like, where, 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 where's the morality on this, if it, you can help me out here? Just for a babyface pop, I guess. It's a, it's a babyface territory, man. This so. was a Slaughter heel term for me, if anything. <laughs> uh, the, the, only, the only good thing was, uh, was Heenan, really. Yeah. yeah. That was the only genuinely enjoyable part for me, uh, especially at the end. Gene was like, oh, it's been a pleasure doing commentary here with you, Bobby Heenan. And he goes to shake Heenan's hand. Heenan keeps going to shake the hand, but pretends to be distracted by someone <laughs> behind him. It is such a, a lame dad or uncle joke. It's brilliant. It's so it's good. It's brilliant. It's amazing. But coming up next, it's the match that WWE wanted you forget when it happened again a few years later. It's Triple H versus The Undertaker. I have beaten everybody that there is to beat i have taken your heroes i have beaten every single one of them the undertaker you ain't ever beat me i'm the dead man and if you try me i'll make you famous triple h ambush the undertaker you're the guy that makes people famous yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. You know what? I'm already famous. You know what I'm famous for? I'm famous for crippling. I'm warning you. You screw with me, I will cripple you. Undertaker waiting for Triple H. What's going through his head, Cole? What is he going to do to Triple H? Show him going to take me out of the game, man. If I go to jail tonight, you can't rest assured. I will be out in 12 hours. Full charges. Don't worry, I'll take care of that right away. Don't you worry. I have a restraining order here. This restraining order is for one Stephanie McMahon Helmsley. And it says that if you come within 25 feet of that lovely young lady, you will be arrested on the spot. Undertaker just gave his brother some instructions. Oh man, there's no restraining order against Kane. And now Kane is stalking Stephanie, who's running for her life. Please, I'm begging you, put it down. That would be a nasty fall, wouldn't it? What, what do you want? I want a match with Triple H at WrestleMania, one-on-one. I can't do that. What? Put it down, please. Hey, sit down no, down here. No, please. No. You've got what you want. You've got your match. Triple H beats The Undertaker at WrestleMania on pay-per-view. The game and Undertaker. Bad things happen in my yard. I think they call it a decade of destruction. Your yard is in the middle of my world. I warned your ass. You couldn't listen, could you, dead man? Sledgehammer to the head of the Undertaker. Triple H is destroying the Undertaker's motorcycle. Triple H tossing the Undertaker's motorcycle on the stage. Oh my God, look at the Undertaker's eyes. Can you imagine what the Undertaker's going to want to do to the game at WrestleMania? There's going to be some serious hell to pay. One of the first comments is from Jim Ross, who says that this is a match we will talk about for years, <laughs> a- a- apart from WrestleMania 27, when we had to pretend they'd Onwards. not faced off. Of- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a, you know, like there, there are a lot of feuds here 
that in the video package seem to have a few weeks of TV devoted to the progression, which would have, could have just been cut out completely. Like the Stephanie being nearly thrown off the balcony so Regal could make this a uh, to to get the match. Yes. So the story of this match is that Triple H was was attacking the Undertaker, and the Undertaker he, because Triple H is a dastardly heel, he put a uh, what do you call it a um, uh, restraining order. He put a restraining right, put yes. a restraining order on the Undertaker against Stephanie McMahon. But they didn't put one on Kane. So Kane comes out, the, the, the other brother of destruction, he comes out, and he is literally holding Stephanie in a press slam position, standing on, like, stairs, like three floors above from where they are. And it's just the Undertaker standing there with William Regal, and he's just like, I want a match with Triple H. And uh, she's like, no, no, you've got to put that woman down. Put her down. <laughs> Don't let her fall from up there. And he's like, I want my match with Triple H. He's like, I can't give you a match with Triple H. And he's like, okay, Kane, put her down. No, 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 don't drop her. She's a lovely young lady. And that's how they get this match. And Triple H responds by hitting a bike with a... St oh, that Triple H. Hey, that's Taker's lady. <laughs> yeah, Sarah wouldn't be introduced until a couple of months later with the DDP angle. Mm. They could have done with Sarah around here, really. Um, could they? <laughs> Is that what this feud needed? Yeah. I mean, I've written here, this is very much an Attitude Era feud. It's all about cars, bikes, and cops. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know what? I was down on it. That was actually a really good visual uh, of Kane holding Stephanie up like that. And it looks so weird. <laughs> it's interesting to see Taker effectively do comedy. Because that was a... He was playing the comedic tomfoolery babyface role there. Uh, and he was very good at it. Yeah, it, it, it is quite enjoyable. Um, yeah, and it's you know it's it's interesting as well because you're right in that it's this it, this feud was sort of built over just you know a few weeks. It was the weeks after No Way Out into um, WrestleMania because at No Way Out, Hunter Triple H had beaten Steve Austin in the two in the three stages of Hell match. So he had beaten the number one contender, the winner of the Royal Rumble, to the WWF Championship. So you'd think, oh, maybe that'll move something into WrestleMania. But it didn't. It was just Triple H saying, like, I've beaten everyone, and so no one else can beat me. Before the Undertaker came, I was like, if you try me, I'll make you famous. Doing all that sort of gubbins. Can I... Can I reveal something to you now, which... Uh-oh. And this is... I don't know. I can't really explain this. I struggle to get excited for Triple H matches. Ooh. I think... Uh, okay, carry on. Carry well... On. He is an excellent wrestler. That mm. cannot be denied. And I have seen amazing Triple H matches. But whenever I'm watching a pay-per-view and I see that Triple H is about to have a match next, I do struggle to get excited. Like when he had his match with Seth Rollins, I'd struggle to get excited. When he had his match with Roman Reigns, I was struggling to get excited. The two Undertaker matches were slightly different, but I just his feud with Randy Orton, his matches with John Cena. I just I always struggled to get excited for Triple H matches, and I wonder if it's a holdover from my teenage years when he was the heel champion who just forever seemed like he was on top. Even when The Rock won, he would just lose it back to Triple H again, and I wonder if it's just a holdover from that. I could, I appreciate he's an awesome wrestler, but I just, I can't get excited for matches. That's a fair comment. I think that Reign of Terror was so so long and tedious mm. that it's. You can still have that Pavlovian response of every time you see him, even though that was so long ago and he's moved on since. Uh, the, the Rousey match. 
Well, the Rousey one was in, but I was excited for Rousey. Yeah, was he the draw? Sure. I, I wasn't excited for her to face Triple H. It's like, you know, the Sting match. I was excited because it was Sting's first WrestleMania match. I wasn't excited that it was a Triple H match. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I Yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from. My Triple H, though, when I think of Triple H, is that rising year of him through 99 and 2000 and... Uh, 2001 that like those three years that's my triple h so i i still have an affinity for him of those and i just i really enjoy watching him wrestle and he is such a complex heel Mm, especially at this time Mm -hmm. because he's just so obsessed about getting the title and about being the top guy and yeah and like how much of that is playing off his real life persona Mm, who knows but yes i i I do struggle to get excited and actually it's funny enough that I, I've I've only watched this match once. I've watched this pay per view quite a few times, but I always skip this match. Um, I, though I will watch this bit because Motorhead play Triple H's entrance theme and get just about every word wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it it sounds awful too. Like I don't know if they'd done a sound check beforehand, but like the instruments, like the EQ levels aren't right. It just sounds absolutely awful. Well, if you want to listen to the the properly produced version, Luke. It's on WWF The Music <laughs> Volume 5, as it tells you in the graphic in the bottom right. Yeah, um, also, uh, this will get me some heat as well, because I know there's some fans, some SWAF Nation fans, some Pledgehammers, who may take offence to this. I don't really like Motorhead either. Maybe yeah. So maybe that's part of why I can't get into Triple H matches. He likes Motorhead too much. Um, and it makes me think, what if, and it probably seems like it would make more sense why they didn't have Limp Bizkit there to play Taker's entrance. Because, A, Limp Bizkit were the bigger and more popular band at the time rolling was a huge song and they have the theme song for the bloody pay-per-view mm. surely it makes more sense that it's limp biscuit doing undertaker's entrance rather than motorhead doing triple h's entrance yeah but triple h was going out with stephanie um yeah perhaps that's sure yeah. completely unmanaged. oh yeah maybe that's just that's just coincidence yeah. though uh, but yeah this is not motorhead's finest hour but we do get the clunk 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 opening to taker's theme though where you just get the <laughs> Dead man walking. A, the- <laughs> a theme I've learned, like that opening I've learned to hate because there was a wrestling game when you won as the Undertaker. It played it from the start, so you just had Undertaker posing in the ring, not to music, ah. but just a <laughs> dead man walking. And by the time that's done, the you know you're onto the next scene. So you didn't get I, to hear Taker's theme. I love it. I <laughs> love American Badass Taker. Comes out on his motorbike, uh, and good grief. This is a fast Undertaker oh, entrance. Isn't it? He zooms to the ring. Yeah, compared to the the Dead Man version where it takes him about ten minutes with all these druids to get down in the smoke and the purple lighting. He is he zips down there on that motorbike. Here it's just ten minutes to get the bloody theme tune started. Yes. <laughs> uh and the uh I just I wish they used more real charting songs for wrestlers entrance music mm. it's too expensive though isn't it yeah I, I get that i get that but it will make it feel more big time especially for wwe are, are striving and so obsessed about being culturally relevant mm-hmm. this would be a perfect way to integrate it absolutely and considering that wwe are all about entrances these days like they absolutely they chuff in love an entrance they, yeah. they prefer entrances to matches so yeah so actually having like you know a popular song being played that's why i kind of like i think that it made punk stand out when he came back with cult of personality Definitely, yeah. because it was i mean it wasn't a cultural relevant song because it had been you know hadn't been in the charts for decades at that point yeah that's an exaggeration but it was still was it was a really cool presentation of him yeah i'm just thinking if if wwe really really want to get uh, a young female fan base in why have little mix not given one of their singles to 
Ember Moon or someone. Yeah. I, I don't know. And then you could or just work out a way to make that mesh. Yeah, or have Little Mix come in and record a song specifically for Yeah. Ember well, you'd Moon. want it to be good. Well, are you trying to say that Little Mix wouldn't make a I'm good just, song? If it's a, Name me a bad Little Mix song, Ollie Davis. I'm just saying if it was given to them, I would, I, I'm saying that you want it to ch- you want it to be a popular song in the charts. Mm-hmm. You don't want to take a punt with a, an original song. Perhaps. Oh yeah, I get your point. Like yeah. in boxing. So these two begin fighting while Taker's music is still playing, and it's I think I think I might be wrong on this, but this might be the first time that the streak was brought up mm, for yeah. for the Undertaker because JR points out that he is eight and zero at WrestleMania at this point. He wasn't at the WrestleMania previous. He wasn't at WrestleMania two thousand, and the year previous to that, he had wrestled um, Boss Man, I think, inside the Hell in a Cell. And I don't think they'd brought up the um, uh, they'd brought up the streak then. So this might be the first reference of of the Undertaker's WrestleMania streak. So I've got a hot take for American Badass Taker. Oh, hit me with it. So I like Badass Taker. I like the Taker after Badass Taker. I didn't grow up with Dead Man Take, you know, like mm-hmm. 90s cartoon villain yeah. uh, Taker. But a lot of people have a great affinity for that. And they're like, they love original Taker. They love the latest iteration of the character. But they hate American Badass. Mm. Like They don't like that middle part because that's not The Undertaker. My argument is that is the necessary step in The Undertaker's style. So he can go from that quite limiting zombie-like Undertaker physicality of sitting up and slow moves and doing strength things. But American Badass allows him to incorporate a bit of the MMA stuff. He wrestles more viciously. And, and then when he comes back as the, the version we, that he's become famous for at WrestleMania, he can have both of those sides and it not feel too weird. Absolutely. I completely agree with you on that one. Um, do you want to hear my hot take? that I've I've just thought of then. So, you know, there was all those theories and there was people that were suggesting that he was going to return as American Badass Undertaker for Mm. WrestleMania 34 or that he wasn't going to come out as a gimmick at all. He was just going to come out as Mark Calloway because Cena's promos on him had all been very personal and been very, like, attacking Michelle McCall, his real-life wife, and all this sort of stuff. Do you want to hear my theory as to why he came back as Deadman Undertaker? Tell me. Because... The Prince Sheik who wanted Greatest Royal Rumble was asked for The Undertaker. Hot damn. He, like, that's the story that was going, that's going around. He wanted people like The Undertaker, Ultimate Warrior, and Yokozuna. Bit of an issue because the, two are, the other two are dead. But like his re- the, the wrestling knowledge might have been just the 90s. So they couldn't have American Badass Undertaker return at WrestleMania 34 because they needed the 90s Undertaker to be at the Greatest Royal Rumble to appease the Prince. Mm. I mean, could be tin foil hat here or silver foil hat, as Ollie Davis uh, once coined. But uh, you know, perhaps it is. Uh, so Taker gets um, Hansa hits her high knee, and Taker just gets right back up, which was a uh, pretty cool. And then here's a huge back body drop on Triple H. Body slammed by Taker, but he misses an elbow drop, and he calls out for old school. But Trips pulls him off the top rope. Um, I mean, there's a, a hot opening to this match. Yeah, yeah, they they go for it uh, right away. And then Triple H eventually gets a sledgehammer. Uh, the referee's saying, hey, man, hey, put that down. That's not cool. And then he even goes far as to grab it from Triple H when Triple H swings it over his head. Vince McMahon, chest, uh, dustbin style on Shane. Although my question really is, like, why was the sledgehammer by the timekeeper? Like that's where you get well for the really really heavy bell rings. Like who put that there? Mm. 
then we're going to fall down a logic hole that's larger than either of us can dig us back out of. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, we started going down that. I did find that the crowd were like really hot because it's Houston's own Undertaker. So they were really hot when Taker was on offense, but went a bit quiet when Triple H was on offense. I don't think anyone really bought into Triple H winning this match. <laughs> I mean, there was, there was a pop later on for it, though, but I don't think yes. at this point there wasn't a member of this crowd that really thought Triple H was winning. So yes, we have the um, the sledgehammer come out very early on and then it essentially like we get a Taker a chokeslam from Taker um, Trips kicks out and then Undertaker just attacks the referee for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, so to, Triple H counters into pedigree and Taker counters that into a monkey flip so Triple H is monkey flipped into the ref and I've written down ref bu- 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 bu. <laughs> Uh and then the choke slam taker gets the pin. The ref is up very fast from that ref bump that he's just taken. Way faster than any ref at this time. Mm-hmm. He's tried his best. Triple H kicks out, presumably because, you know, the referee took a little bit longer than normal. And Taker doesn't just, like, shout at the referee. He knocks down the referee and then delivers an elbow to the back of his head. Yeah, it's so uncalled for. I don't understand. Attitude era. Attitude era. Here's a dick in your face. So then they brawl out into the crowd, and they brawl up to the technical area. And it's really interesting here, because I wrote in my notes, they brawl up to the technical area. And then I thought to myself, I stopped, and I was like, I don't know if that's what it's actually called. Mm. I don't know if it's called a technical area. Why have I called it that? And then Jim Ross says, as if he'd read my mind, they're brawling up to the technical area. And I was like, is it just, it's a Jim Rossism. It's a WWE-ism that has been in, like, it's just in my head that that's what that area is called. It's quite a vague term. Yeah. Oh, over there, that's the, that's the machine area. <laughs> and, and that bit of, that's the wrestling area. Yeah, like the technical, it's not called a technical area. Yeah. Are they, are they brawling through the audience or the crowd area? <laughs> so it's just, it's where the hard cam or not the hard cam, but a, a, a panning, roaming, ca- roaming Yeah, there's, cameras, there's like, Jim Ross explains it's like where like there's sound equipment and all that sort of stuff is. Technical. Uh, yeah, technical th- stuff. all the technical stuff, exactly. So Taker beats down Triple H, but then Triple H uses a chair and hits him right in their head and then conti- conti- continues to hit him. And the chair is proper bent. And then we get a spot mm. where Taker, Taker chokeslams Triple H off the scaffolding, as I've written here in quotes, to the floor. Well, the first time it's shown, when it happens in real time, it looks good. It looks awesome because, like, he just chokes him. The camera doesn't show it, and Triple H just falls to the abyss, disappears into just people, disappears into the crowd. And you're like, "Whoa!" It's almost like when I was watching this, I was like, "I wouldn't have been awesome if they had like a load of planted fans." And then they chokeslam Triple H onto those planted fans so they could catch him and fall down. What a wicked spot that would be. Um, but no, they just Triple H and he just falls out of sight. And the crowd go nuts. JR is going like, oh, he was chokeslammed right onto the concrete floor. And then they show hmm. two replays. The first replay, the camera pans away. like So he chokeslams him. And as he falls, the camera pans back to The Undertaker. So you don't see the magic happen. You just see Triple H fall. And you, but you don't see where he falls to. The second replay, however, shows that Triple H landed on a bouncy castle. Yes, he he bounces up. <laughs> I've written here. I've seen it's less bouncier than Jacqueline's boobs. Like mm. it's just there's so much bounce to it. And then to make it worse, Taker then jumps onto it to ruin the gimmick further because then everyone bounces up into the air. It is a huge crash mat. It makes no sound. <laughs> 
Which is that that was the thing with the Triple H when he was initially chokeslammed off in real time. I thought, where's the sound? There was no sound of a table snapping, no sound of a body hitting the floor, as Drowning Pool might say. And it's because he fell onto marshmallows. Yeah, it just lands, and it it's it's really annoying because it's shot so well at the start, and then like halfway through they just give up. And they show you a replay that reveals the magic. And then Undertaker jumps on it to reveal the magic even further. And, it's just, and JR keeps on saying, the concrete floor. Like, well, they obviously, they're nowhere near the floor. Oh, they're on that crash map. Makes him sound so silly. Meltzer was livid mm. at, at all of this because it made him sound so silly. Cynical old Dave Meltzer. Well, I was really into this match. Mm. And I was really into the stuff when they were fighting on top of the quote-unquote technical area because I thought Triple H was showing some great fire and Undertaker held Triple H up in that joke sound position for ages. To the point where you thought, well, he's got to reverse yes, this, right? Yeah, yeah, And I was just, I was very into the, the physicality of the match. It felt like a real intense blood feud. And then you show me that and it completely took me out of it. Yeah, and it's a shame as well because there was, like, when they were wrestling in the ring, the weight, like, Undertaker was running those ropes and he was running at them like 500 miles an hour. He was, run- he was running at the ropes the same speed he was driving his motorcycle to the <laughs> ring. And like the ropes were like bending so far down. It's like the ring didn't bend in half. He was running at them so hard. So they brought back to uh, to the ring. Taker essentially is just dragging him there. And then Taker grabs the sledgehammer and he swings to hit and to, swings to hit Triple H. But Triple H kicks him in the balls. Trips then uses the hammer, but Taker boots him in the face. They exchange punches to not really to the booyah response you would expect it to get but then triple h goes for the tombstone and taker reverses that and hits a tombstone himself and i think that's the first time he'd hit it is definitely the first time he'd hit it since coming back as ah really american badass and i think it was probably the first time he'd done it in quite some time because he mm. wasn't around for a lot of, uh, of the early part of 2000 and the latter half of 99 but the problem is the referee is still down yeah which is your fault undertaker i hate yes. to add and, you know, but given how quickly he got up from that Triple H monkey flip, yeah. he should be running around the ring doing laps so There's a vast difference between a monkey flip and an Undertaker elbow to the back of their heads. That's a good point. This is one tough referee, though. But the Taker stirs referee, presumably saying, whispering in his ear, I'm sorry I elbow dropped you on the back of the head, matey. Yeah. And then Taker gets Triple H up. He goes for the last ride, which is what Taker's finisher is now. And this was this was absolutely brilliant yeah so the, the sledgehammer is down by the ring uh, d- down by taker's feet in this last ride position and triple h i saw it happening because i was waiting for it but i reckon if i was watching this for the first time i wouldn't have seen it i triple h is the sleight of hand is really good so triple h grabs a sledgehammer as he's taken up and when he gets to the top in the top of the last ride position he lofts the sledgehammer above his head and clocks it on taker's head well, you know, he actually hits his elbow yeah. quite clearly again in the replay. But uh, yeah, he hits it, and and the crowd go crazy. And now the referee's up to to count the pin. Triple H goes right for the pin, and I was so into this. I thought Triple H was going to win. I forgot <laughs> the WrestleMania Undertaker undefeated streak. I, I I can tell you, man, first time watching this, I thought this was gonna. I thought this was the, the finish. Mm. It's I didn't spot him having with the sledgehammer. It was it's a really really wicked spot. Awesome near fall, but then Hunter makes the error of going for the 10-punch spot in the corner and Taker lifts him out of that, hits the last ride, and gets the win. I do want to say, I mean, I don't have the... I liked uh, American Badass Undertaker at the time. I'm not sure it's aged particularly well. 
but the last ride is such an awesome move like what a wicked power bomb that is because it's not just a power bomb he lifts them high up into the air and then just f's them into the ground as hard as he can it's so cool mm. yeah I, I i think it's i i really like this match i really like undertaker in this early uh why well, i, I, I if you rephrase American Badass as just early Dead Man Undertaker, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, uh, I, I I really like it, and he mouths something that looks rather naughty at the end, <laughs> so, something along the lines of Emma Effer, I think, right into the camera. He was proper sweary when he was American Badass Undertaker. Mm. There's a moment, I think it's during his feud with Kurt Angle, when he is pinning Kurt Angle and Kurt Angle kicks out, and he just looks at the referee and just goes. Mother effer. <laughs> um, uh, so, what did you give this on the douchebag rating scale? Four and a half. Loved it. Loved this match. Man, like, okay, so uh, the Wrestling Observer gave it three and a half. Wow. Figure four gave it three and a quarter. Oh, and blind. The, and the Torch gave it three and a half as well. But, man, there is some saltiness Ooh. around this. Are you ready for some salty Meltzer? G- give me, well, usually I take my pinches of salt and other places apart from the Wrestling Observer. So this will be interesting. Salty, salty Meltzer here. And Salty Alvarez as well, which we'll come to in a second. It's funny because Triple H never does a clean job. And he did it here. And instead of elevating a new star, he put over an established star, which is so smart politically, doing a clean job on the biggest show of the year, while at the same time not making a new star. And then he's talking about how he hated the uh, the, the spot with the uh, the gimmick st- uh, scaffolding. Then they killed it with the final replay, actually showing his landing was into a gimmicked foam rubber pit, basically turning the match from serious to comedy and making Ross look bad, trying to sell it as devastating. Undertaker, like a young kid at a jungle gym, did an elbow drop into the pit, making it even sillier since you could see the foam rubber protected his fall. Even sillier, the EMTs came out for Triple H and Undertaker Taker attacked them. Brian Alvarez also took a similar salty aspect to this. Taker grabbed him out of nowhere and hit the press slam powerbomb for the pinfall. Remember how I said that Brian Alvarez was such a mark at this time? Yes. He didn't call it by actual moves. He keeps calling it the Uranagi rather than the rock bottom. Yes, a clean pin. That hunter is so smart. Of course it means nothing to Job 2 Undertaker, an already established star who isn't about to take his spot. Notice how Hunter always jobs to tippity-top guys like Rock, Undertaker and Steve Austin clean, but never elevates anyone like Benoit or Angle. I know some of you are seething right now, not understanding why I can't praise Hunter for putting over Undertaker clean at WrestleMania. Just wait a while, someday this will all make sense. Ooh, prophetic words from Brian Alvarez. And I mean, I don't want to try and cast more aspersions on Brian Alvarez, but he did once say on a wrestling, uh, when they were on Iada, he once said, guys, I can see it now. Triple H is going to marry Stephanie McMahon and he's going to run this company one day. And that was before they were even dating. Wow. And like, he's like, I don't want to say I'm a doomsayer, but he, he did call that Triple H would end up running WWE because he was being so politically savvy that he would probably go to the length of marrying the boss's daughter just to get control of the company. The Torch, on the other hand, they filled quite a bit of time with brawling in the crowd, but the content was overall strong. The clean finish helped. I like that you've got the Torch in here. It makes it feel a little bit nicer after all the the saltiness. Need some sweet with it, you know. (laughs) 
So here we are. We're at the main event of the show. It's The Rock, the great one, versus the rattlesnake, Stone Cold Steve Austin for the WWF Championship. And whole boy, you better believe we've got a video package. energy I have, you are going to get the absolute best of The Rock at WrestleMania. I need to beat you, Rock. I need it more than anything that you can ever imagine. There can be only one World Wrestling Federation champion, and that will be Rock Stone Cold Steve Austin. With all due respect, 
So based on your comments from earlier, I'm going to assume you don't agree with my assessment that this video package rules. Yeah, so we were talking about, loads of people talk about the the classic My Way video package of The Rock and Austin before their WrestleMania 7, X7, sorry, match. And I've seen it before. I love a video package. But maybe I'm just spoiled by how much better WWE's video packages are today. It's the one thing they consistently do better than everyone else on the planet. Uh, they... It goes on a while. They didn't have to fill the entire song with clips. The Deborah stuff is stupid. Yeah, we'll come on to that. And they... That they replay the same clip a few times. Yeah, so there was a, uh, a an editing trick that the WWF used to use at the time, which is if like Stone Cold hits the stunner, you see that same stunner from three different angles. But they use that same stunner from three different angles about five times in this video package. So you see that stunner conservatively 15 times. It is, there's a lot of the same shots. But I think the way, and maybe it's the song helps, but the way that it's edited towards the song I'm going to talk about the Deborah stuff in a minute because that is absolutely ridiculous and I always forget that stuff happens in this feud. But I love it at the end when you just have the as the song is ending and you've just got the two talking about why it is important for them to win this match. And it's just sowing the seeds for what would happen at the end of this match where Steve is telling us like, I need to be champion, Rock. You don't understand. I need to be the WWF champion, and I am willing to do anything to be the WWF champion. I love the way that these, like, this sit-down interview thing that they do, they just sell the emotion of this feud and Steve Austin's drive. The only thing that makes life worth living is being the champion of this company. But The Rock has only just won this champion, and he needs to establish, mate, while you were gone, I was the guy around here, and I need to beat you to show you that I am the great one. I love it. Love it. It is great. It's a great story, and uh, it is a very good video package, but I just think, in retrospect, it's it's a little bit daft. <laughs> and it's like, like I said, the, the best parts of the video package, usually, are when you go into that final third, and you show all the clips, and you're like, oh, now it's really going to happen. It's the climax of the song. But actually, all the clips we've seen already. Yeah. So it takes away from the impact for me. But, but the, the, the story itself, the sit-down interviews are superb. The, the sit-down interviews really are the best things. And yeah. Rock and Austin trying to out-ego each other. Got to, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and to your point as well, like the, the final third is where you need like that really epic stuff. But it's shots we've already seen before. Only this time it's, this time I'm going to let it all come out. And, it, I, and that just it just gets me pumped up for whatever mm -hmm. reason. But yeah... At the start of it, like it falls apart because there is this absolute nonsense. Do you know what this feud didn't need? Deborah. Like, and it's such a Steve Austin thing. Like, I want to have my wife involved. Ugh, do we really need your wife involved? Well, I suppose we could have her manage the rock, I guess. What on earth <laughs> is that all about? And it lasts for a week. It lasts for one week, and then the next week, Steve Austin cuts a promo where he's like, this isn't about Deborah." Then why was she involved in the first place, Steve? Yeah, I thought that was, uh, he said, put that aside. I was like, way to care about your wife, Steve, <laughs> mate. Jeez. I just, the, the title's what it's important to me. It's, it's, a, it's a real albatross on this feud, because mm. it's the one thing that they didn't need. Like, the Rock's like, I don't need Deborah as my manager. No, you're bloody right, Rock, you don't need Deborah as your manager. So, and, and, like, Kurt Angle puts Deborah in the ankle lock at some point yes for for a reason that's rock's fault <laughs> austin goes after rock because he didn't protect deborah from 
angle put in an ankle lock. It is absolutely, it's so silly. It would be like if it, during the build for uh, Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar, if Sable was all of a sudden Roman Reigns' manager for a week, and then whoever, who's, actually I can't even think of another heel, Kevin Owens uh, powerbomb Sable. Or maybe something and like that, that builds the yeah the singles yeah, match. Absolutely. What the hell's going on? But it, this is much better when they're just talking about the championship. But there is a very important announcement made by the Fink before this match kicks off. Because not only is this match for the World Wrestling Federation Championship, it is now going to be contested under no disqualifications and jr is not happy so yeah this this is fink doing his best tim curry from home alone <laughs> 2 impersonation so this was announced right before the match yes okay well that i mean that's good in a way it plays into the story but man i wouldn't have done that i would have i would have hyped it as a no dq match well i think what they, they wanted it because the whole point, I think the reason why they did this at the last second is because then throughout the match, the commentators keep bringing up who made this a no-DQ yeah, yeah, match. Yeah. Was it Regal? Who made, was, it, was it Vince? Who made this a no-DQ match? I don't understand why this is now a no-DQ match. Yeah, I, I totally get that, and they did do that very well. But I think you can still announce it as a, a no-DQ match, the Raw, the go-home Raw, promoted as a no-DQ match, rather than have that swerve right before the match. I wouldn't have done that for my most important match of the year, have a swerve to start it off with. I Com think that yeah. does undermine it. I completely agree. But, I, but that's still an excellent match. Yeah, and um, a man like Austin comes out to a ginormous pop. Like, it's not the biggest Austin pop you've ever heard, but it is still, it's, you know, probably pop of the night. It's absolutely massive, and he just looks so cool yeah like the way that he walks the ring he's just got the black trunks and the vest and he's just got this mean look about his face which is just like i'm here for a fight like it's it's when you look at how cool austin is you're like this is why cena and roman never got over to the same level that austin did because neither of those men look cool mm. neither of those men look as cool as steve austin looks cool yeah he marches down to the ring on a mission there is no smile on his face finn balor <laughs> learn something here and when he gets up on that turnbuckle and you see all the flashes oh. go off in the in the crowd it's just a sight exactly which is something that's missing from wrestling now because we don't have um disposable cameras and wind up cameras anymore we can all do it on our phones the only th time we use our phones now is when we're doing the firefly thing with with bray Wyatt. but all the flashes go off when when austin is posing and then the rock comes down to the ring not as loud of a, of a reaction but he still just looks so so cool man alive the rock was so cool yeah there are a few boos in the rock's reaction of mm. course because austin is the hometown hero of texas uh this both men don't feel like they're treating this like a professional wrestling match. This feels like a fight, like a boxing, the, the main event of a boxing card. Oh, yeah, and it's a big match feel as well. Big, big, big fight feel. And the match just gets off with a bang. Like, it just goes out at 100 miles an hour because Austin grabs the belt and he, and he swings it at, at the rock. It's like it's 1,000 miles an hour. There's, there's, no, there's not even a, in the right corner, is this? Yeah. It's, it's As soon as Rock gets off the second turnbuckle, usually does all four, he gets off uh, the turnbuckle and Austin goes right for Just him. Just right for him. Like, they, they, there's barely a stare down uh, in this match. And then like the crowd starts to boo the rock and they go for finishes early. Like it, it, but it's Austin goes for the stunner, rock goes for the rock bottom, and then they brawl to the outside. And I loved little things like Austin using his knee brace as a weapon. Like what a really interesting touch because 
Austin works heel in this match, and it's you maybe I, I certainly don't remember it at the time thinking he is working like a baddie because I wasn't really thinking like that when watching it back when I was a teenager. But watching it now, knowing what the finish is, you're like, man, Austin works heel for the majority of this match. Because he's like a man possessed. Anytime Rock is down, Austin is all over him or n- setting up the next thing to, to hurt him with. There is no sportsmanship here yeah. at all. And it's just vicious. It is ab- it, like it is a vicious rattlesnake here because he goes for a, a superplex by Austin with a, like, with a near fall. And then Austin takes off the turnbuckle pad, taking a play out of uh, William Regal's book. Only this time it's an ODQ match and it actually makes sense. Um, where are we? Rock fires back and there are audible boos against the Rock. But this match feels so physical. And so physical to the point that Earl Hebner is trying to get The Rock to stop and just like pull him back, being like, mate, just like calm down. And The Rock intimidates Earl Hebner so much, he falls over the, the steps and looks like a complete goofball. Yes, that was, that was unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, this was over the timekeeper area because when yeah. he turns back round, uh, Austin has the, the bell and he whacks it over Rock's head. Exactly, yeah. And Austin like throws the timekeeper and I've thought to myself, like in the previous match, the time people got thrown over the guardrail by Triple H, and now here he is being beaten up by Steve Austin. I was like he's had a hell of an evening. It was going so fine until the last two matches where these these bastards came out and started beating him up. Respect the time, Austin. <laughs> Maybe Austin put the sledgehammer out there. Oh, Triple H used well, it. Oh, Ollie, you blow my mind because you know what happens on the Raw after this. They get together. They get together it's because a retcon. It, it's the two man power trip. Oh well. Problem solved. Mm. Who threw the pie at Kevin Owens? I forget that. We it was close the logic hole. Close How the big is Batista's appendage? We know absolutely now. Rock is busted open already. Yeah, the... from that ring bell shot. And I feel like they were going to do a table spot mm. because the Rock is like he is like slowly climbing on top of the table as if he's trying to get away from Steve Austin. And the table just collapses like it was made of mouldy biscuits. Of all the tables that never break, yeah. this one breaks with a feather landing. It doesn't it just, like it literally just collapses. Like Rock looked at it and it fell down. I mean, this has had about three and a half preceding hours of very reckless Attitude Era rex- wrestling <laughs> around that table. So it's not a big shock. I must say, uh, although I was critical of Heyman and JR earlier, they are both terrific here. Absolutely. They really put over how physical the match is, mm-hmm. first off. There's the storytelling aspect of why is this a DQ? But they do it very subtly, just the right amount. And then they're also getting over how both men, how both men really, really want to win more than anything. Not just for the WWF title, but just to beat the other guy. Absolutely, yeah. Although I will criticise Heyman ever so slightly because when this table does fall down, Heyman says, oh, I'm going to have to watch the Tron now because I don't have a monitor. Mate, the match is wrapping right in front of you. Just look up. Got the best seat in the house, yeah. Um, commentators just keep putting over the idea of this being a no-DQ match. And The Rock gets some punches in, but the crowd boos once again. Austin hits the netbreaker, and the crowd cheers. Rock explodes out of the corner, and the crowd boos even harder. There is just there is a point in this match where the crowd just turns on The Rock. Mm, because mm. they just want to see Austin win this. Weirdly, there's a bit just before that when Austin has a mount position on the rock and he's just clobbering the rock, totally heel, like mm-hmm. he said. And there's a pop which sounds like someone has walked down the entrance ramp. It's the kind of pop reserved for when someone does a surprise money in the bank cash and run in. But it's not, it's just the crowd 
popping for Austin beating someone up. Exactly, because there was a period in time when wrestlers were over. Yeah. And, and this is one of those times. As The Rock is mouthing off on Austin and he throws him into the exposed turnbuckle, Rock grabs the ring bell and gets his receipt. He clocks Austin with it, and now Austin is busted open too. An amazing near fall off that belt shot. So this is just 10 minutes in. It's insane now. It's like yeah, 10 yeah. minutes because like that, it flew by. Mm. Like 10 minutes... It's it's so quick. So it flows by, but thinking about it back now, that feels like a 25-minute match. Yeah. Just those 10 minutes, which is the perfect balance you want to strike. Absolutely. Uh, and, yeah, really good near fall off of that. That for the forearm ring bell shots. Yeah, and the crowd is forearm. the crowd is going ballistic at this point as well. And oh, Rock is just throwing these awesome looking punches, and Austin is bouncing around the ring like mm. it's every time the punch. But Rock is staying on him with each one of these punches. He's not letting up, yeah. and it's not like Austin is standing there and taking it. Austin is selling these punches by just flo- falling around the ring. It looks so cool. And, and the, the, there's a bit when he's he goes down finally in the corner, and he is dripping blood. Off of the so he's hang like his head is hanging through the second rope and he's dripping blood onto the outside and you can see a little pool of blood start to to gather beneath him on the floor. Yeah. These two guys are, are bleeding absolute gushers. Yeah. And the rock is really going for it as well. He's not just laying in these punches. He's occasionally doing the middle fingers. He's trash talking uh, Austin all the time. It feels like there's a double switch in this because Austin was working heel initially on the, on babyface Rock, but now Rock is almost working heel at this point, and Austin is yeah. the babyface. And interestingly, it does come bang on ten minutes because yeah. I've marked the ten, twenty, and thirty minute moments in this. It's a thirty minute match. And doesn't yeah. feel like a thirty minute match. I know, man. yeah, it really doesn't. And I'll tell you who else who probably didn't think this felt like a thirty minute match. That lad in the Hawaiian shirt who really loves Steve Ooh. Austin. <laughs> Absolutely freaking out in ringside. He is a man who has paid his money to see a WrestleMania main event, and he is jazzed for this yes. WrestleMania main event. This is not the sort of guy who bought a front row ticket and then messed around with beach balls. He wanted to see Rock Austin. Yeah, I mean, he, I feel like he thinks he is involved in Austin's motivation here. Absolutely. Because he is yeah. just yelling at Austin, Yes, down in man, come on the t- and f- fair play to the guy. Absolutely. I wish I was him these days. I wonder where he is now. And he probably loved our next spot because Austin catapults Rock into the ring post and Rock just clatters into it. It looked awesome. He Rock launches himself. So usually you would take this bump at least with your feet on the ground. So you didn't actually have to throw yourself into the ring post. Yeah. Rock jumps. So by the time, I mean, it's his arm that hits the ring post uh, protecting his head. But it still must suck. Yeah, he is, none of him is on the floor. In fact, he is, his feet are about a foot off the floor because he's just flown into the ring post. Yeah, and Rock is such a good bumper, so like good, a, a good wrestler, great promo, really, really good seller, Re- like just such a good seller. Sometimes too good. <laughs> yeah. And it looks like absolute carnage around ringside as well, because you've got like the, the broken Spanish announcer mm. table from the Vince and Shane match. Now JR's table is broken. There's blood everywhere. There's monitors. There's cables. It just looks like absolute carnage. And then Rock hits the uh, then Austin hits Rock with one of the monitors, and Heyman says, "Well, that's clearly an assault." Yes, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Austin gets a near fall and the crowd pops huge but Austin gives Austin gives him the fingers going for the stunner but Rock catches the foot and locks in the sharpshooter and JR brings up that classic match between Brett and Austin because it is that moment from Brett and Austin where Brett has Austin in the sharpshooter and Austin is bleeding an absolute gusher from his head it's so awesome and it's such a great visual and the crowd I actually thought I actually felt here that the crowd were really into the Rock 
I, well, felt, I, I felt I thought they were screening for Austin to reach the rope. It's very true. Yeah, I, 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 as I've read that note, I think it could also go that way. Absolutely. There, there, there is one difference from that Brett Stone Cold match, though. The Rock quite clearly yelling mother effer again. <laughs> yes. Repeatedly. All the time he has the sharpshooter in. <laughs> you would not catch Bret Hart using that sort of language in a wrestling ring. <laughs> um, and then we... Uh, we got the rope break oh, in a no DQ I match. I know. I hate rope breaks. It doesn't make any sense. Mm. It's no DQ, man. And like, I think that it sort of works because you get it a little bit later on because <clears throat> Austin has Rock in the sharpshooter and Rock gets to the rope, but Austin won't break the hold. And then he's like, well, why should I break the hold? It's a no DQ match. And that really pops the crowd. Yeah, yeah. So it, it kind of works because it builds up that spot later on. But The Rock does look like an absolute doofus for letting it go. Yeah. Um, but it's like a great sell, by, a sell job by, uh, by Rock as well, because like Austin is absolutely stumping a mud hole in him after this sharpshooter. And he gets another sharpshooter on, another rope break. And the crowd and the, and the crowd boos. And then like, but Austin is, like, is not letting go. And he locks in the million-dollar dream. He is so desperate to win the WWF Championship that he has reverted back to his ringmaster gimmick of using the million-dollar dream. It's, uh, uh, what a callback to that character, to his debut in the WWF, like really going back to the well. It's a moment that was there for people paying attention. Like yeah. what, a, what a great spot. Really, really good. And JR puts it over as going... He's, he's really having to go all the way back in his arsenal of moves here. And this is where Heyman starts to call out JR for being so Austin positive. <laughs> and it was a really nice dynamic to have some conflict on the announcers team now, as well as what was going on in the ring. And JR's saying like, Austin's my friend. He's done this, 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 this. He's a stand-up guy, whatever. And which plays into what happens later as well. It's, it's all driving towards this inevitable thing that's great storytelling, but in, within the hindsight of 15 years of business yeah completely the wrong decision unfortunately absolutely yeah and you know as we've said earlier in the show i i probably would have caused not called an audible well let's get to that in a second like because the rock has a really because like, we watched this match together mm. you popped huge for rock's arm nearly hitting the this three is one of my favorite wrestling spots of all time <laughs> the rock three let the, the arm drops three times. Why doesn't anyone do this anymore? It's always on the first time it goes up. Yeah. But The Rock would leave it to the last bit. And I've never seen it come this close. It was so, so close as well. And I noticed this time, I don't know why I spotted this time, Hebner taps him on the arm to let him know this is when you do it. Oh, wow. It's And, that, and I think that's something that's quite missing in wrestling because, right... The referee now has to tell a wrestler to kick out. Like, you can sometimes audibly hear re the referees tell a wrestler, kick out, kick out of this spot here. And I think there was more of, like, a cohesion between, like, the wrestlers and the referee of, like, this tap means this. If I do this, it means that. And they're sort of working together. And, like, Earl tapping Rock on the arm is about, like, you need to do the arm thing here. So you're not having to listen for me going, like, one, two. Which I thought was a really mm, nice touch. Also, yeah. Casey forgot, I suppose. And they do the Brett uh, Hart and Piper spot, and Austin kicks out of that, which is really close. And then The Rock hits the Stone Cold Stunner. And, um, and I was actually, at that point, just thinking, we haven't really had any finishes yet. And I'm wondering at what point we are here. Yeah, uh, so this is, we are very close to 20 minutes. Because Austin kicks out and the place goes unglued. Yeah, so, but well, that's only because Rock hits a stunner and he's a bit dazed. And the crowd are booing the fact that Rock hit Austin's finisher. But he's too dazed to, to get that pin right away. And when he gets there, Austin has had enough time to recuperate to a huge roar. Then, bang on 20 minutes into the match, 
Vince McMahon walks down the ramp to asshole charts. <laughs> Still in the ring gear from earlier. I must say, the way this whole match has been shot really does look like a movie. Mm, it's very Especially cinematic. the submission stuff, when you have the out-of-focus background shots and whoever's in the foreground in focus. And they've got the blood over the faces and it just everything's sold through expressions and these close-ups mm -hmm. and there's not a great deal i mean it is wrestling but those submissions are very static wrestling it's just people standing there screaming yeah no i completely agree with you it's, it's, it's awesome and um spinebuster by the rock and he hits the people's elbow he clearly had the match won but vince comes in and breaks it up and as soon as he breaks it up he scurries to the outside mm. and the moment the rock realizes what happens he looks at vince with this look of what the f yep yep he definitely mouths <laughs> There. Yeah, he totally does. And then he just gets up and he chases Vince around ringside. And then as Vince runs back and gets into the ring, Austin hits Rock with a rock bottom. What a great near fall yeah. that was. And then, as I've written here, the referee gets knocked out of the ring. Because of course he does. Because it's a, it's a WWF pay-per-view in the early 2000s and ref bumps always happen. Low blow by Austin. And this is where the storyline ends really kicks into mm. its third act because Austin points at Vince and tells him to get a chair and the crowd don't really sort of know what's going on here JR doesn't really understand what's going on here but Heyman is the first and it works perfectly because it's Heyman has starting to work it out and he's like are they are they are they working together like Vince is getting him the chair like Vince he's doing what Austin has told him to do and it's a chair shot by... Uh, so Austin holds up the rock and Vince hits the rock with the chair and Vince throws the referee in and the rock kicks out and Austin loses it. The crowd, it, the crowd is insane at this point. I was wondering, what, if you, do you think that the crowd is insane because they just want to see Austin win? Or are they insane because of what is happening in the ring? I got the sense that the crowd still wanted to see Austin win at this point. <laughs> yeah. Like it hadn't quite, it's such a shocking thing to happen after about three years of feuding between these two men. I didn't think it had fully sunk in. Uh, and that, that particular crazy expression that Austin had after the rock kick out was another Emma Effer, <laughs> by the way. A big scream of the words Emma Effer. Uh, and then we uh, Austin goes for another chair shot, but Rock hits another rock bottom. Rock pulls Vince in and he starts wailing on him. And then we get what is possibly the biggest Stone Cold stunner you have ever seen in your life. I know we said that at Armageddon 2000, but I think this one was bigger. Yeah, because Rock's uh, feet go over the top rope. Yeah, Austin, Rock bounced into WrestleMania X8. <laughs> like, it was such an incredible sell job. Yeah. And Rock kicks out again. And the look in Austin's, eye, in Austin's eyes just tells the whole story. Mm. And it's it's amazing. And it, I feel like the crowd go into a different mode here. This is where they it starts to dawn on them that they're not going to be wrestling fans for much longer. <laughs> because <laughs> Vince hands the chair to Austin a chair shot to the head another kick out the crowd are still into the kick outs I, I will say but in between it's a bit but they're more on Rock's side they're more on Rock's side it's a bit murmury and Vince Austin just keeps looking at Vince and then Austin just unloads on Rock with the chair just absolutely starts clattering in with him and at JR with the awesome line that McMahon endorsed steel chair Mm. Like what a wonderful visual and like it, it makes the beat down of the chair almost more like, powerful because it is a McMahon indoor steel chair. McMahon handed him that chair. One, two, three. 
Austin wins. He is the new WWF champion. And JR loses his mind because Austin and Vince shake hands. Shake hands. And uh, so JR's screaming, son of a bitch, son of a bitch. And then JR, then Stone Cold gets the beers. And this is almost more offensive to JR. Stone Cold is drinking a damn beer with Vince McMahon. Why, Steve? Why this way? And he's he's like... He's shouting like he's shaking hands with Satan himself, with the devil himself. And I love JR's line, uh, not JR's, Heyman's line, where he just says, Stone Cold Steve Austin sold his soul for the WWF Championship. How, what a way to put over the importance of the WWF Championship that he sold his soul to win that belt. Yeah, it feels like these days it's not about the top title, it's about the face of the company. Yeah, which I don't, I, 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 yeah. I don't care about. No, exactly. That's, that's a corporate thing that WWE have kidded themselves into thinking is actually relevant to anyone else other than themselves. Oh, that's so interesting. I haven't even thought of that, mm. but that's, you're completely right. I know, thank you. <laughs> uh, JR goes on to say, as they're pouring a few beers over the rock, Austin and McMahon might as well urinate on the rock. It's not that bad, so incense. And, um, and, but Heyman, like, because JR is incensed. He's like, why, Steve? Why? Why would you do this? You might as well urinate on the rock. And Heyman just, Heyman tries to rationalize the whole thing. He's like, this is what rattlesnakes do. This mm, is what mm. happens when you trust a rattlesnake. But it is a really odd reaction from the crowd. I don't think they, like, no one expected this to happen. They're not really sure what is going on. And then to finally cap off the night, Austin hits Rock with the belt one more time. And the crowd do pop for him hitting the belt. I'm not sure they were ready to, ch- to boo oh, Steve Austin. Certainly not at this crowd. Certainly mm. not this crowd on this night. They were not ready to boo Stone Cold Steve Austin. Not their hometown. Absolutely no. not. And no. it was so weird to see Vince and Stone Cold walk out side by side. Yeah. And the pe- I don't know if you saw the people in the front row when it cut back to rock. They look genuinely pissed off. But not like, oh, you villain, you heel. Like, F this, I'm done with this. There is a really interesting story. So the Attitude Era podcast did their review of this. They, they, they capped this off as the end of the Attitude Era. And as I've, I said, I've, I could argue, you could argue, I completely agree that this is arguably the end of the Attitude Era. But I would say, like, you know, because WCW and everything would died by the time the Vengeance 2001 had come around. So you could argue that is. But he made the point that for him, this was the end of the Attitude Era because he watched it live. He was in a, a Catholic school and like a big group of them all got together to watch this pay-per-view. And when it finished, a lot of them said like, I'm not watching wrestling anymore. And that was it. And they mm. never watched wrestling again. And there are a lot of people that just stop watching wrestling. Because you always hear from those people who are like, that's it, I'm done with WWE, I'm going to cancel the network, yada, yada, yada. And they very rarely follow through on that. I've, I've got a friend like that who does that, you know, on a monthly basis. Yeah. Uh, we have people in the YouTube comments that keep yes, saying it and they yeah. keep coming back to comments on our videos. Exactly. But uh, the, they're, they're relatively safe. The ones you've got to worry about are the ones you never hear from. And that is the the huge majority of these type of fans and that's what happened here and it's and it's clear that there was a large portion that stopped watching wrestling mm. because viewing figures started to dwindle they and they never really recovered it's interesting as well because pritchard was trying to defend this on an episode of something to wrestle recently when conrad asked him like you know were you worried about audience uh, the audience numbers 
like disappearing because previously you were doing six point ratings on raw and nitro was doing six point ratings as well like there was 12 million wrestling fans who were watching wrestling on a monday night and half of those people just disappeared and then half of that half disappeared and when they but pritchard i would argue very incorrectly was just like no because really that six million was just a shared audience across it was the same people watching both shows they were just flipping back and forth that is not the case man it's not the case there were 12 million wrestling fans watching and a lot of them took off and a lot of them left and a lot of them left at this point yeah it's it's just a double whammy within a week to have wcw officially go out of business and then Austin turn heel. What like an it's insane that that happened so close to each other. What a week of wrestling mm. that was! I, I didn't even consider that. Yeah, the WCW has closed its doors six days earlier, and here we are, six days later. Austin has turned the biggest babyface star on the planet has turned heel, and aligned himself with his biggest nemesis. And yeah, man, man, what an ending to the show. The it, rest. It'll be interesting to to see if if WCW managed to hold on a year or two more. And they still went through with the Austin heel turn here. If that would have really killed the whole wrestling business as it was back then, yeah. If, like if it was, if if it was the combination of those two shots mm. that really did them in, or if they could have survived with just one of those. That's a very interesting point. Yeah, absolutely. I've got another interesting point before you get onto the star ratings, mm-hmm. uh, and that is as great as this heel turn was booked, and it really like. It can, it's an incorrect heel turn in retrospect. I happen to think at the time, you don't know what way it's going to go. I, I almost admire WWE for being brave and taking this this route. Uh, but the the heel turn itself was very, very well booked. Just the way Austin was vicious. And then they, it's not a quick turn. It's a 10-minute turn of Vince helping him out. And then when Austin loses it and just keeps on whacking Rock over the head again and again and again. That's, you know, that's great and it and it worked but it didn't really connect with the crowd as much because it was kind of spread out over this slow build way i would have done it differently Mm. i would have had vince come down at that 20 minute mark but not shown his allegiances because he's he's that that he's favoring austin becomes apparent within a minute and a half because he pulls rock out when he breaks up the rock bottom when he pulls out when he pulls out rock it's still kind of like oh he could do that to austin as well but very shortly after, he then gives the chair to Austin or, you know, hits Rock with it. So then you know for the last eight minutes how this is going to go. I would have had Austin keep trying to beat the Rock. Keep trying, and he just can't do it with the chair over and over again. But Rock keeps on kicking out. And then it's like when when he has got nothing left, that's when he has to side with Vince. Yeah. and that And Vince is like, you know... That's why I was out here because I knew you couldn't do it without me. And mm, then you, yeah. you bring those two together, and that's that's a bit more of a poetic morality turning story to to what I the, the, the premeditated version doesn't really hold true to Austin's character for me. Yeah, I I, I can yeah. buy it. That. I completely agree with you on that on that one. It's and it's interesting you say that it was you know it it wasn't the right heel it wasn't the right heel turn at the right time, but it was certainly you know kudos to them for doing so and austin has said that you know he almost regrets it but he did want to turn heel it was his idea yeah he said like i've done everything i can as a baby face and i need to turn heel and he has said on his podcast that it wasn't the right decision to make but he doesn't it doesn't really regret doing it but i would just almost look at it like he'd only just come back mm. like he he was you know survivor series was when he made his you know return or you know there or thereabouts it was le- the latter half of 2000 he'd come back so we're only like six months into austin coming back 
it would be like if Daniel Bryan turned heel. Yeah. And like, why would you turn Daniel Bryan heel at this point? We, we said that in the WrestleMania 34 predictions. There were some people like, oh, I wonder if Daniel Bryan's going to turn on Shane McMahon. And we said that would be the dumbest thing this company has ever done. And yeah, it, I just think it wasn't, it was, this wasn't the right time to do it. I wonder what your star rating was for it. Though. I gave it 4.75. I love the match. It is a historic match. It was very well worked. Mm. Uh, and just the intensity and the sheer star power, man. Oh, yeah. Watching Austin and Rock in there with that crowd reaction, the intensity of it. I loved it. I loved it. I, I completely agree with you. And you are mostly in line with the dirt sheets as well. The Wrestling Observer, Austin and McMahon shook hands and drank beer together after the match. Fans still cheered Austin. And after they left, when Rock finally recovered, he was still being booed. Four and a half stars from Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer. Uh, figure four, Brian Alvarez would write, Austin and Vince shook hands, drank beer, and ro- and mocked Rock as the show ended. They tried their damnedest to turn him heel, but it was the wrong guy on the wrong day in the wrong building for it to work perfectly. I thought the finish of the match was so great, though. Four and a quarter stars from Brian Alvarez and The Torch would write, Very good match. It wasn't <laughs> full of high spots, but they milked the drama especially well. The Houston crowd wanted an Austin win and weren't, co- weren't quite sure how to react when he won once he did two minutes after scoring the pin rock rose austin nailed him, nailed him with the belt again the stone cold heel era has begun four and a half stars from mm. the torch and that's it man wow it's in the books that's the, it is in the books that is wrestlemania x7 arguably the best wrestlemania of all time but ollie davis is it the best WrestleMania of all time? Well, I mean, WrestleMania 34 has now obviously <laughs> taken that mantle. No, I thought I, it probably is. It probably is. I love WrestleMania 30. I suppose that would be the, the only other contender. Mm, that's a good, it's a very good shout. I also really like WrestleMania 31. Uh, what's WrestleMania 31? Uh, that was the first um, Roman Brock, but you had the Seth Rollins cash in yeah. on it as well. Um, you also had, uh, you could argue Triple H Sting, but it isn't a particularly great match. But it you was had, fun, though. But you had Rollins and uh, Randy Orton earlier in the night as well. You had some really, really good matches on that. With the curb stomp parking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think 30 is better than 31 mm-hmm. on reflection. So, But I, this one, you know, just because of the Attitude Era insanity in particular, these last, look, Rock versus Austin, Taker versus Triple H, let's ignore the gimmick panel war, TLC 2, like th- those are your top, th- and then and uh, Shane and Vince, those are four big time matches. Mm-hmm. So I've got to give it to X7. What yeah, about you? I, I think I've got to agree as well. I think it is the best WrestleMania ever. I think top to bottom, it's the one that just works perfectly. I think it's got the perfect ebb and flow that you need uh, for, a, for a good pay-per-view. It's got... I think China and Ivory is a bit of a dud moment because the of it was a China, China ego boost. The, the gimmick Battle Royal is what it is. I love it, but I love it because it's awful. Like it is, And it is awful, but you, as you quite rightly called it, it's a, it's a perfect sorbet after the madness that has happened with Austin and uh, with with Vince and Shane and TLC2 you needed that sorbet before you have Triple H and Austin uh, Triple H and Undertaker and Austin and Rock and like what a double main event that is as well like you know that is it's incredible like to have that kind of like main event i think it is a really really great show i think it's mm. awesome yeah i agree yeah well who knows what we will get for Wrestle Ramble Extra in May. Only you can decide, Pledge Hammers. That is, if you are a $25 and above Pledge Hammer, because that's how you get to make suggestions 
into the Wrestle Ramble extra fodder, and then everyone gets to vote on it. That poll will be up um, actually possibly by the end of the week, maybe early next week, we'll certainly see. But for now, that has been Wrestle Ramble Extra. That has been WrestleMania X7. I've been Luke Owen. I've been with Ollie Davis. Thank you very much for joining me on this. I've been looking forward to reviewing this pay-per-view, I will say. Were you trying a new sign-off there? That was a little bit, yeah. It was, it was like, it was fascinating trying to see, find how to do it. It's like you were a little. Okay, it's like the Wrestle Talk News one. Yep. I'm bringing a bit of the Wrestle Ramble. Oh, they're oh, mesh up. They're not fitting together. <laughs> How's Ollie going to speak at the I end? Know. I suddenly thought I've done this and I haven't consulted Ollie about it. I don't know where it's going. It's fine. I'm. See you next week, guys. No, not next week. Good grief. <laughs> Well, we'll take see, way too long. Well, we'll see you in a couple of uh, weeks for Wrestle Club. And Ra- Wrestle Club. We'll Ramble see, Club. We'll see you for Ramble Club in two weeks if you're a $10 plus backer. But until then, I love you. Goodbye. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.